I'm on that overload, overkill I'm redlining, I'm blue pills High octane's my intake I'm peace, Swayze, man, point break Make no mistakes, I don't care Not one shit we'll be giving here Make the room shake, earthquake Turbulence, out of space, yeah, let it go Cruise control, full speed ahead with my eyes closed I smoke the best, just hydro Make my eyes red like Diablo I'm taking off, next to go Molotov, set the blow These crimson eyes, I set the glow Medieval shit, man, crossbows We dangerous, beast mode Got catapults for the back Bags of dope, man, set in stone, good to go Found my zone in the Alamo, yeah, big time Dinosaur, so big, colossal You stuck in dirt, man, fossils We taking out, full throttle, let's go Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Whiskey Throttle Show right here from the Troy Lee Designs Saloon in Corona, California. I'm your host, David Pingree. We've got a cool show today. Dr. D, the doctor, is in the house. Uh, this guy's a former Supercross winner, factory Yamaha rider, and human dino is what he's known as. So, uh, that should be fun to get with Doug here and, and go through his career. With us, as always, Grant Langston, our co-host. How are you, buddy? Good, good, good. And uh, Donnie Bills, how we doing, buddy? Good, man. Hanging in there? Hanging in there. <laughs> um, I want to thank our sponsors, and it's apropos that Yamaha title sponsors our show because we've got their boy in here. Dr. D has done a lot for that brand over the years, which we'll get into. Uh, they're the leader in the power sports industry, and uh, they make awesome products all the way around. Two wheels, four wheels, uh, piano keys, you, you name it. Uh, Blue Crew, get a, get on board. PowerDot, go over to uh, PowerDot.com and check those guys out if you're looking for... Uh, a way to relieve knotted muscles, recover from injury, uh, recover from soreness from working out or riding. Awesome, awesome, proven product. And you get 20% off using the code Whiskey Throttle. Uh, Method Race Wheels, they're going to bring you our front end chatter segment. 20% off on a set of wheels over there using our code also. So uh, go do that. Troyly Designs, they're bringing you our timeout today. SKDA. Uh, if you have not seen their new Whiskey Throttle Show graphics, go check them out. SKDA.moto. Dot AU? Yep, think so. Think so. Uh, you can find them. SKDA Graphics. Uh, really cool new show graphics they made for us. And they're 20% off for the next, I want to say, 60 days. So I would hustle. Four Wheel Parts bringing you our Get Me Q&A. They're your one-stop shop for anything off-road for your off-road uh, vehicles. Adidas. Don't be a dick to your feet. Don't do it. Put some, put some good shoes on them. Pro Circuit, uh, the most successful race team in history, maybe? Possibly? I think so. I mean, they've won a lot. A lot. Well, just, <laughs> a lot. You can make the argument. Yeah. yeah, a lot. You yeah, can make okay. the argument. Uh, Dunlop Tires, just simply the leader in that sport and that space. Uh, and those guys have never backed out of this sport. I love that about Dunlop. Uh, all these other manufacturers pull out when it's not suiting their needs. Man, Dunlop's never backed out. Uh, I love that. Those guys are fully committed. Nihilo Concepts. Get a free gift over there using the code Whiskey Throttle. If you purchase anything, go check out uh, all of their products. Fire Department Coffee, firefighter owned and operated. Those guys give you 20% discount on any orders you make using our code Whiskey Throttle. And also 10% of their net proceeds go to firefighter charities. So good stuff for a good cause. Seat Concepts, if you need a cover or the whole seat for your bike, your four-wheeler, your snowmobile, whatever it is, Go check those guys out. The best seats you can buy, period. Specialized Bicycles, the leader in that space as well. And uh, Ojo, they're bringing you our What's in the Bag segment. So 
we'll get to that. That should be fun. Um, so, Doug, we're going to bring you into our first segment called the uh, Method Race Wheels Front End Chatter. Just kind of where we cover some interesting topics, and I cater it to you this time. So, Uh-oh. <laughs> so here's here's question number one. Uh, Method Race Wheels, lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in the world, period. Bringing you these questions. Was the four-stroke revolution a mistake? Oof. Wow, a heavy one right oh. off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. How do you sleep uh, at night knowing yeah, yeah. that you made everyone buy a four-stroke and spent yeah. so much money Forget on parts? Forget the softballs. He's getting a no. hard one right across the nose at the say, first pitch. That was a fastball straight at the head. Shots fired. Uh, I don't believe it's a mistake. You know, there, There's argument in every which direction on any topic. But, yeah, the four-stroke revolution is It's just part of what – what we do you know we, we always want to make a faster better yeah. you know able to leap tall buildings kind of product and that's just i think the original guy you know and, and i don't know the 100 percent of the history but uh, you know i hear lots of little things that this guy almost built this thing off hours in, in his own garage you know he he was so passionate about what he thought it could bring to the table that's what he did and he mm. You know, burning the midnight oil and all that sort of stuff brought this thing to the managers and said, hey, I think this can work. And so, you know, everyone blames me. It wasn't me. I, <laughs> I wasn't me up, you know, at three in the morning designing the latest, greatest four-stroke engine. But um, so, you know, as it came along, then we all started to see the benefits. You know, I mean, yeah. I was like everybody else. I heard this project's coming, you know, our way to, for U.S. testing, and I'm like, oh, I just, I just pictured Spud Walters on an XR400 going, <laughs> oh, really? You know, it just looks painful. Yeah. Heavy, slow. Just everything. You, and the you, sound. When you weren't used to it, I feel like the sound was so annoying in the beginning. Exactly. And then not even just the beginning. Like everybody just, <laughs> oh, it's got to be loud. That's the only way it's going to go. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's not what it has to be. But um, so, yeah, we just kind of, you know, accepted the product when it came. And, you know, and it wasn't great from day yeah. one. But, you know, each time it came back, it got notably better. And I can remember one day at Carlsbad. This is probably... So I think we first started riding that thing maybe early 96, I want to say. And then by by the end of 96, maybe the third time we saw it, all of a sudden I went, wow, this is going to be good. This is really, I mean, if it's still this early and it's this good, this is going to be a, well, a yeah, pretty Carlsbad big game changer. It's probably a good track for it as well. I think they positioned that just to yeah. fluff yeah. The, the test riders a bit because, yeah, it was... Uh, Put a supercross, bring out a 252 stroke with a supercross setup, yeah, and then the fours are here. Yeah. Go compare for me yeah. at Carlsbad at two no, no, in the no, afternoon. They were, they were good at you know positioning, uh, picking the right place to test that yeah. bike. But uh, yeah, it just it had all the things that we've all experienced now today. You know, all the the front wheel traction, just yeah. the stability, and you know, cutting the bumps in half, and all the things that it had over the two stroke. I mean, they became pretty obvious pretty early. Yeah. Well. It, any kind of what you said, um, I feel like there's two things about motocross racers. We one, we we love the freedom of riding and and the individuality of it, and actually just doing it is fun. But we also, I think, most of us have like a um, a mechanical side where we like to tinker. Even if you're not sure. really good at pulling it apart, you like to, you know, put stickers you, on. Yeah, you just like to think you can. Yeah, you like to think you can, right? So you're right. We we like the next. What's it does the latest, give you greatest? every level of tinkering that you can, just from putting stickers on and cleaning all the way down to tearing down. So you you have every manner of 
yeah. tinkering you can and do. And so, so when there's this new next thing that's supposed to be, it's like everyone, ooh, yeah, I got to have it. You know, I, I don't know if it's good or bad or if this is a huge mistake. <laughs> For the sport, but I'm in. I'm, I'm in, yeah. I'm, I'm all in. in. It's the latest, greatest. It's technology. Well, everyone gets curious by the thought of something different and new. You know, that idea that could be game-changing. You, you don't want to be left behind. You know, well, that, yeah, you everyone know, wants the advantage. Yeah, I mean, the old mini bike father is, is the key thing. Yeah. You know, that guy buys the kid 12 bikes because, you know, he thinks if it's – that's going to make my kid the next yeah. Villapoto or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, it's everyone's eager. Okay, let's say we had a time machine and we could wind it back – and, the, you know, the, the AMA rule was up to 450 cc's or whatever it was. It was 550 at the time. <clears throat> yeah, at the time it was 550. Yeah. Okay. So, if, knowing what we know now, <laughs> if you could wind it back and say, no, 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 listen, guys, this is what the numbers need to be. What would be a fair, you know, four strokes cubic centimeter number to keep two strokes where it was competitive? Yeah, I... I think, uh, or never mind the, the two-stroke. Even if if it was just like, okay, what would be two good sizes to go racing on? Yeah, I think a. I think the 250 is good. Um, obviously, it, it put the 125 out of business. So just in that way, and especially to keep the two classes separate, because I think about a 400 would be plenty enough. Um, <clears throat> But I think, yeah, maybe a 200 and a 400. Just yeah. this is totally spitballing. You know, I have no facts to, to back right. this up. But because I think you've seen what technology and, you know, a lot of hard work and a, a lot of money spent has done with the 250F. Because mm -hmm. in the beginning, it was slightly better than the 125. But nowadays, I mean, you couldn't throw enough money at a 125 no. to make it competitive yeah. against a star racing Yamaha 250F. So I think, yeah, maybe 200. Back then, you know, it needed to be 270 almost, but, you know, nowadays, that just through the evolution of the engine development, they've, they've pulled a lot of, lot of horsepower mm. out of that stuff. And I think 450, arguably, is still too much. It's way too what, much. What, what guys do, you know, it's almost like the old 500 two-stroke days. You know, I can remember, you know, I was just had a little bit of taste of that because that was, we were sort of forced to ride those bikes. Yeah. When the 500 class went away, then you were a 250 guy, but you had to ride six rounds on this bike that you'd never ridden before. Mm. You know, I, I can remember my first national I went to, I'm like, holy cow, I've ridden this bike like four times and it's got like, uh, let me cave the pipe in. Then maybe I could do a good <laughs> yeah, lap time yeah, on yeah, it because yeah. it was just so... Dumb it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, again, yeah, I think there is... I think they could pull them back. Yeah, I, I just, mm. you're right. The 250 is, I think, a good, a good bike. It can put, but there's nothing those guys can't do. There's exactly. nothing there's, the 450s uh, exactly. can jump that those guys can't. Say, which I is think telling. A 200 and a 400, or even a 175 and a 350. You yeah. know, if you're talking four strokes. Yeah. yeah. Well, on yeah. a supercross track, they run the same lap times. Sometimes quicker because mm -hmm. they can corner a little. Yeah. Bit. The, the harder part about doing the speed on a 450 is that it's so much heavier and so much more the mass, inertia. it's really hard to make that bike it's, turn yeah, and move. And managing it, because it, you look at so, a lot of the outdoor series, the 250 class was faster. Yeah. You know, and a little bit of that is when the guys are on the track and yeah, how, exactly. how hammer the track. Yeah, there's a lot of things, but you look at some of those times, 
second moto when that 450 is a lot to handle those 250 guys get faster again only when the track's just perfect does that 450 yeah. have any yeah. chance of having that faster lap time isn't there some rule where i've seen 250f guys riding in the 450 class you can. Uh, well, right yeah. And I mean, I've seen a couple of guys do it to get ready for the East Coast or something like that. Well, they do allow you to ride that. And I don't know how it's written. I don't know what the actual yeah. rule says, but those guys, they'll ride the West in preparation for the East, but they want to be testing, developing their 250 machine. I was say, so. does it really matter what the rule says? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not go that far <laughs> off topic just yet. Um, well, well, got, here's, here's what I think, though. Like, you know, we talk about the four-stroke evolution and we got kind of joking how you said you got some criticism about steering the four-stroke evolution. Doug ruined the sport! <laughs> Sorry. It was, it was coming either way. <laughs> well, um, exactly. I mean, if you go look at the history, there were four-strokes around, you know, in the early days, especially in, in the British bikes and the reason they went to two strokes was people would just realize, well, we can get more performance or more speed out of this, you know. Mm -hmm. Lighter, faster, yeah, less that, moving parts, so all they, of it. So the, and then that was when four-stroke technology was in its early, early stages. So the bikes, like you said, they were heavy. They weren't actually that fast. They, they didn't show their benefits yet. Then I think what happened was you saw as technology moved forward, they revisited going, wait a minute. Now we can make this thing potentially better than a two-stroke. So... Uh, I think sometimes people read too much into it about how people try to change the sport. I think people were looking at ways to make a better product for a consumer. Um, and, and it's always hard to predict what that's going to do to a sport moving forward. Hey, yeah. I like that in the 80s, 90s, there were four-stroke nationals, and now there's two-stroke nationals. Yeah. Yeah. So it's flip-flopped. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, just like Grant says, you're looking, you sit in a product planning meeting, they're going, okay, what is the next thing? Yeah. Well, how are we going to sell how, it to how that we be customer? different as well? Yeah. Everyone wants to be a little different. And, I mean, you, I don't know how much influence, but you, you can't ignore that the EPA is starting to really mm -hmm. come down. Oh, you can't put oil in your Absolutely. gas. You're, you're killing whatever you're killing. But, yeah, and that was so a, that, a big driver, too, was the emission side of it. Exactly. And that may have been, and again, I don't know the whole history, but that could have been a, a driving force. Like, hey, I'm going to be a hero because I'm going to develop a at least competitive bike. And we're going to meet or exceed yeah. all these other EPA, mm. you know, laws that are coming down the pike. So, yeah. So this, so my next question then, uh, what are we going to be racing in ten years, or twenty years from now? <laughs> dirt bikes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Hopefully, we're all still on dirt bikes. But yeah, I mean, obviously, the electric market is, you know, kind of itching in there. But it's just not there yet. You know, that you can't ride one of those electric bikes that hard and have. Right. But in ten years, yeah. Who knows? I mean, you know, I play with remote control car stuff, so I, I can remember back when that early battery technology and, you know, motor demand on the unit, it's, all these things have gone through the roof. They've mm. changed so much over the last 10, 20 years. So oh, I'm, now you can I'm get a wicked little car for 150 bucks. And, and like, it's yeah, way better than the one you spent 800 bucks exactly. on. Yeah, which yeah. in today's dollars was 2000. So yeah, yeah it's but that, that just like you say, it's what are we going to build next? You know, what will the consumer bear almost? It's like Cost versus the experience. What's mm -hmm. that in you? You know, so all those things is what everyone's trying to do. Do you They're trying sit to be the next guy? Do you sit in on those Yamaha meetings? Are you privy to that at all, or is it more like I used to? A once lot. they make the decisions, and it's like, all right, hey Doug, we need your help. Uh, that was my original role. Was hey Doug, we need your help. You know, here, 
decide A, B, or C. But then the more involved I got in the, the total program, then I was involved in more of the product planning things and a little earlier in the stage. You know, we always used to joke, well, you know, they give it to us and it's already got so many flaws built into it before we ever saw it. But, you know, so by our pressure, we were getting involved earlier and earlier in the process. And then some of us were key to some of the clay model as well as just direction of what it's going to be yeah. so that stuff was exciting i don't do as much with yamaha these days uh big switch some years back with employee versus contract employee all this kind of stuff but so my roles changed there i still do some work with them and uh it's just yeah it's a little bit different nowadays in this environment but you think the electric market is where we're headed uh, it, Yes, obviously, because, you know, we all thought, oh, you know, the Chevy Volt was kind of a joke and, you know, it was just government funded and all that you could conspiracy wise with that. But you can see there, at least electric vehicles are here to stay. But again, that's a very different need than what a motocross bike, yeah. especially at a high level, because I think, you know, those Altas had a big push there for a while, spent a lot of money and. I think in the right environment, that would have been a very successful product. But unfortunately, in the moto world, guys, even not at the top level, but you know, easily you could push past what that thing could oh, yeah. handle. So, you know, that I think was a, a big stepping stone, but I'm sure they'll get over it. You know, it's all money, money and technology. I got to test one of the altars at uh, Paula Raceway the one day, and the guys were like, yeah, man, we're probably going to have an outdoor team. And I did a couple laps and came in. I said, this thing will never qualify. They were not impressed with me. I said, they're like, how, how far off are we? Don't I'm appreciate like, yeah. the honesty. Is it 250F? I'm like, we're here. Yeah. You know, quite a bit off. And they, they were a little surprised. I said, look, I'm, I'm not the lightest guy out there. And I said, the track's a little heavy, but it was still quite a ways off. Yeah. And I yeah, think yeah, they yeah. realized that pretty quickly, too, that having something fun in your backyard, you know, like on a mountain bike trail, they're amazing. Mm -hmm. But when you go on the thick, deep moto, out of the corner, big jump, they just they didn't have what well, it took. You could, <clears throat> and you can dial it up to, to make it as fast as you want it. Yeah, and start you're, melting stuff. You're, yeah, you're, <laughs> your battery's done in 10 minutes and it's steaming. You, you, know? got, a, yeah, you, yeah. Got, you, you got a seat warmer all of a sudden because <laughs> the heat's coming out of the battery below your ass. <laughs> That's a nice feature in some cars. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what about, let me just pick your brain about two-stroke. There's a lot of chatter in F1 and MotoGP about developing new two-stroke motors. Mm -hmm. um, Suzuki's had uh, a, a boat engine forever that was fuel-injected two-stroke. Uh, and I think Evinrude actually bought it from them. Um, it's, it's really good technology. Less, fewer emissions than four strokes. Um, is that something we'll ever get to? Or do you just think you that, know, that boat, that, that ship kind of sailed? No, I don't think it has at all because... You know, if, I remember somebody had told me just some years back, hey, you know, there's a new, you know, um, technology coming down the pike. It's going to be half the moving parts, twice the horsepower per displacement, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, it's a two-stroke engine. <laughs> We're like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, half the displacement. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it's just like the whole four-stroke thing, and, and Grant touched on it a little bit a little while ago, where the four-stroke engine had this, and then the two-stroke engine surpassed it. Well, everyone's just sort of written off the two-stroke as dead technology. Well, it just hasn't been revisited with any kind of, you know, dollars in engineering in a long time. 20 yeah, almost years. 20 years, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. So, 
and a lot's changed. <laughs> Go look at our at our industries. A lot has really advanced, whether it's paint technology, science, all that. A lot's happened in the last 20 years. Exactly. And so what I know, uh, there's a lot of people playing with fuel-injected two-stroke stuff. TM, Italian mm -hmm. company, you know, they've actually got a very good one right now. I, I've kind of got some inroads with some guys in Italy and, and Germany that are very involved in those projects. And, you know, they're telling me, oh, yeah, we're able to put almost half the amount of engine oil into the f gas because of the way it distributes it in mm -hmm. to the engine. You don't ha you're not having to drown it in oil to protect it. Right. You're getting that lubrication through. So I know there's certainly a lot there. And these guys are just touching the surface. They're a small company. They don't yeah. have the dollars that a Yamaha or a Cowie or Honda has. So, you know, it's. I I don't know anything. Don't you know? Come and start blowing me up on social media in a year or two if something does make a big change. But because I'm a little bit removed from the Yamaha and, and what's coming down the pipe, but I would say that uh, there is going to be some resurgence. That's that, or at least I'm hoping because I think that we owe that to the people let's revisit yeah. this because you know just because it, it ran into kind of a limit be it yeah. epa or because you know delivery and all that kind of stuff of you know tractable power and just everything i think they can do a lot because there's so much more with you know electronic power valving and uh -huh. things like that that can make give it more of that four stroke feel yep. that i mean it's if we were just getting into some fairly complex power valve type of things and I mean those two strokes were very very good it's just a four stroke leaped yeah. ahead yeah so yeah I don't know I mean I I wish I did but yeah well and I'd have to lie to you if I did but I don't <laughs> well to your point you said you know motor GP f1 when you go and look over the years f1 technology slowly trickles down and ends up in our day-to-day -day cars mm -hmm. same with motor GP on motorcycle technology um, but with moving forward, if you're talking about, you know, they've designed bearings that have like no resistance or friction that just car can coast forever. And they've got metals that create less heat, less friction. So you need, you run on less oil, you know, so less technology fuel, is less, changing yeah. everything to a point where, and if you look at our, our bikes, since we've all ridden, they were pretty simple. Now... You almost need a laptop to 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 be able to tune a bike. You know, before you needed a grinding tool or something. You yeah, know, yeah, so yeah. or an iPhone. Don't forget your yeah, iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, On the Yamaha, you can go and. I mean, it's pretty remarkable, but it just shows that the a lot of our performance and 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 I think even like you know from a from a dealer standpoint, guy brings a bike in not running very well. What's the first thing we do is we plug in our, our, our Yamaha tool or whatever the bike may be, and it often it's like a car. It almost gives us a feedback, and it's like all right. Makes this almost idiot-proof. That mm -hmm. that needs to be torn down. That hey, Mr. Customer, this is what we need. So, if you can do that and bring it to a simpler, cheaper technology again, like two strokes, I think you could have a winning formula. I just yeah. my my concern about electric is, um, it's going to be really boring to watch. I mean, a picture any big race. So I, I well, same for whole thing GP, of electric F1, bike You'll never get a crowd to go. Yeah, yeah, just, just the noise of the tires going by. I, I would say, uh, agree with you 100% because, you know, you don't go to a drag race to watch a 
car squirt moves. down yeah. yeah to move it's yeah. not the motion it's the whole thundering it's the whole feeling. experience yeah, yeah. exactly Blow, blowing your eardrums out yeah well <laughs> even with headsets on you can still feel the, the yeah. movement the shake the, the horsepower yeah. that those things yeah. are putting out so yeah i i totally agree with that 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 would have some they need to put a soundtrack in there <laughs> i said you could put any any sound you wanted on it like we talked about you could have dolphins chirping on your bike when you go by or whatever you want. Uh, my, you, my, of course you came up with dolphins chirping. I was going to say, that, that <laughs> wouldn't be my first choice. I would put like a well-tuned factory two-stroke uh, 250. Mm. That's the soundtrack I would yeah. put on my so electric I was, bike. I was saying, you know, I've done Pike Peak, Pike's Peak several times, and my, some of my buddies uh, have the record at Pike's Peak on an electric bike, but they have to have sirens on the bikes going up the hill so, they don't, so fans don't step out on the course and get run over. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> Very different. Yeah, good stuff. We're going to get more into some of the the four-stroke stuff here uh, as we get into your questions. Um, That's our Beth Race Wheels front-end chatter. Go over to WhiskeyThrottleMerch.com. we got some new stuff. we got this new sweater. we got a bunch of new T-shirts in all different colors, no matter what brand you ride. you got something there for you. That's thanks to Temecula T-shirt printers. Also, uh, there's the Mad Skills Motocross World Championships are coming up soon, this spring, sometime. And... uh, uh, you can play Jam starting March 23rd to qualify for that. So get on and go to those uh, Jam competitions on there and uh, check it out. All right. Let's get into Dr. D's life. The life and times. <clears throat> How far back are we going? Oh, to the beginning. <laughs> oh, where where were you born? Birth. Garden Grove, California. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what was that like? What, what year were you born? Uh, 1963. So what did it look like back then? I, always, I wish I could see... Well, I mean, Garden it was Grove, there clearly, was... uh, I lived in Anaheim. I think the hospital was just located in Garden okay. Grove, but uh, <clears throat> they're neighboring cities. But yeah, my recollection from when I can actually remember, um, yeah, just such a simple life. Um, uh, summertime, it was just a pack of kids, you know, 3 to 20 either on bicycles, skateboards, unicycles, stilts, <laughs> anything you could build or, or gather from. And we were all, you know, your parents wouldn't see you yeah. from almost sun up. You know, it, it, the whole pack would rush somebody's house for lunch at some point, and then yep. you'd be gone again till dark. And, you know, it's obviously very different today. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's unfortunate that it's... It, it, the funny thing is, in, in kind of this whole current situation it seems like we i see more people out on the trail and you know riding more and you know just family together time more so that's kind of a, a interesting phenomenon but yeah in in like i guess the 60s early 70s it was yeah we lived our lives on our bmx bikes and mm. you know with a shovel in hand and uh Probably, jumps and probably a lot more riding area as well than there is now, huh? Well, yeah, you well, know, yeah, I, all those Anaheim Hills had to be just empty and. Well, I I sound like my father when I roll by <laughs> and tell my kids we used to ride right here, you know, and it's somebody's house, you know, escape country, that yeah. old racing world, yeah. you know, that was actually my very first race, was uh, nineteen May fifteenth, nineteen seventy eight. 
you know, obviously late by today's standards. You know, yeah. I was 14 years old. Well, you're skipping ahead. Don't skip ahead so much. Oh, okay. Tell me about your first bike because this story is great. <laughs> so, you went to the grocery store for... <laughs> well, Jemco, which is like modern-day Costco because they sold everything from lawnmowers to eggs to... Jemco? You, but, Jem, but you Jemco. had to have a membership. You had to have a membership. Uh, it was like... Know, I was a little young to it was like make Fed, that determination, but yeah. Fedco a, and Jemco were the same Were deal. they both yeah, the yeah. same thing? Yeah. So... <clears throat> um, so we went in there, and I remember everyone, my mom and all five of us kids were there, and my dad bought us a three-horsepower, it was Cat was the brand, mini bike. It was orange. Like Caterpillar? Like Caterpillar, okay. but not the oh, same wasn't company. That, okay. Not, okay. not okay. that company, but that was the name of it. It was Cat Mini Bike. It had three-horsepower, like a Briggs & Stratton. Yeah. Uh, rear brake was a piece of steel on the back tire. <laughs> yes. But operated by a pedal. You yeah. didn't hold it in your hand and wedge it. So it was, you know, pretty modern technology. Yeah. Pretty high tech. Yeah, pretty high tech. Um, still pull start. And uh, that was, yeah, it was the only brake, no front brake. But we would just ride it up and down our street, you know, because you could. Nobody yeah. cared. And, yeah. You know, and that was, and of course, we had lots of, a lot more friends because we had the only mini bike on the street at the time. But uh, then we slowly, because I had an older brother that, uh, <clears throat> It somehow warranted we got the five horsepower. Oh. Yeah, so it was gold frame, and it had really modern suspension. It was the same steel fork, but they had slid a spring on the outside before they welded the permanent top triple clamp. Uh. So it had a spring-like... Uh, but it didn't move. It was just not at all. It was the same steel fork that was on the three horsepower, but they had slid a spring over <laughs> ah, for aesthetics. Nice. So, so it handled much better than the three horsepower <laughs> one. Um, but those were the early days. I mean, we would just goof around. You know, my uncle lived in Hesperia, which seemed like a three-day drive, which I know now is only about an hour and ten minutes. But uh, yeah, we'd pack up and go up there, and we would just ride in the empty field next to his house. You just boonie around until, yeah. you know, we either ran out of gas or somebody got hurt. <laughs> and so you guys wore that thing out pretty good, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we didn't get to go up there because uh, is, the, the, is that the cat right there? Uh, that looks very much oh, like wow. it, but we didn't have that sexy seat. That's, <laughs> uh, that, ours was more of the one bottom left there, uh, just a flat oh, yeah, seat yeah. on it. Cat yeah, that one. So that looked more oh, like because there, there was taco. I remember that uh -huh. was what the rich kids had. We, we and they're were, back now. <coughs> I've heard yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, I've heard some of that. But and they're yeah, still expensive. I was <coughs> like, I'm gonna get one, and I'm like, oh no, I'm no, not. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> so yeah, that's pretty much what uh, ours. We didn't have shocks on the seat though. That must have been some evolution of the cat. That was, oh, that, that, was, that was the, the later X. 60s. Yeah, yeah. That was the later 60s. It, only suspension if you sit on the back of the seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're forward where you should be, yeah, no no go. Yeah. <laughs> but so um, my dad was uh, handicapped. He was paraplegic in a wheelchair from oh, an know that. early, early accident. It was funny. Not not funny, haha, -ha, but kind of random how things just full Ironic, circle. Yeah. But I, the he got hurt at Disneyland. Uh, he was an, uh, a machinist, so he would build and, and maintain a lot of the rides. Well, he uh -huh. was up on the Matterhorn where you go up kind of side by side and you turn off. Yeah. <clears throat> so he was up on the track before they had catwalks. This was in, gosh, what year was this? It was 58, I think he got hurt, 58 or 59. But uh, so they, you know, the one operator, no, oh, there's men on the track, you know, don't send any cars. And then. Changed operators 8 o'clock at night. Now this new operator sent a car. Well, it sounds all the same. 
because it's just changed. Yeah. Well, here comes a car. Hits my daddy, falls over 100 feet, hitting various structures on the way oh, down, and somehow lived. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So, so my kind of not just early, but my total riding career was almost sold. You know, I was just on my own, my brother and another friend of my brother's, Kenny Linderman. And they're the ones who kind of allowed me to start racing, you know, because I was just a punk kid riding his BMX yeah. bike all day, every day. And so, how, how much older was your brother? Like, could he drive? Not, not early on. Well, no, yeah, he could drive because I really started riding. Or, or my first race, I was fourteen, so he would have been seventeen. Okay. Yeah, seventeen, eighteen. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so our first adventure to the race was a, a Chevelle wagon with a three rail trailer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And on that very first day, which was quite funny, uh, my brother was always, you know. In a hurry, never <laughs> quite kind of locking everything down. But we show up at the track, and his Elsinore 125 had fallen off, oh. and we drug it for no I don't know way. how long. But so the one side handlebar was about two inches shorter, <laughs> yeah. and the one side foot peg and shifter were. He raced it barely. There. Just, no, he raced it just like that, oh holding on to this little knob of a handlebar. But <clears throat> so that was our, our first adventure. And my dad only went to the races twice. He went. Early on to Escape Country and okay. watched me, and then he went to one Supercross. Wow. And that was, you know, obviously 10 years Just after Just because us. it was uh, tough for him to get around? Yeah, yeah, and by that time, his health was declining, oh. and so, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he would, we'd bring him Cycle News and all that sort of stuff, yeah. but he was somewhat bedridden. Yeah, right when my career was, you know, kind of in the meat. Yeah, also, also I think when you look back... Um, you know, if, if you got hurt at that point in time, you know, if you look at the the 60s and 70s and that, a lot of things weren't very accommodating to people yeah. in, you know, wheelchairs and things like that. It, you know, it's only sort of been the last 20, 30 years, I think, that it's like, oh, hey, we got to accommodate to yeah. these people. <coughs> yeah, but so the one of the things that everyone, oh, wow, you guys must be millionaires. Your dad got, you know, handicapped by a major, you know, Disney, and I think he got some settlement of you know a thousand dollars or You're something no it's like nothing different but time to a totally different yeah. time before if that the happens lawyers today so, yeah yeah exactly he owns disneyland yeah, yeah. We're, we're all living on top of the hill <laughs> at that time it's like it's your fault you shouldn't have been up there yeah you should have, you should have heard there. the car why coming? did you hear the car <laughs> Rub some dirt on it get up yeah. get up you'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of to the point of, you know, the mini bikes and all that, you know, he wasn't real active to take us. So, we got to yeah. go like twice a year, we'd go up there. But so, the rest of the time, we were just booning up and down our neighborhood street. Was he, or, did he help you work on bikes and stuff earlier? Yeah, on? that yeah. was because he was an old drag racer. Okay. And so, I was always around from little kid, you know, I was always around engines and just fabricating. Because what he'd done after his accident, he went back to work and he worked for Knott's Berry Farm and... Sid and Marty Croft, if anyone knows that name, they did HR Puffin stuff, which was like a HR uh, Puffin stuff. Yeah, so Why they does had that those little familiar? six w wheel vehicles. Yeah, they oh, had those God. like six wheel vehicles that they drove around, and you know they're all yeah, in costume yeah, yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, my dad built half of that stuff. Oh, so is that right? He was so <clears throat> he was very instrumental, and that's where I think I kind of developed this sort of testing background knowledge thing because I just understand, you know, working mechanical things very yeah. well from the show growing had a, up and all that. The show had what? a talking flute. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, what was it? It's that crazy puff? HR puffing stuff. Yeah, well, the name like that was probably some hippie. Things yeah. going on. Well, I was going to say that, that name's done full circle. It's probably cool again. There's probably a store down the road called that right now. Exactly, but uh, so. It just limited the amount that we went and rode and did yeah. all that until my brother was, he was kind of instrumental in, in taking me to my first race because, of course, you know, I was scared to death. I'm yeah. like, no, you got to be really good to race. So, well, what was your uh, first, you bought your first real bike was a, a uh, XR, 80, right? XR 75 was okay. my first real bike, the okay. gray one, the one with the Elsinore shape tank because yep. it was the 73 had the bubble tank and yep. then the 74 had the sleek uh -huh. tank, but still. Uh, it was kind of a dark, almost a gunmetal, yeah. metallic yeah. gray. And then, of course, I had the little flyer on, taped on my wall of the red one. Identical bike. They just painted it red, and I thought, oh, my God. God I, I the God one. I have yeah. that. Never got it, but that's okay. So, so in your first race, uh, tell us about that, because if I understand that right that didn't go great initially either <laughs> well yeah because so here my brother just they would go racing him and my uh, my brother's kurt and then his buddy kenny linderman they would go and race little local races and stuff and <clears throat> so he said oh you should come and race well they were riding for premier yamaha or that's where they purchased their bikes and got the jersey but uh <laughs> on beach boulevard uh-huh down there in huntington beach and so somehow this all happened kind of uh, Without my knowledge, hey, we're going to go racing, and we got you a bike. And I'm like, <clears throat> well, I had ridden, so I'll give you a little Yamaha history here. So in 77, the Yamaha YZ80 was at the end of that era of technology. Well, 78, it was like a whole brand new thing. Monoshock, much better engine, suspension, everything. <clears throat> so... I had my XR75, but I've been riding my buddy 78, and I'm like, oh, this thing is magic. Well, they had borrowed some way over-tuned, you know, tuned to a standstill, <laughs> as comes to mind, <clears throat> the 77. Okay. Some old race bike that someone turned into Premier Yamaha. So we show up, and I ride the thing, and my buddy came along with the 78, and we're like, I told my brother after riding it in practice, I said, this thing's horrible. Jetting was bad. You know, the forks bought. I yeah. said, this thing's just almost unrideable. So I talked my buddy, Colin Gibbons, into letting me race his bike. So we, I go out and I ride the first moto, and I'm like, well, I'm not a beginner, so I'll ride novice. Uh, that's how, you know, because there's four classes back then, beginner, novice, intermediate, and expert. <clears throat> so I race his bike. And even in the novice class, I won by like a half a lap. And they're going, oh, okay, well, yeah, it was a three-moto system. My only time in 78 is right about when these things started changing. Okay. So second moto, same thing. Get out there, and I win by a long shot. So then the third moto, and here's a little more Yamaha. Uh, what was it? The uh, What was it? Wrench report stuff. Remember when Yamaha used to do that? Shively yeah. would cut five millimeters out of your pipe, and they would do a whole little thing, and they were doing development. Well, I didn't know that the 78YZ80 had a poor frame design. It was the box type with the swing arm went on the outside. Okay. <clears throat> well, apparently they sold a seven-piece gusset kit. Well, so about halfway through that third moto, chain comes off, goes through the case. I mean, literally oh. destroys my friend's bike. Because that thing would start doing this. Oh, no. <clears throat> and so I went 1-1 DNF in my first race, which ended up being kind of the story of my career <clears throat> as we get a little further down the road. Yeah. But So I felt so bad, destroyed my friend's bike, but went to Premier Yamaha, got the little gusset kit, and my buddy, <clears throat> Kenny Linderman, who kind of, he worked at a muffler shop, so they had a lot of welding there, and so got the thing up and going, and 
<coughs> you guys so, fixed it up? Fixed it up. How'd uh, you fix the case? <coughs> I don't know what they did. JB Weld, the heck my, <coughs> I don't know what they did because that was kind of my brother and uh, and his friend that sort of took care of the whole thing, but mm. got it all back together for my friend and, and uh, off we went. And then... Just a few months after that, was what was my what was the race? I thought you you did a race and you forgot your gear. So that was my very first pro race. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that's well, right. Yeah, I can jump ahead, but no, you no, got no, mad no, at no, me no. the last no, time, no. so I'll, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll, I'll patiently sit here. Big will lean over and whoop your ass if you jump <laughs> yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's why I got you between us. You yeah, exactly. you see, okay. he, he has a list. He so, has a list. Well, I, just, I like to keep it in chronological order. I'm a yep. little OCD. He's borderline OCD. Yeah, okay, borderline. So this, so you. You pretty much killed your first race, mm -hmm. and then killed the bike. And then killed my friend's bike. <laughs> so in an eleven-month span, you go from the novice class to the expert class, right? Yep. Okay, so that's your first pro race. T take us through that. So eighty expert. So eighty expert. Now this was my my forgot the gear was one twenty five pro. Oh, <coughs> but oh, so, okay. But so yeah, I went <clears throat> from right around that uh, May June back around to April. World Mini Grand Prix at Saddleback Park. So I'd only been racing for about and 11 the months. World Minis at Saddleback? Yeah, yeah back huh. then they did. And then Indian Dunes, so, right? <laughs> yep, yeah. Indian Dunes as well. So I rode. Hey, I would skip school to go to that because they would have it in April, and they yep. would have it throughout the week. And I went to Orange High School, so me and buddies would go up there and just skip school and just go watch. I didn't race it. Is that, that, what, is that what happened to you? <laughs> oh, yeah, that explains a lot, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't so, the only time you skipped school, was it? No, <laughs> not the only time. <laughs> So yeah, I, I show up and yeah, I don't and know. What were you riding? About all this still on that seventy-seven? No, 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 the same okay. seventy-eight because okay. I got uh, for my birthday in June. I'd got a seventy-eight oh, okay. YZ80. All right, and uh, <clears throat> so it rode that love with it, the kit you know. with the. Uh, we gusseted it straight okay. away. Okay. Yeah, straight away. And uh, but yeah, it was a great bike. You know, just uh, that made you a good tester. You're like, we learned from <clears throat> our mistake. We're moving forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I've got a, a little offshoot story of right uh, probably. January, February, or something. My brother decides he gets a, uh, I think it was Terry Cable or somebody sent uh, bought or, or sold this kit that was a longer damper rod. So now you had longer suspension. Okay. Can you remember those kits? No. <laughs> so on the old fork, you know, you, your damper rod is where the bolt screwed in, yeah. and so that's what kept the fork together. Mm -hmm. Well, if you just made a longer rod, now you had longer suspension. The bike looked funny. It looked like it was jacked <clears throat> up. It was really well, funny looking. But then I also got a Thor swing arm and a Kernut shock. Kernut, I remember that. I think something like that. So the whole thing was raised up. <laughs> wasn't very good, <laughs> like but my brother, yeah, my brother <laughs> thought it was a great idea. So we go down to Barona Oaks for a race. And I'm ripping around there, and I can't remember who I was battling with, but <clears throat> it was for the lead. And we're racing around, racing around, and a little bit of dust, and just going and going. And all of a sudden, I do the smallest jump and just crash my brains out, right? I'm like, oh, I must have hit a rock or something. So I run over to my bike to pick it up, and the front wheel is over there with the two lower fork legs. Oh, <laughs> and no. And the two damper rods are folded <laughs> under the fork legs because... Got the, too long and the, there was no... No, no, no. The, the, it, my brother, again, always in a hurry, the, the bolts came out. Oh. So the forks came apart. Yikes. <clears throat> and so... It was a lot of those little trial yeah. trial and errors along the way. I think for everyone, you know, I, I can't pick on my brother. He he did everything. I mean, he was yeah. the greatest guy. He got me so far yeah. in my racing because he had a job and had money. You know, our family and you know, my dad lived on Social Security and you know doing odd break jobs and little weird things. But so uh, just <clears throat> along that uh, technology road, so we put the stock damper rock okay. back in after okay. that. <clears throat> but so yeah, come along April. 
uh, whatever level that bike was by that time, but we went there and raced, and it's just like I was blown away. I'd never seen a race like that. I'd been doing little, yeah, you know. Actually, that was the first time I'd ever been to Saddleback because we just went to Scape Country because it was close to the yeah, house, yeah. and that's just you know you just kind of out of habit. You'd go there, and so how big was the World yeah. Mini at that point? I mean, like it was huge. We had to ride qualifiers, thousand riders, oh, at least because oh, we yeah, had to ride okay. qualifiers. I was eighty expert. You know, it was like George Holland and Eric Kehoe were the two top guys at that time. Okay, and so. I don't remember all the other names. I should go back and look at it because I probably beat a lot of fairly good guys. But yeah. I got when my bike didn't break because I had, I think I had a sprocket come loose and come apart. I had a couple things throughout the day, but I got a couple of thirds behind those two guys. And I remember huh. like, <clears throat> it was probably the point I realized, oh, you know, I, this is not, I might actually be able to do this, yeah. you know, as a a path to something you know so you who knows what we we're all trying to do but the the bigger size of the event you didn't get freaked out at all i mean you still performed it well like. it was funny because i was freaked out in practice because i didn't know the track and i'm riding around just lost but then one of them i think it was kehoe come by me and i'm like oh, i'll just latch onto that guy and that really helped me and so then i in because you had like 27 practices because <laughs> you know the way those events were ran <clears throat> so then i learned quickly hey and I think the other one, maybe like Sam Storer was a KX80 kid. He okay. was also pretty good. So I would sit beside the edge of the track and wait for one of those fast guys to come by. And I would jump on yeah. behind him and just ride until I either fell or they just pulled away from me. But steep learning curve. That was yeah. for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I just, it's interesting because I grew up racing in Montana. And the first world, <laughs> first big event I ever went to was the World Mini. But this was out in Henderson when mm -hmm. it moved out there. It would have been 85 and I, it blew my mind, you know, just all the pageantry of it, all the factories yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. They had, you know, they Cowie would bring their guy, all, all the teams would bring their factory riders. Like, it was just a whole nother world for me. Yeah. And I was, my ass was just puckered shut like this. <laughs> I rode terrible. I'd get a whole shot and just, people were just blowing by me. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I, I think that was later. I remember that feeling. That was my first race in the U.S. I did the World Minis in 96, and that racing with Marley, Pastrana, Buckaloo. Buckaloo yeah. was the man on the Super Mini at the oh, time. Oh, yeah. At that time, he was, like, almost untouchable. Yeah. But it was funny. Same thing. I came over, and I was like, holy shit. I'd never seen a semi-truck at, tr at a track, yeah. ever. And to see them just lined up, and I'm like, but I was like, this is, this is not even the pros. I was like, whoa! <laughs> you know, like, this is nuts! <laughs> like, in South Africa, we go to the pro races, and, like, something similar to a sprinter would be, like, full factory. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, cause to go to an amateur race and see that, and that amount of people. It yeah. just like we had never seen anything. Well, yeah, like I was this. used to racing in gates with maybe five, ten guys. Yeah, same, you know. So mm -hmm. yeah, and that like you're saying, forty man <laughs> gates, and then there's three or four qualifiers of, of them. If you tell your buddy, dude, I went down the first turn, I still won. Yeah, you passed six guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two of them didn't even have a visor on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack well, you no, there. So. It's so true. I think I kind of learned later once I almost thought, hey, you know, I could win this race, whatever it sure. happened to be. I think that's when the pressure came to me because back then I was just almost so naive and determined. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I think carried me through a lot of situations yeah. that I had a little more determination than most of the people that I was racing against. Yeah. So I think that carried me through the first little while and then it was later when you know i'd won the first moto and rolling up to the second moto of whatever event then that was like now the pressure's on i gotta do this again yeah, yeah. can't we just call it after that i yeah. won the other yeah. <laughs> aren't we over so kehoe and holland you mentioned who are the other like top guys of that time do you remember so there was like uh 
uh, what I mentioned, Sam's Storer. There was a, a shop down on Chapman Avenue that had some of the top kids. I think they were all on Suzuki's at that time. Okay. And uh, like Tracy Meeks comes to mind. He was a, another Cowie, like a Team Green guy. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Bunch. Bruce, yeah, Rick Bruce Hemme Bunch. and Bunch and all yep. them. They were a little bit behind me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I was already on 125s when those guys were like mm -hmm. the the whole and show. What about that. pro in the pro class? Who were like the guys you were looking up to at that time? So at that time, you know, Bob Hanna was. He was the man. Yeah, he yeah. was the man. And then, you know, it, you'd follow. Um, uh, Brad Lackey, because he was in the GPs and that, you know, we all just rushed down to get our cycle news and we would just pour over every word. And then if you ever made a little picture or a mention in Western Hotline, because that was always the, you know, the California races. But and so it was funny because Orange County Cycle on Harbor Boulevard, they were close enough because cycle news was down in Long Beach. And somebody would drive down because they would come out on a Wednesday but they were available Tuesday off print. Someone would drive down and they would literally be 40 people waiting for that guy to drive back Is with the right? cycle news and we'd all grab our coffee and because we, we hope we made some little picture from the local saturday yeah. saddleback race that's so funny <laughs> yeah, yeah when you're i mean shoot even as a pro you're always like oh, i got a picture in here like it's so or yeah, it's so yeah. exciting well, we see. all got <laughs> egos of some <laughs> level uh, maybe not you grant but you know david no, yeah, grant, definitely. No, not at all no i remember the first time i saw myself on the cover of cycle news it was kind of like Yep, that's what you get when you win a Supercross. <laughs> yeah. You know, like walk around the house. Work at that. Hey, I, wor I worked at Orange County Cycle for a little while. No, oh, did you? Yeah. Bill? Was Bill, Bill the Bill, owner? He was yeah. crazy. Yeah, he, he absolutely. Was yeah. Yeah, Davin was the uh, parts manager. Davin Melendez. I still Melendez. Talk, yeah, I still talk yeah. to Davin every and once Saul, in a while. And Saul was the service manager. Saul's still around. Saul's I know, I see him employee. all the time. Yeah. I talk to him all the time. Yeah, yeah Saul's great. It's, it's funny, whenever I see Saul, for a while there, it was always some old story, and now I just say hi because, you know, it's it, a little bit it, distant, but it's, it's interesting. All these people that have lasted in the industry that yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's like once you get in, it's, people don't leave. No, it's it's. Hey, tough. that was the hub of that. Orange County Cycle was like a hub of racing for Orange County. Like everybody that had anything well, to do with Yamaha yeah, would I mean, go there. Uh, love them or not, Davin did a great job. Yeah, he always had the parts. You know, this guy Davin Melendrez, he's still kind of around in some ways. I don't know if he's living in Florida or California at any given time, but yeah, uh, just a great, passionate guy. You know, and he Bill just gave him, yeah, here you go. You know, there's yeah. enough rope. Try not to hang yourself but i mean he would stock everything so that was the go-to place you know and then they had that little yamaha support thing that you could you know get a bike buy one and get one uh, however it all worked but yeah i had some yamahas through those guys get a free years. set of grips and a couple something stickers. like that yeah <laughs> we need to go back to that <laughs> yeah, <I> know, right? <laughs> so all right when did you get on to the 125 then so uh, pretty much soon after that world mini thing because yeah. i was getting big on the bike and that was before super minis everyone yeah. was still on the 14, 17 inch yep. wheel. Yeah. So, you and know, there was no was 100 cc's at that time? <clears throat> there was a 100 cc class, but it was just basically a sleeve down 125. Oh, okay. So it just, yeah, there, 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 there was a gap, and, you know, and that's obviously where Super Mini kind of filled in years yeah. later. But so, yeah, I got on a 125 in uh, kind of mid 79 when, <clears throat> excuse me, when the 79s came out, YZ 125. And uh, <clears throat> back then, they were still the oddball that would try and stay in the intermediate class and win, 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 collect his trophies. But 
all of us, or at least me, I was in such a hurry to get to the pro class because I've worked mowing lawns. I did everything to afford racing. I wanted to make money yeah. at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. So I spent six weeks on a 125 uh, racing the intermediate class. I tried to sign up a novice because I was kind of afraid. I'm like, wow, these guys are big. This bike's big and all that. But I said, no, if you're an expert on an 80, you have to ride at least intermediate. You can't drop down yeah. to all that stuff. But So I went on a big winning spree. I, don't, I think the only intermediate race I ever lost was when I had a bike problem. But in back then, you could race just about every day of the week. Yeah. Night races, yeah, you know, you'd go to, and uh, OCIR, Orange County International Raceway, which is now long gone, but <clears throat> I think it's the Great Park now, or at least part of the Great Park over there. But Off of Sand Canyon. Yeah. So we would go there, and I grew up there as a kid. You know, my brother, I would hang out with him. He'd hand out the ET slips in that little booth after you did your run. So, I mean, I grew up at that place. And then when they had a night motocross, I'm like, oh, this is great. So we would go and race there. But <clears throat> so, yeah, I was at least one night a week, sometimes two, and then Saddleback Saturday and then any other race you could you find racing on that Sunday. Much. <clears throat> yeah, I was racing at least three times a week, sometimes four. Jeez. But. You know, my brother and his buddy Kenny, they, they had money because they had jobs. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I just, I was just, I loved racing. Corona Friday night? <clears throat> yeah, I did some of those, but they were a little scary. You know, you had a 300-foot straightaway with, you know, a couple of 90-watt light bulbs <laughs> dangling in the wind, blowing around. <laughs> you know, so you do. <clears throat> when you got out of the main stadium, like they had a little, yeah. I think it was just a short track. It was there. a short track, yeah. So <clears throat> but when you went up on the hill, I mean, you might as well close your eyes. It was that black out there in the hills. Yeah. So yeah. practice was good. First moto, mm, second moto, you couldn't see anything. Yeah. So you could do Ascot Wednesday night, OCI Thursday, Friday was Corona, then SMX on Saturday, and then CMC on Sunday. Anything, yep. CRC, CMC, yep. wherever. Yep. And especially once I turned pro, you know, you were just digging through the cycle news. Who's got a purse? You know, yeah. Yeah. you just chase those purses around. But <clears throat> so anyway, I, I went quickly through the intermediate class. So then I, now, now we're at yeah. the uh, Forgot My Gear race. <laughs> so I was so excited to ride my first pro race, Saddleback Saturday. And I'm like, oh, God, everything's going to be perfect. And I'm out there, you know, waxing my used tire and trying to, like, <laughs> make everything as good as I could. Washing my gear, had it sitting right on the dryer, everything. So we were so anxious in the morning. We leave, we get to the track. I got no gear. So I ride practice in just a T-shirt and jeans. I had my boots and helmet and all that. And uh, <clears throat> so we call my dad. He gets in the car to <clears throat> bring it. Well, uh, and I think this is why I had nightmares for, oh, I don't know, still today, um, <laughs> of missing practice. So Because I, I, I got practice, but my dad shows up before the race, and I'm running around trying to get this gear on. You know, it's like a yeah. bad nightmare. You know, your yeah. foot won't go through your pants. God, or I still your have that nightmare. Buckle. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I've got some real, you know, foundation <laughs> for having that nightmare. But... So I, and I remember it was so funny. My brother was so mad. He's standing on the start with my bike, and here I come running up, you know, from a hundred yard dash. Oh, there goes the gate. And then my brother standing. He's the only guy there, obviously, with a bike. And I run up. He lets it go. It falls, and I run, pick it up. He was so pissed at me. He let it fall. <laughs> he let it fall, and I go. And, uh, and there's only four guys. Yeah, I can remember it was Bobby Sullivan. If you ever remember that guy. Uh, Chris Heiser, you remember him? He was uh, famous for being the first girl or the first guy to ever, uh, uh, how would you say, have uh, intimate relations with Heather Locklear. And I think even not too long right? ago, well, I don't watch TV much, but uh, somebody told me recently, like maybe a year ago, that 
you know, all this, uh, what are those uh, shows where it's... Uh, reality? Uh, yeah, not reality, but it's like all the... Anyway, where Heather's in trouble and this guy and they're, you know, fighting and doing all this stuff on the stupid shows. Okay. It was Chris. Is that right? Yeah, so they're still kind of on and off again. I guess Heather's kind of a mess. I don't know, but um, so he's a legend. I, I need to meet this guy. <laughs> yeah, so Chris Heiser, because I guess they went to high school together down in Newport Beach or something. Okay. But, um, and then I think it was Pat Hubbs and myself. So there's only four of us. So I catch up and I beat two of them. So I get second in the first moto, and I'm like happy. And uh, so the second moto. Well, somebody breaks and I win, so I won my first race, you know, whopping like 35 bucks. But uh, so that was my, my first pro race. Saddleback Saturday was uh, missing the start. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, and you were, now, did you have a job at that point or did you? At that point, I was still like. Just, still in school. No, not really. At that point, I was going to like continuation school because that was kind of the equivalent of homeschooling. Okay. I would go to like a night school so I could ride and stuff. And, uh. So that I was probably just turned 17, but uh, I had my own vehicle at that point. You know, anyone that knew me around Saddleback, it was the purple Datsun, you know, okay. this, this old oh, beater yeah. truck, <laughs> the old beater truck. But it got me to the races, and uh, so that was. And then at that point forward, you know, I parlayed that 35 bucks that I made at Saddleback that day into you know huge, huge money down the road. Not. <laughs> But that's what we did. You know, we raced three, Making four a times a week. And, you know, yeah. and then a little bit later, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead. What's, what's your next question here? Steady. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. Pump your brakes now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just uh, kind of between that and your first national that you raced, um, what was going on? Just a lot of local racing and... Yeah, so, you know, that was 79 that I had my first race. And so I just, I was a local kid because I didn't yeah. have the money to go do the big races. You know, go Texas and all the spring or any of the amateur races, yeah. uh, Ponca City, all that kind of stuff. I just, it didn't even enter my mind, so I just stayed locally. Well, <clears throat> so in 82, I did my first national. I went to Carlsbad. Okay. And uh, that was quite... An interesting experience. That's when everybody was had these giant front number plates. Oh, yeah. And I don't know, maybe they were progressing too far, whatever it was. But I had a square front number plate. And by this time, uh, I was on the famous Suzuki's. Because I've been a Yamaha guy my whole life. But for a short period, I rode these Suzuki's. Okay. Because in 81, 82, it was like a cheating if you rode an RM125 versus wow. any of the other bikes. Is that right? It was that good. 81, 82, well, 83. 84 was a new bike. Yeah. <clears throat> but so that that short period I was on Suzuki's and it was because my Yamaha's at that time uh, I had a lot of failures. Well, I I think I whatever happened first moto, but my bike broke and I so I got I borrowed my buddy's bike and we put some electric tape numbers and we went out there and I absolutely smashed these guys that I was battling with in the first moto. Second moto I smashed them. I'm like that's not even fair. Mm. So I went and bought at uh, Orange County Suzuki, the Cavness brothers, Steve and Scott Cavness. Um, I went and bought a used RM125 in 82. This was probably the beginning of 83 or maybe midway through 83. <clears throat> but um, I bought a used RM125, 550 bucks. <laughs> and I, on that single bike, I won more races. I rode it for probably 18 months. 
and it was a test of my mechanical abilities because it was I had the thing and the cases were so wore out the main bearings were like swimming so I'd learned from my dad hey just pin those things you know so we were grinding <laughs> grinding the main bearing dropping it in and then drilling and banging a roll pin i mean we hit like everything to patch that thing together but yeah. i won more it was funny i wish i still had it but i had like a sheet of paper it started out you know it's like a plan ahead and I, you know nice big and then by the end it had all these little amounts all just tucked in everywhere but i kept how much money i made each week on this yeah. bike you know uh, it'd be ocir 35 bucks or you know, Saddleback Saturday, 80 bucks or whatever. And it yeah. was just funny. I wish I still had that piece of paper. But be great that bike paid for itself a few times over. times over and really kind of opened some of the doors for me. But so my, my story, sorry, I skipped ahead. <laughs> I scoot back here as soon as they swing at me. Um, so <clears throat> I go down to do the Carlsbad National. I drive all the way down when Tech was at the hospital. You know, it's uh, Carlsbad and I live in Orange County. The guy, oh, he gets out the tape measure. Yeah, your numbers are too far above your front fender, uh, whatever the rule was. And I'm like, what? I mean, there's guys that were, <clears throat> I was back at the time, they were laying them up yeah. over, yeah, you yeah. know, Johnny O'Mara's bike. took the stock ones <laughs> off and put the big. <clears throat> but so, stupid side note, but I drive all the way back to probably Orange County Cycle and <laughs> I need a different number plate or something, something and all that sort of stuff. But. So I go to that national, and I'm literally on my own again. By this time, my brother and I were at odds, and just things weren't too good. So I bring my one buddy down there, and uh, so I go out in the first moto, and I'm ripping around there. I don't know. I got a decent start, and I'm just riding around, riding around. Well, my buddy never showed me any pit signs because he was in the beer line. He's over there having a good time watching the races. <laughs> this was... The only time I ever rode 40-minute moto, too, because okay. I was in 82 there, still 40s. I'm riding around, I'm riding around, I'm just dead tired, you know, I'm night moto yeah. guy. or 10, 15-minute moto. So, just almost towards the end, I think I'd had the two-lap board, and I'm like, okay, and somebody's pressuring me, I'm like, oh, God, and I look back, and it's Jeff Ward, and I'm like, huh. So, I move out of the way, and I let Jeff Ward by, for he's lapping me, right? <clears throat> so, I go later, and I look. Yeah, Jeff Ward got 10th. I got 11th in that first moto. <laughs> Dang. Like, Son of a bitch. I shouldn't have let that guy by. But I was good at Carlsbad because I grew yeah. up racing yeah. there, you know, for yeah, years yeah. and years and years. But <clears throat> he must have had a bad start or crashed or done something. Probably crashed, not just a bad start that he's passing me at the 39-minute yeah, yeah. mark. So <clears throat> second moto, bike failure, didn't even finish. But that was my uh, my first national. Uh, 11th? Eight, eight, 82 Carlsbad, 11 DNF. Huh. That's pretty dang yeah. good, though, 11. <clears throat> Not too bad. Especially with no pit board and uh, <laughs> in the purple Datsun. <laughs> yeah, still... <laughs> it, oh, it was absolutely purple Datsun. <clears throat> but uh, so 83, I didn't ride any because when Saddleback came, I had an injury. I've actually got a couple pictures of me riding in practice, and that was it because I I'd, uh, <clears throat> did something to my ankle, and I rode practice, and I never raced. Eight, 83 was 83 just 83 oh. <clears throat> was just one. So then 84... Um, and by this time, 84, I'm working 40-hour a week, a you know, real job. What were you doing? We were, it was a place that made the big glass windows for storefront or okay. you know, like big banks that were all looked like a glass cube. We did that system, which is called curtain wall. So I would run a lot of punch presses and radial saws and just things. Yeah. <clears throat> My brother got me the job there. So I was working full-time, still racing tons. You know, I'd go to work with the bike in the back and <clears throat> ask if I could leave early to beat the traffic up to Ascot or whatever we were doing. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, 
84 Golden State, gnarly, if you can remember. I mean, it was... I, Might as well be I, in that. <laughs> well, yeah. I remember, I can picture it just like it was yesterday. Santa Maria, Golden State, it was the last round. Jeff Ward, Factory Cali, he rode, I think it was Houston Supercross or whatever the night before, flies in in a helicopter and lands so he can secure the 125 championship on his, you know, facts. So that's crazy. That's how important that was, the Golden State series was. That's how was important the Golden yeah. State was back then. I'm just like, oh my gosh. This is, that was a I'm, sand track. I was there. <clears throat> that was really a cool track. I yeah. drive by there all the time to go. My yeah. mom lives up in Atascadero, and every time, you know, my kids are tired. Hey, you know, there was a Golden State. And it's like, they oh, didn't God, ride that Dad. track very much. That track was I not I think ridden. it was like they just put it in almost. They just put for it in, that. yep. Mm-hmm. For that event, yeah. and there's a whole other funny Mike Byer story to that day, but we'll we'll skip that for now. <clears throat> so, um, I got laid off from my job. Uh, they they cut you know like forty percent of the workforce, and everyone was gone the week before that Golden State. So I remember being at that Golden State, and Mike Byer needed something to get like maybe second or third in the series, and. So the whole, but anyway, through the whole day, they were telling me, oh, yeah, we're going to Florida for the first Nashville next week. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, good luck. That, that, that sounds like fun, but yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be home. You know, I've got to go find another job or whatever. And, and he goes, oh, you should go with us. I'm like, oh, no, you know, I, I, I took a crack, and I did okay at the one I did, and blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, no, you should come, you know, because I beat him that day, and I didn't beat him very often. I beat him that day. He's like, you should go, you should go. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So I had a little bit of money just because I was working full time and uh, wha- you know whacking back those thirty five dollar a night at Ascot's <laughs> yeah. and just so, racking them up. Yeah, big money. <clears throat> so uh, I ended up going. I said, "All right, yeah, you know, I think I even bought a new rear tire and uh, drove all the way to Florida by my not by myself. I went with Mike, but it was him and his mechanic and me. So I went there with no mechanic. You know, signed up the morning of the race like you used to be able to do." Yeah. Uh, Gaines, so, is that Gatorback? Gainesville, yeah, yeah. Never been there before, obviously. Yeah. And so Mike, uh, his mechanic, Ted Cabral, still, you know, crazy funny guy. And he, he goes, okay, well, you know, I can kind of help you. You know, if you guys are not in the same heat race, then I can, you know, of course, Mike and I are in the same heat race. They're like, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll just deal with it. And so, of course, Mike and I go one, two. He won. I got second in the heat in race. In the heat? Okay. So he's like, he, he's going, it was simple. You guys were like trying to kill each other. I just put the pit board out. You <laughs> yeah, know, just this watch. many laps. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Just so hold then, it out a little longer. So then... Um, First motor comes around, you know, I'm like, okay, I got my bike leaned against the fence. I'm over there fixing my start spot. I had a pretty good pick because I got second in the, yeah. I think there was three heats back then. I mean, there's freaking 140 guys or something trying to qualify for the national. So we do the whole thing. I get a decent start, and I'm just riding my brains out. And who do I end up racing with? Mike Byer. Yeah. So we're going around there, and I don't know, I'm passing some guys I'd never heard of before. You know, I'm 298. I was the price tag. That's what they, they donned my number as the price tag. And so <laughs> we're ripping around there. I kind of, after the race, it was probably 15, 20 minutes in, I'm like, I think I'm doing pretty good. Because I started seeing, because I was actually catching Mike. I started seeing his pit boards. He was in fourth. And I'm like, Holy crap. So I'm going and going, and this is the story that will last forever. So they're at Gainesville that year. They come off the kind of the last drop-off. You went up and down that wall a few yeah. times, and then you went into that little man-made section, and then by the finish line. So there was kind of a groove cut in. Right after you come off that last drop, there was just a low line. that The jump almost didn't exist, and then everything else was kind of big. And so 
kind of had an opportunity to take him down, but I needed to ride home from Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's how it stands forever and ever. But <clears throat> so I, he got, and it's funny because the mechanic said that I went like, my ears must have been popping because I still tried to hit the jump at his speed and he went the low line and I guess I was, Way I don't remember, there. I was just want, wanted to beat my friend. <laughs> but <clears throat> so I went out and got fifth in my first real national yeah. moto. Which is pretty good because you know it's that was a year that it was just two factory guys that were gone. Every moto they went one two. Who, who, who O'Mara and Jeff Ward. Okay. So those two guys went one two in every moto. So the rest of us were really trying to get third. Yeah. Who was third in that race? <clears throat> so in that race, I think it was. So the, I'll give you kind of the list of people. It was Rick Ryan, A.J. Whiting, and I think Gary Bowman. Those three might have been the Suzuki kind of okay. factory guys, even though they're kind of production-based bikes. They weren't true factory bikes. And then Yamaha, Mike Byer was kind of, he ended up getting third that year. In the championship? In the championship. Wow. Yeah, not too many people remember what that. What about Keith he was, Bowen? So Bowen was, he might have been on a 250 that year. Because I think the following year, 85, he was on a 125. Number 14 in that photo yeah. I showed you. But um, <clears throat> I don't remember Bowen much from there. But uh, Guy Cooper, because it was his rookie year also, so he was number 107 on a Honda. Jeez. And then um, Kehoe, uh, I think he was, he might have been one of the Suzuki guys then. Um, yeah, like. But it was a talented field. Yeah. Oh, so to get fifth, deep. what were you riding? Were you on a Yamaha again? No, I was still on that used, beat-up Suzuki. No way. <laughs> well, no. Actually, uh, I was on, I borrowed a bike from Jody Weissel, one of his MXA test bikes. So a fairly stock Suzuki. You know, Mitch did put a pipe on it and did yeah. a little something. But yeah, I was on a borrowed bike. I just, <clears throat> I, they let me ride it through Golden State because I didn't really yeah. have the money to buy my own. But yeah, so I took that same bike down to Gainesville. Jeez. Now, and, uh, did you get the suspension and stuff valved back then? Or? Uh, not really. I think Enzo did that bike. And <laughs> another funny, stupid Enzo, or uh, me, poor, broke, riding junk bikes. One day at Saddleback, I got like second or third in one of those big, you know, Saddleback 5,000. It was a $5,000 pro purse, and they, you, know, you had to ride qualifiers just to get in the pro main motos. And <clears throat> I think I got third or fourth behind some real fast guys. And, I remember I took my suspension down to Ross, and I'm like, hey, this thing seems loose. It was the, you know, the reservoir had that long hose, and then it was yeah. up under the tank. Well, apparently, it had no nitrogen in it. And I told him, hey, this thing's been kind of loose. So, with no nitrogen, that cap didn't have the pressure to hold it against the little ring. And I go, that thing, it's been like that for a few days now. And he's like, you raced it like that? And I'm like, yeah, I got like third yesterday. And he's like... Laughing. Oh my God! What an idiot! I told him it, it did bottomed a lot and it didn't handle very well. So that was the beginning of my testing, I guess. But uh, so so a little yeah, nitrogen. He, you were a happy man. Yeah. After he fixed it up, I was like, and that was when I first met Ross. He was in a little shop over by the River Trail down in Santa Ana. Somebody said, "Hey, this is the guy you need to, you know, go and see." And that was '83 on my '82 Suzuki, but. So, yeah, I was on uh, okay. a borrowed bike at that national as well. So um, so maybe getting let go was the best thing that ever happened to you. It kind of pushed you out the door. Well, I've said that a thousand times, that yeah. that was really what sparked me to, because, you know, going down there, and it's funny, so second moto, I washed my bike, which I never really did, and I must have got water in the car, because I wow. go second moto Gainesville, down, like you drop down on the pit, right about there, thing dies. Mm. So I'm sitting on the side of the track, kick, 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 and I'm like, 
almost threw my hands up, and I'm like, I'll try it again. And I couldn't even hear the bike, so that's how far the pack was. <clears throat> got the bike running, got going, and uh, came all the way from a distant 40th to get 12th in that second moto. So I got ninth overall, so I was in the top 10 going to Hangtown. So I, I, at that point, I said, I can't go get another job. You know, I'm yeah. top 10 in I'm kind America. Of a big deal. Now. I'm, yeah. I'm a pretty big deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, that was... One of those things, those defining moments that you think, yeah. what if I would have never got laid off? I would have yeah. just kept working and riding local race stuff, likely. So, Everything yeah, that was weird. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. So, did you do the whole series that you were so I did the whole series, and uh, obviously, Saddleback was easy to go to. Of course, I was sick as a dog, flu. I don't know if probably anxiety going, I'm in the top 10. I got to yeah. go race again. Can't we just quit now? Because I felt pretty good at that other place. <laughs> but, um, did that, sick as a dog. I think yeah, I was somewhere 12th or something. Not that good. Went to Hangtown, had a pretty good one. By the time we needed to kind of head back east, I had, you know, kind of got a mechanic, sort of just a kid that was willing to drive with me. And when did we drive that first? I think we were just still in my pickup truck. Went to, you know, some of those. And then later, uh, we got a trailer. Because, you know, so stuff didn't get rained on yeah. or stolen or whatever. But <clears throat> so throughout that, uh, yeah, I think Those it was. Those were like was. the cool trailers back yeah, then. My, I yeah, I might not have been that cool. It might have oh, been okay. some other <laughs> off-brand, to be honest. Brandon but, Sperling's dad owned it, remember? Yeah, Brandon's, yeah, yeah. I remember that. that. Yeah. yeah. He owned a pallet company, too. Um, <clears throat> so, and throughout that year, I had these really good rides where I'd get like a fifth or something. And then bike would break or something and I'd get a DNF but I was battling with Guy Cooper for that rookie of the year honor mm. thing Okay, and he and I would just we actually became good friends then we're still you know to this day but <clears throat> you know because he was much like me they, they drove some sedan with a three rail trailer for half the <laughs> year you know him and, and Jane are driving around doing pretty much the same thing I was and so that was Kind of just, it was just such a big learning curve. But I remember sort of another defining point of that year was Millville. Um, you know, obviously, I've never been to any of these tracks before. So I go to Millville, and first moto, I'm ripping around there, and I'm just having, it's still one of my favorite tracks today. And uh, I catch up, you know, pass this guy, pass that guy. I'm like, man, I'm feeling pretty good. Hottest humid day. Uh -huh. and, but I didn't know. I'm like, well, man, I'm packing these guys pretty easily. So I, I got like six in the first moto. Feeling pretty good. You know, I think I passed Rick Ryan and, you know, just a handful yeah. of guys that are like factory guys. And I'm still in a sedan and a trailer. And <clears throat> so second moto. Same thing. I'm like, man, I'm feeling pretty good. Past Bayer, past, you know, A.J. Whiting, past all these guys. I get into third. I, you know, third was like winning a moto because Johnny and, and Jeff were already yeah. somewhere, <laughs> somewhere else on the track. But so I'm going around there, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. I get the two-lap board, and I, I think Guy Cooper was the guy, last guy I passed, and because uh, we were like neck and neck for that rookie of the year thing. Well, so uh, this is his account because I don't remember much of it. You know, uh, <clears throat> well, you being... Uh, a paramedic, you probably know what dehydration and heat exhaustion does to you. You, you have some really cool dreams. So he tells me, <laughs> he tells me that I rode, like just went right through a banner and pulled up under a shade tree and I just laid my bike down. I don't remember any of that. <clears throat> I woke up in an ambulance and I'm packed in ice. And I'm like, you know, you see the guy was sitting in there kind of monitoring me, but his back was turning. I'm like, 
I must have had the biggest crash ever, you know, and I'm wiggling my toes and my fingers, and I'm like, oh, everything seems to work. Oh, nothing hurts. And the guy's like, oh, you're awake. Okay. You know, he kind of starts talking to me and stuff. Well, somewhere in between laying my bike down under a shade tree and waking up talking to this guy, I was having crazy, crazy uh, hallucinations. Yeah. So this was my hallucination was that a pack of bikers, <laughs> it's almost <laughs> funny to tell the story. So this pack of bikers is trying to inject me with drugs because they wanted to do something or other. And it was apparently when I was trying to get, or when they were trying to admit an, an IV. IV. Yeah. So I'm like, would act all calm. And then when they'd get close, I'd go, and I'd be like screaming. And, and, <laughs> and so it was Guy Cooper's wife, Jaina, apparently came over and you know, she was hot. We all were like drooling over her. She came over and I saw her and I'm like, oh. and I got to just put my arm out and they IV'd me and all that. But I was having <laughs> the most crazy hallucinations. That's funny. So that pretty much took 20 points away from me. Yeah. And so that it hurt me. I think we were right around seventh and eighth guy. We were battling. So I went, there's two races after that, Colorado, altitude, and one week after heat exhaustion and vomiting up, you know, orange Gatorade the whole week, but uh, flat that day and flat at Washougal. Yeah. I ended up 10th overall for the year, which was great, but I think Guy ended up 7th and okay. got that rookie of the year deal. Were you not, like, with a few laps to go, were you not like, thinking, man, I'm really hot and tired? I think I just pushed past it. You know, because that's what I say. My determination has got me in trouble several times, and I think that was the first indicator that my mind was willing to push myself beyond what my body could handle. Wow, and, man. Yeah, I went. I just went to the point that I shut down and <laughs> looked for a shade tree, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently. I was trying uh, the hallucinations Well, at that there. point, everyone handles things a little bit differently. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. When I had heat stroke, I remember I was trying to do motos, and we're out at that old... Was it MX Compound or yeah. whatever? Oh, yeah. That's and it was super <coughs> hot, and we were doing 40-minute motors one day, and I remember I was just, like, not used to the California heat, and I rode up, and I pulled off. My dad's like, that was the – we had one lap to go, and I guess I just rode up, and he said I just collapsed off the bike. Just shut down. And I just remember him slapping me all the way to the hospital. you got to stay conscious. I'm like, stop hitting me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's heat exhaustion. That place was tough. That place was whooped out and nasty. Yeah, before the outdoors, I was doing 40-minute motos there. Three, yeah. I think I tried to do three the one day, and yeah, it didn't work out. <laughs> maybe it kind of exceeded the limit. <laughs> so I think maybe that's where we're a little bit similar. I've pushed through some tough times, too. <laughs> yeah. So you weren't even in a box van at that point. You were still in a truck uh, just, or a yeah, trailer. Yeah. yeah. All right. But now, did, did did you not have factories come and talk to you during the season or go, hey, man? Well, see, that was the thing that, you know, I've never been great at promoting myself. You know, even to, to this day, I'm not a big social media guy. Hey, look at me kind of thing. And I just, <clears throat> back then, was under the assumption, oh, the hard work and the results, you know, people will see. So, <clears throat> nothing. You know, and I, I didn't ride any other races, no supercrosses, anything like that. And I think I just... I'm convinced another one of those things. If I didn't cook at Millville, and I would have been more of that, because Guy Cooper landed a nice Honda deal for the next year, mm. um, well-supported through Honda, and I ended up you know, back home just doing this and that and not really in the limelight, and then... As races came around, Mitch helped me. You know, I just, when he was in the old carpet shop down there in Anaheim, you know, I would hang around with him and go test his stuff and just do whatever. Yeah. 
And so he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll get you a bike and we'll do this and that. And according to Mitch, this is a great story. Uh, I was going to come down here when you guys had your live show with him and just heckle him because, you know, we've had a lot of history, yeah. Mitch and I. But if you listen to Mitch's version of the story, uh, he had me a full Honda factory ride, full semi before semis existed. Um, you know, big salary, you know, two <laughs> girlfriends. And he, he sold it. He really took care of you. But what it actually was is Honda gave him a 125 test bike to develop because they were so bad in 85. Okay. And so, really? I thought... <clears throat> no, 85, 125 was not very good. Huh, okay. So, um, just... And I, I rode it, and I think at that point he was trying so hard, he actually tuned it to a standstill. Because <laughs> I, I rode a buddy of mine's that was a stalker, and I think it ran better than <laughs> what Mitch had been working on for a while. But um, So I ended up back on the Suzuki again, borrowed a magazine bike from Jody, and went to Gainesville, the first national. Yeah, okay, you know, just kind of mixed. And then I came back home, and Jim Castillo was helping Mike Brown. You know, uh, the flying Mike Brown. Flying Mike not, Brown, yeah. Not the, yeah. <clears throat> and so he had bought him some Cowies and one of the old Cowie box vans. So I went to the second race at uh, Hangtown uh, on a Cowie. <clears throat> Jim had, you know, we looked factory because we had one of Cowie's old box vans and, you know, all mm -hmm. still painted up Cowie. We had Cowie's out the back and, you know, so it looked all good. But it was Jim Castillo funded the whole thing. So I did that for... That year, up and down, you know, the bikes were okay, but you know, just it, no organization, and mm -hmm. it was just, it was a rough year. Well, I still had some good motos here or there, popped some, you know, fifths or eights or something in there, and so partway through the year, Mike Guerra says, hey, you know, um, would you like to ride some Yamahas for 86? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great, you know, so uh, Joe Melton, you know, I already mentioned, yeah. so he was my mechanic that year, because I think he had broke his foot or something, was off work. So he's like, oh, yeah, I can drive the truck and pretend to change an air filter. You know, I was like mechanic and rider, but he was the transport driver. Yeah. But so we were uh, on the East Coast. And I remember we went to Pensacola, New Jersey, some Yamaha warehouse, and got a crate of YZ125 because it was two per crate. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> there's a whole lot of stories about that whole adventure that week leading up. But we went to uh, Millville. So okay. where that thing was, that picture I showed you yeah. at the start. So that yeah. was my first week on that bike. And uh, so that was kind of the beginning of the, kind of the rest of my Yamaha yeah. career. You know, I started on a Yamaha and rode those for several years. Had a little stint of Suzuki's and a really brief Cowie run. I think what, I did six races on a Cowie or something like that. And then I ended up on a Yamaha. And then for, so you raced three different brands at one season. <laughs> in one season, yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, when you call desperate and privateer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, did, yeah. You, did you disconnect the bass system on that 86? Oh, uh, the Yamaha? Yeah. The brake-assisted suspension yeah, system? Yeah, system. Yep. Yeah. Had a little cable that went it, down to the rear but brake. But I don't think it was on the 125. Mm, I thought it was. I think it was on the 250 and 4... Whatever the four was, was it 490 yeah, then? It was yeah, it was Yeah, the Bassmaster. Yeah, yeah, we did, but uh, I, don't, I don't remember master. it being on the 125. It like was but. supposed to like open the the compression <laughs> yeah, circuit. Yeah, supposed to open the compression under braking. Under braking, yeah. Yeah, so you could go over the bars for sure, not just maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody would disconnect them. That was before I was a test rider. I just yeah. want to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I came along by testing, uh, and that's what really started opening the doors for me. Once I got on the Yamaha, I started, uh, it's funny, Scheidler loves to tell the story every time I call him, you know, a typical guy that's, you know, loves to tell old stories, but every single time I call him, do you remember the day at Mammoth? 
You know, you came up to me, you sat right on my bumper and said, give me a shot. I want to be a test rider. And, and sure enough, that's pretty much how it that's happened. That's how it went down. Yeah, it went down. And <clears throat> so I was about mid-86 that uh, all that happened. And so yeah, I've been there ever since. And, but, and Ed, uh, for people who don't know... Uh, He's kind of the testing guy at Yamaha, the development guy he was behind the, the scenes. Yeah, he was the original testing guy. He was there so long when testing really, we became a big part of Japan's development is through those years. And, you know, Ed was very instrumental because he was absolutely crazy and very driven to make sure that things were, you know, the way yeah. they should be. So, yeah, he was, he was pretty crazy. But um, <clears throat> so I've skipped ahead again. Please. How many okay. mulligans do I have here? Because I think I've used. <laughs> You're running way, out. You're running out. I've, I've way and we're still on the front them. nine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, just I don't don't want to get too far ahead, but so the whole 85, uh, 86 season. This was right when one twenty five Supercross had come in. Oh, that's right. Okay, eighty five, so, right? So I got bikes from Yamaha <coughs> with and the. And you you hadn't done any Supercross prior to this at all? No, I okay. tried Anaheim in eighty. 485, I borrowed a friend's 250 Suzuki, and that was a bit of a disaster. Yeah. Rolling down the tunnel, never seen a Supercross track other than <sighs> in pictures and that, and trying to, yeah. And I did, I think, <clears throat> LA Coliseum in that same year. And I okay. actually was somewhat close to qualifying and uh, managed to meet up with a hay bale and didn't, yeah. didn't, it didn't end so well. But mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so. Uh, so 85, I rode one 125 Supercross because they, yeah, I think 85 was her first year of 125 yep. Supercross. Sounds about right. So I'd come in and I rode, uh, the Rose Bowl Kay. and crashed my brains out, broke my back, oh. managed to get back on the bike and finish, got like an 18th or something like that. Whatever I finished, it didn't matter. But so Yamaha signs me all up. I'm healed up. I'm ready to go. I'm testing out at our brand new Deanza test track. Right. Do you remember that one? I used to ride out there. <laughs> yeah. So, after it closed. Uh, rode, you know, got all ready to go. And then I get a letter from the AMA about, I think it was about middle of December. Hey, we've noticed you signed up for the 125 class and you're an expert. So, therefore, you must ride 250 class. You're ineligible for the 125 class. And I'm like... Well, maybe I shouldn't have got back on my bike at the Rose Bowl. Apparently, 117th in one 125 Supercross, uh, you know, pushed wow. me over the top. I'm like, you can't believe So, obviously, phone calls back and forth, you know, before email. And uh, <clears throat> what, they, what I learned was in 84 and 85, riding all those outdoor nationals, back then you were a pro-am which professional amateur or you're an expert. And so I was unaware that when I say I went out and got a fifth in a moto, <clears throat> well, if all four guys ahead of me were pros, or, you know, uh, uh, an expert pro, and I was a pro-am pro, I got full advancement points. Mm. So I somehow pointed out by riding outdoor nationals, and it was just, um, the system yeah. has been reinvented it, how many times, and it's bunch. still yeah. stupid. Well, and even past you, you know, like Buddy Antonez and Denny, and well into the 90s, it was a mess. Yeah, it so. was all Well, Lammy stuff. talked about pointing out twice in his first, like, two seasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, but I was uh, potentially, you know, victim number one of the casualty of that total backward yeah. system. So that's what I, one, I was like. One race, and you're out. One race, <laughs> a 17th, I go, you know, Larry Brooks won the series, I think, or won a bunch of races, and he's still in. Oh, well, what they would do, and I, I don't know how much truth that I was told this later, when they would go to an outdoor national, they would sign up in the amateur the day before 
and do one lap or I don't know some weird thing and then that negated they could win the moto the next day oh. and they got zero advancement points because they were racing amateur. under an amateur provision or, I don't know some weird thing and I'm like oh that would have been good to know you know it'd been good yeah. to like say at the yeah. riders meeting hey if you plan on riding supercross you know w- yeah. we require you to give us 35 bucks on Saturday so so <laughs> they wouldn't like, flex you were out I was out so I didn't do the first couple of races because I had no Yamaha gave me a 250. Then I eventually, but yeah, that was, and it's so funny when you look back and you look at all that stuff because you know, all these guys that would never beat me, you know, the Ty Davises and the you know, all these guys are winning, you know, regional titles and yeah. the, the hoops and all this. And I'm like, you know, I felt so cheated. They yeah. were getting all these kind of perks, bikes or extra money and all that. And here I'm. You I think know. Bobby Moore won that year, uh, or oh, and yeah. then uh, Surratt didn't he win mm-hmm. eighty five or eighty six? Yeah, yeah. So all those guys, yeah. you know, you look back at just Golden States or however you would gauge those guys would almost never yeah. beat me, you know. And then I got Gosh. just shafted, and I. But anyway, that's that's all water under the bridge now, as they say. That's <clears> crazy. <throat> well, and it's still not a perfect system. They've improved it, but. But I think now they just leave them in there indefinitely, Martin Davalos, <laughs> or <Wow. Martin. laughs> Now there's ways to cheat it, is all. Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, you just get better at cheating. Apparently, they had a provision <laughs> to cheat, but I just wasn't aware yeah. of it. <laughs> you just, you're just a bad cheater. Yeah, yeah, that's all it was. Apparently. The system's fine. Yeah, step, the system's step up your fine. cheating yeah, game. Right now it's, my focus is in the wrong place. So tell us how you got the nickname The Doctor. So now that's a, a little bit of a, a mystery uh, in respect of how I thought I got it and how it actually was given to me, it was two completely different things. So <clears throat> I had, in that season, um, like 85, 86, uh, a bunch of injuries that kind okay. of you know kept me from racing a complete season and all that. So <clears throat> I thought it was because they sent me pants on it, said, the surgeon. And the doctor and all this. And I thought, oh, because I spent so much time at the <laughs> freaking the hospital or, you know, getting knee surgeries or whatever it was. So then later, something was said in some written article. And the guy that actually sort of uh, gave it to me, worked at O'Neill, he said, no, no, no. What it was was Dr. J, a uh, basketball player, was retiring. And so I sent you Dr. D. And that was just kind of a little play on Dr. J retiring. Uh-huh. He was a big Dr. J fan. And I'm like, well, what was the surgeon and all that? Well, you know, because you had, you know, a certain riding style and precision. Or, you know, you were always fairly calm. I'm like, you must not have watched me in my early <laughs> career. <laughs> I may look good now, but I was not that good. But anyway, so, yeah, it kind of came from him just... Uh, he was the guy that made all the little butt patches for people and so that's where it came from so the whole time I thought it was because I had so many injuries and it was a nod to Dr. J it was a nod to a basketball player So, Which makes sense, because you're 5'5". Five, five, so I think seven? I got a little above that. Okay. Well, I think I was 5'8"-ish at a time, but all those, <laughs> you know, Supercross triples Riding without things. nitrogen in your suspension. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You shrunk yeah, a little. Yeah, yeah. yeah they got, uh, compressed me. <laughs> All right, so what happened in 86? You, uh, Yamaha continued their support with you? Yes, and so I got a 250, and, you know, I only rode a couple Supercrosses because I still really didn't have, I got bikes, but I still didn't have a lot of money to go and do yeah. all the Supercrosses, so. But you um, had a place you could test out at De Anza and Yeah, yeah, they ride. let me ride and do yeah. all that, and, yeah, I remember I did, because <clears throat> I missed all the Anaheims and stuff, because, you know, I was testing 125s all the way up to yeah. it, and then all of a sudden, yeah. when that came, and, However it was, I didn't get a bike till I think the 
a couple days after the first race at Anaheim. Okay. <laughs> so then it went east and all that. <clears throat> so then I raced, what was it, Tempe, Arizona, that little Sun Devil Sun Stadium? Devil Stadium. Yeah, yeah, so I raced that back when the the big tables were semi flatbeds yeah. that they covered in dirt and all that. And, oh, what a horrible time. <laughs> I was there that, that was. night. <clears throat> yeah, watching so, as a little kid. Yeah, so yeah. I uh Actually, was having a pretty good night. That was my first Supercross that I ever rode, really, and actually qualified in that. And I remember battling with Johnny O in the main event, and I'm thinking, I'm like, they better sign me after this night, <laughs> you know. And I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, we were racing around for like seventh or eighth or something like that, and you had to short some of those big jumps because it was so slippery into the corner. I mean, you talk about baked and dusty, mm-hmm. and so I shorted this one thing on the brake, and it ripped my the little lug off the frame. Oh. oh, remember the old uh, floating yeah, brake? Yeah, yeah. So that little, oh, okay. so it was a drum brake, but <clears throat> so it, it ripped, did something like that. So I <laughs> dropped like five or eight spots. I got like a 15th or 17th uh-huh. just in the last couple laps with no brake. But so that was my first. So when I told you I went 1 1 DNF, that was kind of just a precursor to the rest of my career, really. I was always a little, a little something, something there yeah. that went on, just either injury or something with a bike. But so the Yamaha continued to support me through the that year. So 87 was better. And then uh, <clears throat> I got, we, it was Steve Butler came along. No, not yet. That wasn't Steve Butler yet. Uh, but anyway, I had a van. I had bought a, a used van off of a friend. And so we went and did, I think, either all or almost every one that I was healthy to with uh, Dave Hammond. I don't know if you remember that name. He was a mechanic. He worked for Jim Castillo on after he stopped working for me as a mechanic. Okay. He helped build a lot of those crazy carbon bikes that Rick Johnson rode and all that. So he worked at what was Innovation, you know, CTI knee brace and all that. Innovation. But so he worked for me a couple years. Okay. And so 87, uh, I got bikes and all that. And then Mike Guerra um, kind of stepped in and, and I started just my relationship because at the in middle of 86 I started doing a lot of testing so then I started opening the doors to get more and more parts and I can remember the first time I actually had like Brock's bike effectively at one of those Mickey Thompson races oh, yeah. Remember where, cross, yeah, yeah where we had to ride the backwards side of a jump yeah. <laughs> and all that craziness so I rode uh, I won I won an ultra cross at Sun Devil Stadium 93 nice because I sandbagged the heat race. Oh, because see, the he's better cheating than I <laughs> yeah. was. I'd go after I'd, the order. I would win, I'd win the heat race, and I'd be at the fucking tail end of a uh, what's called a current, uh, what is, what's the red flag restart? Oh, a caution yellow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. competition so, so yellow. So that's where I was. I yeah. was at the back of You were coming restart. out of the tunnel still. <laughs> yeah, I was in the tunnel. One. So, um, well, if you were racing the series, you wanted the points. I was only doing one of them all. Why, I, I want to start up front. I'm going to, so I... Wherever I was in the heat, I just like let a couple people go. I think I saw a little bit on on TV before when I first moved you, but didn't when you were saying you would go up the back? Didn't they just have the worst flow ever? Because well, wasn't it just like it a was, jump? It was trucks and buggies going land. one way. Yeah. So it's like you know, yeah. And the bikes would go the other way. But wasn't it like you guys would land like at the base of every? Yeah. And it, it was, was like a, it just looked it like it was the, the most, most it horrible track yeah. ever. But I had a good bike, and I remember battling with Mike Craig that whole night, and he won. I got second, but. That was, that was one kind of his specialties, beginning. wasn't it? Yeah, he rode all those. That was my only one then. But uh, <clears throat> so I rode all of those races and then g- got more support. It kind of through 
uh, you know, I was doing a little bit both sides. I would help with, you know, John R. and I became very good friends. He was the suspension guy for all those years. Okay. And I was the only guy that was just uh, dumb enough to hang around the Supercross track. All the factory guys would ride their X amount, and they'd be gone by lunchtime, and I'd be there until the sun went down. And John R. was like, oh, finally someone that's will just hang around yeah. and, you know, put up with every one of my one shim changes. How was that? Yeah. Okay, I'll take that one back. How was that? You know, so yeah. I mean, but it opened so many doors for me. So that's what kind of led me into getting a lot more support in 88. So in 88, yeah, we had good, good bikes. We were still driving around a van, but we had uh, good support. Pretty much and a factory bike. I mean, were you, they pretty giving you, much? Yeah. I don't think it was quite Brock's bike or you know, Mickey Diamond. By that time, he had come along, yep. but um, <clears throat> it was pretty much almost their version. Yeah. They might have been off testing and uh, eking a little bit more out of it. But yeah, we had yeah. pretty much a factory bike, and then <clears throat> that's when <laughs> this was the the infamous Ponca City, if you remember that. So Mike oh, yeah. Guerra has a great idea. Hey, because a bunch of other. Teams were sending guys, you know, Cowie had, I think, Matasevich, Kudrowski go, and um, <clears throat> Yamaha had myself go, and LaRocco, and I think Larry Ward. You know, it was a pretty stacked field, because they were allowed to kind of pull some guys down and still amateurs, even though we'd all raced nationals before, yeah. but, um, so I go there in 87, or no, yeah, 88, and uh, it was when you had Stock and Mod. In both classes. So you basically, it was four individual titles, but then you were the grand national champion. Yeah. I don't know, whatever it was, I gelled at the track or whatever, but I, I smashed all those guys. I won stock and mod 125. And, uh, no, I got third in stock 125, but I won mod, and then I won mod 250 and won stock 250, so I thought. So <clears throat> I had, and if you remember, one of the, Paul Theed at, at Race Tech, he made this different shifter that pivoted off the swing arm pivot. So it just, because the Yamaha, the shifter was so short, you were almost having to pull it backwards to shift. Okay. One of those things. So he had this modified shifter that made it better. So I go down there, and it was just my bikes from home. And I'm like, hey, you know, we put all this stuff back to stock. And we go down to tech, and we tech it. We go, do we need to take the shifter off? And they go, oh, no, no, no. It's, you know, there's, you know, verbiage in there. You can modify the shifter as long as you're not changing inside the engine or whatever. He said, okay. We rode it all week. No one in the size mad at Gara, even though he comes back and says, I still paid you your contingency. But so <laughs> that was the last race of the weekend. I won the moto, and they pull my bike aside. And I'm like, and, oh, it's an illegal shifter. And I'm like, no, no, no. I talked to the tech guy. Go get the tech guy. And, you know, of course, he was gone. He was at Went home for the weekend. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. was home for the weekend. But so it, it got stripped from me. The uh, class win, I think the class win went to Matasevich, and then the Grand National went to Kudrowski, mm. both Cowie guys. And the event was sponsored by oh, Cowie. So it was a little weird. It was obviously back for the internet, but there was letters back and forth in the back of Cycle News, and yeah, everyone was uh, pissed because. I was there that year. Yeah. 80 intermediate. And 80, 80 intermediate. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was almost the grand national champ. But so anyways, <clears throat> that kind of helped me into 89. I got real proper support. Okay. I mean, I had the best bike. I had a box van. They you know, leased you for a dollar so that for liability yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And then that's when because Butler <clears throat> came along. Steve Butler, who's still here today. They haven't kicked him out of the country. But <laughs> how did he come over? So what it was, um, Dave Hammond, who I'd mentioned before, so he came over with a bunch of 
guys, you know, they came in a little group of five or six or okay. whatever, and they lived up on Paris Boulevard because, you know, Mockingbird Canyon, or not Mockingbird, but uh, Ritchie Canyon out yeah. there is, was the king riding spot. So they all came to ride and just whatever, you know, Australians seem to have way more vacation days than the yeah. rest of the world. Every time I was on an airplane, I swear, for half my career, I'm always sitting next to some Aussie. Oh, yeah, I'm going to Canada. I'm going, yeah, I got like, you know, 27 weeks off. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> that was Lyndon Heffernan, too, came with them. Yeah, yeah. Heffernan was in yeah. that group. Yep. Ian Rowe was yeah, in that Yeah, Ian group. Rowe was at the, yeah. And yeah, so there was. We hung out with, Ken fought, and we hung out with those guys, and we went ice blocking and stuff like that over in Corona and all that you stuff. what? Never. Ice blocking. Uh, what the hell's that? You slide down a hill on a big block of ice. Oh, well, okay. First, you got to crawl into the ice machine, because you don't pay for it. <laughs> oh, you got to okay. well, climb up into it. You could probably left that part of the story out. I didn't yeah. do that. He's <laughs> also good at cheating, if you <laughs> he, don't know. He, he, you heard that people did that, I heard that, people right? did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know there's a great ice blocking hill in uh, Boise, Idaho. Yeah, yeah. I think people have died on it, but <laughs> that's well, then that means it's fun. <laughs> Excellent, hell. Yeah, let's do great, it. Right? It's Must be great. Not a party till someone dies. But, so, um, Steve Butler uh, was like the second wave. I think it was just only a few of them that time. But he was looking. He came over. He thought he was going to race, hmm. and then he quick re quickly realized that he would have a little fr more success as a mechanic because he grew up, you know, working in a shop yeah. and being a mechanic and raced. But so. Dave Hammond got this opportunity to go work for Innovation Sports for Jim Castillo, mm -hmm. much more lush gig, I think. But so I ended up <coughs> working with Steve Butler. And so that was um, beginning of 89. And that's where we got a box van. We had good bikes, everything. And Steve okay. was an uh, outstanding mechanic, even though I was, I was such a, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 what do they call those? A helicopter yeah. bomb? Yeah, yeah, I was that with that was my you. bike. Because, well, I knew enough about it, and I'd had a lot of kind of shady mechanics. That It was just ironic that, you know, here's probably the best mechanic that ever lived, and I'm looking over and making sure he's putting yeah. the stickers on right or the tightening that bolt. But So we had great success. That was actually my best overall year was 89. Um, I got six in the Supercross Series. Sixth outdoor. Sixth outdoor and fourth in the yeah. 500 on that 360, yeah. which was not the fastest bike in the world. Well, but again, it. to your point, as long as, if we could all get to the first turn. Okay, yeah. And because after 15 minutes, those guys would all be dead tired right. and I'd still be charging through the end. I made a lot of, you know, late moto passes to, you know, get. Yeah. Well, yeah, good to results. your point, like when you were talking about the 250s being mm -hmm. just as fast yeah. as Supercross, if you could just get a start inside the top. Five or six, you were golden. Yeah, you and could those stay guys, there. they would rip the first handful of laps. But when the track started deteriorating, and you know they started the fall off was higher. Yeah, exactly. And then I could because that thing. It's funny. But really, wasn't wasn't that thing like just get slower and slower as the race went on? Too? Uh, no, it started out slow. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, because <laughs> couldn't get much slower. When we, when we first got those, we were drag racing like our current two fifty race bikes, and our two fifty race bikes is like three bike lengths on a start to that 360 because it was just you know we got that kit olin's built that kit but it was short of a little bit technology you know the cranks weren't balanced properly you yeah. know piston was heavy there's just a lot of things that kept it from its potential okay and finally towards the end it got better i mean really but we had it such a short time because it was just a late decision yeah. to do this or we're not going to ride the 490 we'll ride these things and it and was why why not ride the 490 
Well, just it was at that point, <clears throat> just it was dated, you it know, dated, and okay. it, it, that you're talking about falling off, you know, that thing would start detonating. And mm. <clears throat> funny story, I, I told this to Brock uh, some years back. I went and rode one of those Burnworth races, mm-hmm. and I rode like a a Brock replica bike, and I so I walked up to him next time I saw him in the Dunlop tent, and I kissed his feet. I said, "Dude, you know we all knew that you were a superhero to even run close to Bailey on that works Honda, but I have a whole new <laughs> level of respect for you because that that bike it's just no power valve." You know, it would heat up, it'd start detonating, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than trying to break into a corner and have the thing go gung, gung, and all of a sudden it was like somebody grabbing the throttle. I mean, those oh, things were a little bit, yeah, they just, rough, huh? they, it, it, you know, <laughs> its well, it's time su- had passed. It surprises me that Yamaha didn't come up with something better, you know. Uh, well, and they were racing those works bikes, those YZM 500s, yeah. but that was such a limited program. And they were having lots of trouble with that early aluminum frame, you know, breaking yeah. a lot. It just, it Did you ever ride a, that? 20-something uh, years later, uh, I rode oh. one in France about five or six years ago, first time. And then I've ridden one a couple times since then. Same guy loans it to me when I go and do that race, which I'm supposed to go to in May if uh, the if we're allowed to fly by then. But um, So I never – it was funny because I was at an international race in France, and Jackie Bamon, I got to know him well through Jim Castillo and all that. And his mechanic, Michel, great guy, he's like, oh, yeah, you want to ride it? It was after the race or something. Yeah, you could go and ride it. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I just figured I'll ride it somewhere. You know, I'm a testing guy, and I'll ride that thing. But it was – and such a little narrow program, that thing came and went so yeah. quick that you didn't see it much. No, yeah. a couple of pictures from Europe and yeah, it was uh, there and gone pretty quickly. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, so the 360, it it finally got better and better. Spent some money, you know, balanced cranks and did you know, just a lot of different things. And I actually, you know, my highlight of that year was I whole shotted Unadilla on that 360 over, you know, is that right? Yeah, because it was Lachine and Wardy on the Cowies, and it was Bale, Stanton, and Johnson on the factory Hondas, you know, so those five pretty serious bikes, and, yeah. I, and I whole-shotted uh, first moto at Unadilla on that thing. She just so pulled that, off. Yeah, that was well, your well, turn was. two, just pull it off. I, I was reaching <laughs> around down, to pat cool myself switch. on the back, and I, I lost a couple of positions, <laughs> so the whole shot didn't last for very long. <laughs> so is that the same basic bike that, like, Bradshaw continued to race when he came around? So... He, this is kind of uh, back to the 490. So in 1990, we rode 490s again. But then in 91, when Bradshaw was on the bigger bikes, um, he rode that WR. We tried to ride that WR, which was... <clears throat> that was even worse. Well, I was it, was just, say. it was uh, the same bike. You know, it had a couple little modify, modifications, but it was still the same bike. But they decided to race it because that's right. Ninety, we didn't ride. In ninety, we rode one twenty five. Okay. And then so ninety one, they're like, oh, you know, because they just released it as a off road bike. You know, a WR. And so we raced him, and you know, it wasn't great. But Damon, much to his credit, his ability, he won a moto on that thing. You know, he beat, yeah. beat all those guys. On That's that pretty incredible. Bike, yeah. yeah I was. Uh, I think it was Binghamton. He won second moto or something. But that boy, huh. when he was wanted to ride, he could ride like nobody yeah. else. <laughs> so, '89 uh, was kind of a great season for you, like you said. Fourth overall in that 500 championship on that bike. Yeah, that was good. I mean, Lachine breaking his femur at Delmont helped me a little, but uh, yeah, I think I was already. Well, even if you were fifth, it's still. Yeah, and that, you know, kind of some other little weird details about that year. So my my direct teammate was Mickey Diamond, 
and he did something that I, I will be etched in my brain forever. So at <clears throat> we're up at Washougal testing this thing, right? Okay. And you remember Washougal, so you come down off the hill, you do the left, right, and then you come down Catchers off the Chuckson yeah. jump. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you turned around there. And you remember, it was like a wall jump there uh -huh. for a long time. <clears throat> so it had some little rollers up to it. And I don't know what Mickey did, because I'm sitting there to where I'm in the infield, like that grassy infield. And so I could just look to my right, and it was maybe 20 yards away was that jump. Okay. And I was kind of talking to John R., and I'm looking over, and I'm watching Mickey come around, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> I just turned away, but out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, he did something to where he kind of got kicked and fell off the bike. He hit that wall jump, full tap, like third oh. gear. And, I mean, he was... No, and I'm not exaggerating in any way, shape, or form. He was 30 feet in the air, <clears throat> and he just bailed off the back of it and landed out in the grass. Oh, he was going off the track. <clears throat> yeah, because, you know, the track kind of curved the right after little, that, yeah. and then you kind of went left and yep. did that triple. <clears throat> but it was the, the most frightened I think I'd ever been in my life to see something like that happen. Nothing broke, but he bruised both heels. I mean, you can see the divots in the grass where he landed, and he brewed, so he was off the bike for, I think he only came back and rode three of those 500 races, because we were testing that 360 that yeah. day. So that was pretty gnarly. So it ended up being, really, Steve Lampson as a privateer, 269 on that 360. Mm -hmm. Remember, he? I think he was North County Omaha guy? Yeah. So Lammy and I kind of, you know, battled in there mm -hmm. on that, and <clears throat> we had... Uh, and Steve's a great guy. I got to know him really well, kind of through that series. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, Mickey never told us. He was on the show. He didn't ever mention that story. Yeah, he probably, probably tried quickly to forget forgot it. that one. Yeah, <laughs> that was scary. So um, what about being on the box van out on the road, you and Butler? Like, do you have... I have really great memories of those days no, those, for those me. Those were the best times because... You got to ride all kinds of tracks, yeah. backyard tracks, just other proper, you know, public tracks. And you just got, it, it, I always, those were the times I enjoyed, like, you know, and please, I, I'm going to skip ahead here a little it's bit. Okay. But okay. Um, <clears throat> that Japanese guy that I was training there for a few years, uh, Watanabe, Watanabe, yeah, Watanabe had your yeah. number there one year and then they took it away from him. <laughs> but <clears throat> that was one thing I told him, I said. We're going to stay back. We'll rent a car. We'll do whatever. But we're going to stay back. And I'm going to take you to... I posted that one picture. You said, oh, I've ridden that track. You know, that sand track. Yep. On the East Coast. But we went Martin Ebnex. I mean, we went to all these yeah. tracks. And that guy, the the grin on his face after each day we'd What's be done experience? riding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. just riding with other random people. But riding all... Because in Japan... There's a few good tracks, but for the most part, they, they ride kind of some crap that yep. they, that's what they have to same ride on. Same old crap, yeah, too. It's the same old yeah. crap, yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> but, so those are the memories that I have, too. I mean, those were some of the best times going down to Florida, you know, staying at that Holiday Inn and riding yeah. right out of your room out into the sand that was gnarly. That's got ditched. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, all that stuff is what builds all those fond memories yeah. that, we all still have, and that, those that, were the best That's what I enjoyed, um, you know, when, when I went to Europe and did the GPs. Um, you know, obviously, Europe's not the... It's not as big as America when you, when you look at it, so mm. to drive around Europe, but it's so different every way you went, and I think... Um, being a young, you know, teenager, it was a good eye opener. I mean, it really gave you that kind of school of life, and 
wow, like everywhere's different and why is this place like this? And then you look at their history and everything makes sense. But, you know, yeah. it was really sort of eye-opening yeah. and, and it created an atmosphere and experience. But it was it was a good time. Well, I did that in the States, the same thing when I had my motorhome. A lot of times when there were back-to-back -back races back east, yes. we would just go from one place to another and try and arrange to go ride someone's backyard track and a public track. And to me, I thought that was always... Part of the experience, man. stuff you can't learn in a textbook. No, yeah. and a lot of or a, a lot of a lot of kids aren't getting that experience because they go straight from amateurs right into a factory rig, and it's too bad. They're or even if they are traveling, out. they're <laughs> so glue their phones. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, uh, Mount Rushmore. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's well, a big rock. Well, let me yeah. Google it. Oh yeah, here's a picture yeah, right here. Hold on, hold on. Let me put on my story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's one more thing here. Well, a couple more things. Uh, the following season, 90, you were teammates with Emig and Bradshaw. Are you going to get stories from those two guys? Uh, when, as, I don't as know the if, you, if we have enough <laughs> to uh, really cover that year. Because it was interesting. Because, you know, Emig came in, and he, we didn't know him that well. I mean, I just kind of knew him here or there, you know, maybe just from whatever. But I didn't know him that well. And, you know, I'd been hanging around Damon for a few years at that point, And, you know, we were pretty much tight and buddies and i knew how to you know kind of what made him quick and him, how yeah. to work with him you know because he was pretty volatile you know he was yeah. like bipolar almost but he's like the so, stock market these days yeah exactly so he was and so emig came in and, and emig was a little bit reserved you know he kind of kept to himself and which was just the worst thing because all damon wanted to do was you know what he did to all of us you know walks into a hotel room, tackle him, and, you know, beat his ass. And <laughs> We were all used to it, but I don't think Emig was quite so keen on it. But it was uh, it was some, a little bit of a, a weird year. And for me, I had a bunch of injuries, so I missed a lot of races. So it was, yeah, I mean, I would be at the races and trying to help them in any way, you know, I could. But, yeah, I, I missed a bunch of races that year. Did, had, did Yamaha ask you to come and... <laughs> Yeah. Help these guys. Somewhat, <laughs> somewhat. But it's weird. I never really got the traction with Emig. Like, hey, come on, we'll go mountain bike or we'll go, you know, whatever. You know, we I did so many weird things. I was crazy. I, we'd go rowing or, you know, we were just trying to broaden that yeah. instead of just yeah. riding moto all day, every day. We were doing lots of stuff. And I'm going to never really get Emig to come. You know, he was always, it was funny because he had this little ritual. So Saturday before the national, you couldn't go, find him. He'd go ride. Yeah, he'd yeah. go off, and him and Butler, because, you know, that's probably the other reason that I didn't get along with him. He took my mechanic. But <laughs> him and Butler would go off, and you wouldn't see him all day. You know, they'd go to tech either right when it opened or right as it closed, but they'd go ride, and Emig would just do this little thing, which, uh, that's great. You know, if that's what makes you click, then that's what you need to do. Yeah, he said they would get the jetting <clears throat> just Nat's ass. Yeah, so Butler was... And like I say, you know, I felt bad picking on him when he was first my mechanic because that guy's smarter than any 10 people that I ever worked yeah. with after me. So uh, this is a weird little offshoot bit of trivia, but uh, you can use it sometime down the road. So on that, the year that Emig won the title. Which was, was that 92? <clears throat> I think it was 92. Yeah. <clears throat> 92, so. That's when LaRocca had all that issues at the end of the year, huh? 38-point lead yeah. and two races to go. Yeah, and, and 40 and F late or something. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but um, Butler had actually, the pilot jet, he couldn't get it down lean enough down low. He soldered up the pilot jet, completely blocked it, and that's when that bike really started running good. I remember hearing that. I think I Jeff might have mentioned that. Yeah, because was, there was no pilot jet. Yeah, he, he just soldered it. He didn't solder the circuit in the car, but he soldered up the jet. He just put solder in it so it didn't pass and then just put the jet back in. 
But I, I mean, just no, who would else but, would? But no be fuel, that innovative no fuel going through it. You're saying. In that, because there was enough bleed, just through sure. the other circuits, yeah, yeah. you know, up through the needle or whatever. There was huh. enough bleed that he couldn't, no matter what he put in it, he couldn't get it lean enough to get that bottom. But you know, that's how you know, uh, just thorough. He was. I think, sharp that, I think he that was. opened up a can of worms in South Africa because people had heard about these carb mods. And I think it, guys' <laughs> they bikes didn't, didn't run for the next it. two seasons. <laughs> they were guys going blah, 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 everywhere. <laughs> they didn't have the rest of the package. They yes. just thought, oh, this one thing I'm going to do. I do remember that because I, I just um, I got on 80s in 91. And then by like 93, it just seemed like every father was screwing around with and I remember the kids would all be sitting there going, oh, yeah, dads are just destroying our bikes right now. <laughs> We'd be sitting there like Can throwing Can I ride rocks. in stock again, yeah, please? Yeah, we're rolling tires down the hill because like, they used to use car tires to have to mark yeah. the track. So we'd be rolling car tires down the hill. And dads would be like, bikes ready to go. Not really. Hold on. <laughs> like, oh, God, you're wasting our time. <laughs> well, those, those were definitely two different guys, huh? Um, yeah, so, I mean, that whole year was a little bit of that, trying to figure out sort of what, made Jeff click or what, you know, how we could all get along and, you know, in the but end Jeff of it. Jeff strikes me <clears> as a bit of a, like, perfectionist in, in that way. Like, um, you know, when you when you just see him sometimes, like, how he is. Mm -hmm. Like you said, working on jetting on sa Saturday. Like, I could totally see Emig being like that, but he was also a good starter, and I think that was probably part of his mental yeah, preparation. Yeah, he just isolated. And yeah. The bike's good. I know we're dialed. We're ready to go racing. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I say, hey, hats off to him, because he yeah. uh, arguably, you know, won that championship on what most people would say wasn't the best bike but i think by the end it was very very competitive i always thought that thing looked good was it not that great uh, originally like if you look at the magazine good. shootout yeah. i think it was the worst Stock, performing kind of yeah but so it's always hard to start with a platform well below yeah. everyone else it's a lot easier you make it really really good then <clears throat> it's as good as the other guys exactly maybe. <laughs> the other guys just put a pipe on it and it's better <laughs> yeah. again but but I mean, that was just an in interesting year for all of us, you know. I mean, kind of, you know, Damon, again, I think he had pretty up and down year that year, you know, win a race and mm. get hurt. And, uh, you know, it was. Was that the year uh, he won the Miami yeah. Supercross on the That was 89. Oh, that was 89. God, that was like crashed four times and yeah. stuff. And yeah. He was jumping stuff that none of us were jumping, yeah. you know, because, yeah, that, that was Damon. At his, you know, prime. Wasn't it pretty sandy as well? It was all sand. It was a yeah, full-on like, like, sand. But I mean, like sandy sand. Yeah, sand. it was white, white yeah. sand. We rolled out there to look that at race press, somewhere. press day, and we're going, what the, this is going to fall apart. And We don't need to go to the beach. They brought the beach it, to oh, us. Yeah, but it made for crazy. an interesting race. Oh, it I made mean, for an exciting you gotta race. you got to imagine. I mean, think about it, whether it's GP or Southwick. Go look at the at the results over the years. It's always a bit of an upset, someone near the front or someone that should have been there wasn't. Yeah. Because the, the challenge is much different than all the other tracks. Yeah. yeah. Those, man, those were, so I'm going to jump to 92. Whoa. Oh, and, so and do I get a mulligan back now? Did, since did you race? Ahead? Take a shot. Take a <laughs> shot. <laughs> did you race the whole 250 Supercross season in 92? Yes, I think I might have missed one here or there just okay. from injury, but I had some good results in 92. So I, I went down a rabbit hole the other night on YouTube, and I found the 92 Tampa Supercross. Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. remember that at all? 
A little bit. Was that the one that uh, Everett's Road, number one eleven uh, on the he, Suzuki? I don't. They didn't show him if he did. Uh, I this think was, that was later. I think that was like ninety four when he was here. Hmm. They yeah, might, I, think I think it was 94 when he came. Okay. It was 93 or 94, yeah, I think, somewhere. yeah. But anyway, it, it was uh, um, Cooper was out front, Bradshaw was up there, Chicken was up there, Stanton was up there, Bale was up there. God, there was so many Maybe big somebody names. else. Uh, Wardy for a minute. Anyway, it was just packed. Mm. Like, you know, that, that racing was so good, and Bale sat back and forth the whole race and just was quiet. All Bradshaw and Stan yeah, smashing to kill each other. Each other. <laughs> and with yeah. a lap and a half to go, Bale just Brrr. drops the hammer, blitzes the whoops, goes by one guy, turns, blitzes the next, that goes by the other guy, and he's gone. That it guy was, was incredible. Like, I forgot yeah. how amazing that guy was when he turned it That's on. That's why everyone disliked him, because he was so good. And he was a little bit reserved also, but yeah, that guy, I can remember, so I got hurt in Japan, and uh, it was 91, but they wanted all of us, because that was the year I'd won a Supercross, they wanted all the winners, because there's like six different winners that year, um, to go to Bercy as mm. part of the whole opening ceremony. So I went anyway injured, so I sat up in the stands and watched all the nights, and watching Bale. I mean, the Bale Bradshaw, I mean, you, I don't think you could get two different people. Sure. And Personalities, riding style, everything. everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like Bale is literally... Just riding around, every inside, standing on the pegs. Damon, I mean, like if you separated him and you watched Damon, like if it was just single lap times, you'd be like, like that guy. That guy's five seconds a lot faster than this guy. And every night, Bale would just just pick him off, just pick the spot almost, just pick him off and just leave him. And he, Damon would just furious, <laughs> like how does this guy go like hey, that? Hey, ra random question, but because I've uh, I have my feelings on Bale, but. Who do you think was the most naturally gifted rider to throw a leg over a bike? Because you've seen a lot of errors. I mean, Lachine's probably one of the first guys that would come to mind. And then I think Bale would be right in there. You know, uh, Jason Lawrence, another guy that, I mean, when you would watch that guy ride, yeah. he would that year do he stuff. Won. Just he ran go. circles around Dungey, and you look at Dungey's career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, just, he would. But, I mean, you know. The mindset, how you approach something, how you look at something, you know, those guys, some of those guys just figure that stuff out. Bale always blew my mind. I mean, I remember, because that was obviously the, the, the era that I started really watching racing. Uh, I remember, was it 92? I think you got almost every hole shot at the Outdoor Nationals. <laughs> like, you were hole shot at every race. I remember that. I, was I like, had a God, that guy's got the hole shots down. <laughs> and, um, but Bale was one of the only people I remember, you know, when guys were tripling into corners and stuff, you know, they were breaking, going up, the, sliding the berm, and Bale was able to triple to the inside, break, pivot, and still jump the jump. And you're going, well, why isn't everyone else doing that? And you talk to everyone, they're like, we tried. It's impossible. Don't think we didn't try, man. Like, like, we just could not get it down. They're like, yeah. but he was just so... He, he was very good at shortening the track up yeah. and still doing all the obstacles. Yeah. You're just like... And, I mean, another little testing side note, but... So, and I'll probably get in trouble. People will haunt me down. But <clears throat> so at that time, like our bikes were great. I mean, our, our Yamaha's factory bikes were great. But the Honda, I think it was right around the 91 or something. The Honda just had amazing low end it was through their power valve system and whatnot. And I remember fighting with Bob Oliver about this. Oh, Bob, I'm like, yeah. Bob, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Our bikes make 9,000 horsepower. That thing only makes like 11. And I'm like, but Bob... 
11 really good horsepower there you know <laughs> yeah, exactly. and this is all part of my fight and you know just everything that i went through for all those years and and it wasn't until uh, and it was the biggest mistake uh, we got bradshaw on that bike it was our testing bike from production testing you know racing didn't buy it and <clears throat> went out to the yamaha supercross track uh, baked slippery you know we'd water it but you know about 11 minutes later it was baked <laughs> and slippery again um and David could jump everything that he could never jump on his race bike from the inside. On the Honda? On the Honda. And I remember Bob was just flipping out. And it, it actually was, it ended up being a good thing yeah. because then it helped Bob focus. Right. Hey, you know, the 9,000 horsepower is maybe not the ultimate direction. We can we can come over here and kind of shape things a little yeah. bit different. Yeah. Where it's at and how it applies is just yeah, as important, yeah. if not more. And the dyno is only, you know, one little piece of it. And that's what, you know. Well, you that's joke, also when they probably had to figure out that that the dyno isn't going to produce a good supercross engine i mean supercross <coughs> you never get to the max horsepower everything's just straight off the bottom mm -hmm. and that's where i think my whole human dyno little sub nickname <laughs> came along because i was helpful i hope in, in a lot of those little problems that we faced where you know it was all oh, the dyno the dyno yeah, i said yeah. you know just Wrinkle that piece of paper up yeah. and just yeah. set it aside for now. Don't throw it away, but just set it aside and listen to what I'm saying. And and that was part of my argument or what supported my argument. Nothing only makes, you know, like nothing. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't care what it makes. You know, you can turn the screen off on that dyno. Just listen to what yeah. I'm trying to tell you. And then, you know, it, it was helped get proved out and i think you see it in a lot of places you know i think mitch went through a lot of that when drino came yeah. around and you know they they really started you know they were puttying up ports and they were starting to do things to because they were all make, screamers <clears throat> they were lacking bottom end exactly and that's where i think mitch really started that run of winning almost everything was i think he went through that transition to kind of realize that you know yeah that big peak number is really it's just, just it's just it's fluff. fixing your ego <laughs> exactly it's not really yeah, <clears throat> yeah it's, it's fluff and so yeah the, the a lot of that stuff is very interesting that you know i was lucky enough to live through a lot of that through all these years because you know 30 something years as a test ride at yamaha you, you saw a lot and you experienced <laughs> yeah, a lot through, sure. through you know from both sides from the testing and the racing side so your Supercross win in San Jose, was that 91 or 2? 91. It was 91. Mm -hmm. Take us through that night. So uh, that night, and it's so funny, everyone portrays Rick Ryan as the only privateer to ever win a Supercross, but I was technically a privateer. Yeah, everyone just assumed I was Yamaha factory because oh, yeah, I, that I had the, <clears throat> the bike, I had the box yeah. fan, I had everything, but... Uh, I had gone back because ninety, I had all those injuries. I only rode like half the half the races that year. But so what Yamaha did is it was Emig and Bradshaw. Like if you looked at a press kit, excuse me, uh, from that year, it was Emig and Bradshaw. I, I wasn't even included in the press kits. But um, <laughs> until you I won got, your first race, <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, maybe we should promote. This oh, guy. we forgot a page <clears> on that <throat> kit. But. Uh, so, I mean, I got the box van. I had the same bike branch I had. I mean, everything was the same, but I had no salary. I got a, a, a chunk of money to pay Randy Lawrence, who was my mechanic then, and I still got my flights and hotels done, organized through them, but it came out of my stipend that I got at the beginning of the year. So I was... Okay. And Randy was this. working on your bikes at Yamaha, right? So yeah, so he went down there, and he would. I was paying him through my money, but he would oh. go down there. It was kind of a Keith requirement, which made sense. You know, you got to be here. You know, learn how to do this job right. and do it properly. So hmm. 
Interesting. But, I didn't know that. So. <clears throat> but so um, that year, again, up and down, like I had at the end of 1990, because I was hurt most of the year, so I was just eager to go race. I won a slew of all those Europe races. Like I won both nights in Geneva, beating Bale and Lachine, you know, a bunch of guys, Brock, there was a bunch of fast guys. Did you guys. go to like Osaka <clears throat> as well? Japan? Uh, yeah, I think I did. I didn't, I never won in Japan, but I <clears throat> I did do all, we were always kind of had the obligatory. It was always a song, always, it was a couple. It was two races in our contract every year, and one was always on Thanksgiving, so we all kind of, especially Keith, he was like furious about that, but it was always in our contract. <laughs> Damn it. But, uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> so, you know, I was kind of on this roll at the end of 1990 because I was determined to kind of get my ride back, so to speak. And uh, just one, uh, uh, you know, like Larry Ward was the guy that won in Europe. Well, that year I, I won everything in Europe. <clears throat> so I come home, a little bit this and that, go, I think the first race, I think I did pretty good, maybe fifth or something at Anaheim. And <clears throat> maybe had a little problem at the next race. Well, San Diego, I think it was like race three, crashed second or third lap main event, tore my knee up. Huh. I'm just like, oh, because I was doing some stupid wheel tap thing that only a couple guys were doing. And apparently I was not qualified to be doing it. <laughs> but <clears throat> tore my knee up, sat at home forever, you know, at the, oh, a little scope and we'll be okay. So Randy actually went out on the road, followed my box van, you know, went out there with those guys. Eventually came back. I'm like, yeah, it's just, <clears throat> you know, I had a big clunk in it and they did yeah. another thing and da, da, blah, blah. So I came back in uh, <clears throat> Oklahoma City. So I was like race 10 or 11. <clears throat> I think our series was 14 rounds back then or something. So it must have been race. Because I did Oklahoma, San Jose, and then L.A. was the last one. So well, that's fun. a gnarly track <clears throat> to come back at, too. That was daytime, and they always no, made that, it. <clears throat> that was uh, the next year they did the daytime. Oh, okay. The, it was at night. It was one of the first outdoor night ones. Okay. If you remember that one, it was Wardy's last Supercross win. And that was when that was the beginning of the, you know, I was the beneficiary of the chicken Cooper at San Jose. Well, it began the week before in Oklahoma City. Okay. Cooper's backyard. And I think he passed chicken clean and then chicken came in the next corner and just took them both down. <clears throat> but so that was my first race back, I think of 10th or 11th, whatever, you know, just out of racing shape. Go to San Jose and uh, have a great practice everything's good and i remember it's a funny thing keith mccarty <clears throat> he came walks comes into my box van and uh he says to me he goes if you can go through that whoop section that fast all night you're going to make a lot of money and of course money resonated <laughs> resonated with me i'm like okay okay note to self go through yeah. that because there's really only one uh whoop section that day leading right up to were the you finish. skimming them or was it like they were big and i was one of the only guys skimming them successfully okay and uh, so, whatever. And I remember, I don't even think I qualified out of my heat. I think I, I tangled with someone or something, so I had to go to the semi. And I remember Larry Brooks and I went at it in the semi, and I won it. But anyway, little things that went throughout yeah. the day. Yeah. And uh, and Okahara, uh, Holly's Japanese guy, about killed himself right in front of me. And I remember that was something that pops into my memory of that day. But So, come main event time. I'm just ready, you know, like any other day. And I think I had the track pretty dialed, you know. It was just, I think I was just looking to put my best performance out there, you yeah, know, and without yeah. going way deep into the psychology of racing. I mean, we've all done it. You crash yeah. in the first turn, you're a whole different guy than when yeah. you get the whole shot. So I think that was my mentality. I'm like, I'm kind of behind the ball here. I need to do something good tonight. And Keith told me I'll make a lot of money. But... Uh, <laughs> 
So I didn't even get the whole shot, you know, which is funny because, you know, I was such the whole shot guy. I think I was fifth or sixth. And I remember passing Stanton like right away. And I'm like, okay, that's a good sign. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so I got around Jeff and then it was uh, a couple other, I think it was Matasevich and then like Larry Ward, Jeff Ward and Guy Cooper. Something there's, you know, so that's probably about fifth. So I'm like, I just got to put laps together, laps together. Well, so I was kind of chasing Cooper, and he was always sort of my nemesis, you know, kind of from our yeah, rookie year, you know, for, and I'm just trying to – and he got around uh, Jeff Ward, and then I'm like, oh, you know, Wardy won last week. You know, I'm feeling pretty good. I got around Jeff and got around Larry, so I got myself into third. And Cooper was just inching away from me a little bit. I think Stanton was putting some pressure on, and I was having to do some protective lines. I'm like, oh, man, I, I want to stay with Coop. So then – I kind of broke free from Jeff again, you know, just settled down, and and I can just remember lap after lap, I'm like, because I'd, I'd gotten a, a podium in 88, my first real Supercross year, uh, LA Coliseum, I got a podium that, that night, but I'm like, oh, you know, it would be great to podium, so I just, I kept focusing on the back of Cooper's jersey, and every lap over the big triple, then there was a double into a bull turn, so when I was in the air in the triple, I could see Cooper in the bowl turn. Well, then I could start seeing chicken. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we were kind of both catching chicken. I'm like, all right, all right. And it was funny because the thought crossed my mind. I thought, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to pick up one more spot. I'm like, yeah, a second would be great. And the, the silly things you think about when you're racing, oh, no, and, yeah. you know, on the edge of risking your life. But I'm like, oh, this could really, you know, play yeah. into my favor. So going round and round. And so I come over, I get the white flag. And as it was like a, a tunnel, so the um, the finish line jump was the over part. Yep. And uh, so the guy's got the white flag, and I see him throw the yellow up real quick. And so I come over, and I didn't really notice that there was two bikes down. I just I just saw someone down, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it finally happened. So I'm like, <laughs> eh, come through this next little section. Well, the uh, soon after was that triple into the other thing. So I hit that triple, expecting to see, because for the last three laps, I could see them both in there. There was nobody in that bowl turn. And you, know, you talk about crap in your pants i'm like was was anybody close to you behind well, so here's the thing i could tell stanton's engine just you know you just knew who stanton was versus bradshaw so i'm like yeah you know, i'm still feeling pretty good well so i go over that triple and i go into the corner and i could hear a damon engine i'm like holy shit that's damon that's not stanton you know so now i'm in a little bit of a panic because i've only got four straightaways yeah. to go to the finish so sure enough and if you watch the tape damon just like over jumps this obstacle and just stuffs stanton they both almost missed the under for the tunnel because they he just took stanton so wide so then the next little section it's clearly damon so then i'm like puckered up solid because <laughs> i'm just like oh no you know this guy and, uh, <laughs> you know he won't hesitate. Yeah, he won't yeah. hesitate. Even your buddy, he'll he run loves you. me, but he, he just <laughs> so. when we go into the whoop section. Well, I overcommitted in. It was a double, and then the whoops. And so I overjumped the double. I came in and kind of tap, tap, did a little something goofy, and I could just hear this next to me. And I'm like, no, because that was the finish line right there. And I mean, I beat him by a, a yeah. bike length. Oh, uh, I didn't know it was and, that close. I have to watch it. And, uh, and so I was just like. Oh my gosh, I, I was just in shock. I'm like, okay, that was a checkered, right? I am supposed to stop. And, a, and it was just one of those really, really obviously cool nights, everything. Yeah. You know, Damon was so happy for me. I remember we went to like this Denny's or Coco's or something, you know, two in the morning after all the celebrations. And he freaking calls Marsha, his mom, and he's like screaming in the phone. You know, it's 
four thirty-five in the morning in in, yeah. in Charlotte, and so uh, yeah, just that whole night was really cool. Emig uh, won the one twenty-five class because if oh, you remember, did he? yeah, so like there's three of us, and we went one, two, and one, so that was a pretty good sweep for the Army boys that isn't, night. Isn't that one of the first times <clears throat> you drank alcohol, or? Well, no, there's a funny story that, because uh, uh, as much as I'd like you to believe that was my first time, no. <laughs> I drank, no, Paul Theed, that's where you might have heard the story and maybe twisted, but so Paul Theed told me, he was Mr. Nothing, Straight and he goes, if you win a Supercross, I'll drink a beer. Uh, so that was whatever, May 15th was uh, San Jose. So Mammoth's coming up, right? So Paul, we always went to Mammoth. So Paul's up there. And so we got, you know, all your buddies. And we're in uh, Whiskey Creek. <clears throat> we're just hanging out in that. Oh, Paul, you know, it's about, you got to, you know, pay your dues. Gotta. So, of course, I didn't even know this at the time. So my buddy goes and buys him a beer. You know, takes a little drink off it and then puts a shot in it. And we're like, well, Paul will never know. He'd never had a beer before. So he drank that whole beer and he felt so ill because I think it was whiskey or something. <laughs> <laughs> he threw on top That's of it. That's a great beer, combo. <laughs> kind of capped it off. But uh, yeah, so that was, uh, was, it was a great night. Yeah. I mean, obviously, just everything. You know, my mom didn't go to very many races. She drove down and she was she there. Was there. Oh, and cool. So it was just, it was a lot of cool things. Um, that, uh, and came yeah. in a good time with your Yamaha. <clears throat> yeah, so you then know, that helped situation. secure me, you know, because then I had '92 and '93. I had a two-year deal after that, and uh, so yeah, it was just it was uh, at the right time for me. And uh, I remember that being, and I'm sure you guys have had these same races. That seemingly was an easy race, just yeah. being in the right frame of mind. Like I wasn't even worried about Stanton so much. And I mean, here this guy was the Supercross champ the yeah. year before, and I'm like, well, okay, I, I got this. The next week was the last race at L.A., and so, of course, I'm like, well, I have to do something great. I rode the absolute wheels off, perfect 20 laps, and I got fifth. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, no, that's that funny. was <laughs> like a, a better race, I felt, <laughs> or at least I took more risks and, yeah. and nearly crashed more times, but, you know, it's just Sweet all that how stuff, works, how huh? things just, but obviously I was in the right place at the right time. Just, you know, Damon got stuck in the gate that night, so he came from last to oh. get second, you know, on a track. I think it was Larocco or somebody in a post-race, you can't pass out there, you know, and then somebody put that together where, you know, Damon passed 19 yeah. guys <laughs> or whatever, so. Well, it's cool that you got your name in the record book. Yeah, I mean. I mean those don't come easy. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? As, as cool as your whole career was, that's just neat to have. One well, of those on your resume. Funny thing, you know, because Paul and I were pretty tight, Paul Theed, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> since I wasn't a Yamaha guy, they never ran a win ad. So Paul Theed actually ran a win ad, and he put that in there, like percentage of people that race and at this level or entries and all that. And he had like point oh oh something that ever Challenge. won a Supercross. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that was, uh, that was a, a cool little ad yeah. that he put together for me. <laughs> um, okay, let's take a quick break. Uh, this is your Torley Designs timeout. We're going to be right back with more Doug Dubox. Stay tuned. I want to introduce you guys to PowerDot, a wireless muscle stim unit that is controlled by an app on your phone. It's incredibly simple. This is something I've used for a little over a year now to help with arm pump and nagging injuries, and I've had amazing results with it. They recently worked with Adam Cianciarillo to help rehab his knee after surgery. He had an ACL replaced, and after talking to him, he's, it's something he swears by. He's adamant that this is the one thing that got him back on the bike quicker and got him healthy. So if you have any muscle pain, any nagging injuries, or you want to recover the best way possible, Head over to PowerDot.com forward slash Whiskey Throttle for a chance to win a free unit 
or get 20% off your next purchase. That's powerdot.com forward slash whiskey throttle for 20% off and a chance to win. You can thank me later. See the sunrise. I wake up in the morning feeling so nice. I burn a couple bowls of the alright. I look out to the world and it's all mine. Yeah, it's all mine. I see palm trees and joints, kids smoke palm trees like ointment. My weed breath is fresh cause I keep my appointments. Now I can finally see like I smoke some DMT. What you think we should sound like? What you think we do at night? Cause we the best of this shit. We made a mess of this shit. We wrecked the rest of all the western with the recklessness. If you's a bitch, you might get snatched up like some necklaces This where the rest of us live You, you, you say You say we feel like a West Coast I say we sound like a pastor You say we feel like a West Coast Alright, welcome back. That's the Chorley Designs timeout. Get over there and check out the new GP helmet. Uh, available in youth sizes, adult sizes, basically all of the safety features in the SE4, just in a much more affordable package. Um, really cool stuff. Check those guys out over there. Doug, do you remember the first time we really met? I'm was it as memorable for you as it was for him? <laughs> That's not a real question. Not, I'm going to tell a story <coughs> right now. Well, here, let me just take a shot in the dark. Paris Raceway? Nope. Well, okay. maybe, but that's not my first memory. Okay, that memory. was kind of my first memory of you, but all right, let's okay. hear it. So, uh, Randy Lawrence had worked for you in 93? So, he worked for me 91, 92, 93. Okay. So, in 94, you must have done something different. Well, I was not. I was off the race team. Okay. And at that point, my job or duties as a test rider just went through the roof because they were always having to share me. Okay. You know, kind of across the two yeah. departments, testing and racing. And so... I still raced a fair amount, but just pick and choose because yeah. um, I was full time. I was testing like nonstop. So at Randy that point. needed a job. He he got kind of let go, and Jimmy he was friends with Jimmy Button. Button put us together because I needed a mechanic, and so I came out and lived with Randy, and he was working for me. And we went mountain biking with you. Oh, the San, okay, I think I remember the, the San story. Juan Trail. So oh, can, we, can we skip forward on this? <laughs> so I, you know, obviously I'd heard of Doug Dubach and watched his race and stuff, but I'd never met him. I'm like, oh, hey, cool, he's going to go with us. So we do, you know the San Juan Trail, uh, the Ortega Highway yep. on the west side of it. Yeah. There's a trail that goes from a fire station yeah, yeah, yeah. up to Cocktail Rock. A lot of people still ride it. So we take off, and Doug's just gone. He disappears. He's like disappears from us you See know oh my god i thought doug was gonna ride with us you know <laughs> so we come around this bend i don't know 20 minutes up and he's squatting in the middle of the trail i'm like oh he's waiting for us cool and before, by the time we get to that point he's like jumping on his bike and taking off and he's giggling and laughing i'm like huh oh is he laughing at us like what's happening you know <laughs> we get to where he was and there's just a huge poop in the middle of the trail <laughs> I think it was Brian Lopes with us on that ride or one of those guys. I think been. I was uh, always. Oh, it sounds like something Lopes would do. <laughs> well, I think I was always in competition with him. And so I thought, let me just bury him on the trail and then leave him a little gift. <laughs> I thought, all right, this guy's all right. He's got my sense of humor. We're going to get along just fine. <laughs> all right. So, what uh, I want to pick your brain. You mentioned a little bit, kind of just over the years, working on your own stuff and, 
and um, all the testing you had to kind of do, but how, what what gives you that feel for the little changes? How'd you get so good at that? Uh, yeah, I think I, I came into it with some amount of experience and knowledge, and then just working within those kind of that framework of a lot of smart people around you, just a lot of physical time on the bike, a lot of changes, and then you know understanding just through that whole process your knowledge grows yeah. but i think what gave me kind of a leg up from the very very beginning is i was very mechanical you know i grew up my dad was a drag racer we always had cars engines welders i mean i could weld at a very young age and mm. i just <clears throat> i think i had a little bit of a you know a heightened knowledge of yeah. mechanics kind of what what they did and and so that that helped me a lot as things started to get to where it, my experience or my uh, uh, beliefs or were backed up with some sound information that came back through because you know especially under the Scheidler era you know he was pretty gnarly and pretty strict and he wouldn't tell you anything <clears throat> just go ride that and here, yeah. just go ride that and here's an evaluation sheet and he wouldn't let on to anything so you were pretty much just in the dark oh, yeah just mm. blind and but to me that was a great experience because he taught me so much the whys and the hows and all that, that uh, it really, you know, just expanded my abilities and my horizons, which opened so many other doors. You know, yeah. I was a Dunlop test rider for probably 15 or more years, and I did so much. You know, I tried to, was helping Mitch with all his pipes and that, and bones with suspension, you know. <clears throat> Uh, another thing I wanted to come down when Mitch was here just to heckle was some of those funny stories. But th yeah. that would go off way, way, way down the whole well, we're, we're, road. We're going to have Mitch on for his own show because <clears throat> that was mostly focused on stories with he and Troy. Mm -hmm. So when we have his show, we'll have to get you over. Oh, let me know because yeah. I'll sit right there in front <laughs> and I'll just heckle him the whole time. But uh, so, yeah, just I... I think I kind of came into it with some experience and knowledge, and then I was always a hard worker. You know, I mean, I was never afraid of a long day. So I think that, again, opened some doors and gave me opportunities that maybe yeah. another guy wouldn't have had. So well, and you, you mentioned that earlier. You're not. You're, we weren't afraid to stay till sundown trying little parts. And I think a lot of guys get, and myself included, I would get frustrated like. Okay, I mean, I feel like we've made as much progress as we're going to make. Like I want to see big improvements, and yeah, if I don't, yeah. or, or big. You know, or, or go backwards. Yeah, backwards. So yeah. we can keep a direction. But like when it's just little minuscule changes, you're like, I think maybe, I don't know. And yeah. I hate that. Yeah. Like that drives yeah, me nuts. That's tough. Those days are, those are tough days for and sure. You're trying to go on lap times, but the track's changing. You don't know if it's, well, the traction's good now. It was worse earlier. Is that that the was always the thing or? I hated. Was yeah, I think we pretty like, much was it the bike or was it, is it the track changing? You're like I don't know. Yeah, we we pretty much put the kibosh on all the lap times because they the Japanese would you know you're in the final meeting after two weeks of hell and then they'll oh yeah you know but you were on this one track on this one and you're like dude. You know, we had a long lunch. The track was way overwatered. You know, yeah, the yeah. one that I'm saying is good might not have represented with lap time. It, it just, it was a fight. And we finally kind of just took all that stuff away. You know, we have a lot more data acquisition so we can now understand a, a straightaway speed or, you know, with very sophisticated stuff with strain gauges and things, we're looking at frame flex. And there's just a lot that we can benefit at, at, through a bench test sort of a mentality, but... It's still 
uh, it, it all boils down to the rider's feeling, and I think that's why it's very important to get good guys on your side, you know, mm. <clears throat> where they're not just goofy, you know, he was once a pro, he must know, because that's uh, far from yeah, reality. A lot of them actually terrible test drives. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an acquired skill or, or a, a learned skill just like anything else. Yeah. And um, in fact, I was actually really impressed. There's a, a young kid who's a team green guy coming up and his agent called and said, would he actually said, would you and Grant be willing to go out with them and kind of help him, uh, kind of teach him a little bit about how to test, you know, maybe go out with bones and you guys could work on suspension. stuff." And I was like, I've never been asked that, but that's, that's actually really sharp, you know, mm -hmm. and that's something guys should be doing because yeah, yeah, being able to say, Hey, it's doing this and then learn why, why is it having that condition? What is the way to fix it? So that, if it happens well, in a race, if you don't know how to fix it. If you've got bones or someone with suspension, but you've got to be able to communicate, be able to explain yeah. what it's doing or what you want it to do or what you don't like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're smart enough to should be smart enough to go. Well, if it's doing yeah. that there, then I think if we change that chimps, you know, blah blah blah. But introducing somebody into that system and getting them just to you know go through those paces and, and hear what the others people with all that experience have to say, I think that's valuable. Yeah, very valuable. Missing in a, in a lot of these young riders. Yeah. I mean, you hear it from team managers over and over. It takes guys two, three, four years before they're able to give really In good feedback, typically. To, yeah, yeah, to really yeah, dissect it. Um, have you ever dealt with engineers who wouldn't listen? Um, yes. I don't, you don't need to blow anybody out. But, <laughs> no, 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 I won't blow anyone out. You know, I yeah. know from Suzuki days, like... Um, and I did some endurance testing with Kawasaki and some stuff with Suzuki and, you know, Chris Wheeler and Rich Taylor and those guys over mm -hmm. there. We've shared stories about how even a, a pre-production bike you can have and you're like, this is great. Oh, man, this is going to be so good next year. People are going to love it. And then it goes back to Japan and gets put into production and it comes back and it's... Like, that's not the yeah, bike. Yeah. What happened? What happened to that? Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's true. And I think there's so many things that the average person doesn't understand about how that process happens. And it, it is. There's so many people under so much pressure from a timeline to a cost to a durability or the legal team gets in there. And there's just so many things. That's a lot of hurdles and a, and a lot of things to line up perfectly to get, yeah, to get that end result just how yeah. it, you, know, you want it. And or, like you say, things go back and they come back again and you're like, well, what happened? <clears throat> and it's funny, we got a, a, an old uh, kind of a thing that we've rehashed a million times, but <clears throat> we had, I think it was a brake or something on a bike many, many years ago. And it went away and we were trying to improve the brakes, right? And it came back and we're like, well, that just doesn't seem as good as it was the last time. And, you know, and then through some of these experiences, we... we learn to hang on to the old stuff no no no. you can't have that back make another one at home but we're going to keep this so we have a baseline Cross when yeah. you come back so mm. <clears throat> but it was a break and however the conversation went there you know a lot of uh, language barriers mixed in there but the guy oh you know same same was all we could get out of this japanese engineer oh same same <laughs> so it was butler somebody was like okay good and not so good <laughs> same same we're like no 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 not so good good not so good and, the, and we all kind of had a laugh at the end of the day but yeah they had changed something it was who knows what yeah a pad material a, a cost a vendor change i mean there's just so many little things mm -hmm. that you would think oh that shouldn't matter but it, it does you yeah. know and then at the end of the day well and you mentioned too those Yamaha, Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki, they're such big companies. Like you said, you've got legal team, you've got 
cost, you've got endurance, which ties in with legal. You've got all of these different things. Well, now you've got Where with KTM, those guys were so small for the longest time. They didn't have to really worry about that. And mm -hmm. they were able to just make jump, these jump, massive jump, improvements. Yeah. And I think they're getting to a point where it's big enough that it's getting a little more cumbersome for them. Yeah, and it just happens. You yeah. know, no, you can't pick on anyone. No. You know, you, you, it's I just think a reality. They, they, exactly. They enjoyed some of those perks for a long time. And I think, you know, the... The other side of it they're experiencing now as yeah. well, you know, the legal side and all that sort of stuff. And it is, you know, everyone's trying to do their best job. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a, a funny story about homologation. You know, it's we were always so frustrated that we couldn't get our bikes, you know, where KTM was able to get them through. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't know, because I don't know the backstory back there, but you know, you're from an end user or... Kurt lied. Know. He told us they straight up lied. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have as many bikes as they told him they did. I that. Oh, I, absolutely. Because, well, and the things that we would run some of their bikes through our homologation standards, because this is what was taught to us by the people that put these requirements forward, yeah. like, I think it doesn't even come when we were close to passing. How is it that, you know, but... Yeah. It's, it's almost it comes back into the whole political thing where, you know, yeah. one hand washes the other and yeah. then all of a sudden things happen and you go, well, how did that happen? But so, yeah, there's so many restrictions and so many little, you know, uh, loopholes and things within the whole system that it is. I remember... Uh, I think it was it's been a lot Lamson. of gray area in our sport for <laughs> well, many yeah, years. But I can remember, I think it was Lamson, maybe Kehoe, those guys, when that first aluminum Honda... You know, they said, oh, they left Japan, and that thing was great. And then it shows up here, and it was almost unrideable. Mm -hmm. And it, another one of those things. Oh, we had to change that, you know, durability, a weld length, or even a temperature. Some, something that just threw the whole thing sideways. But yeah. it happens. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you get, this happens, and then that chain reacts over here. By the time you got it fixed, it's, you know, same, same. <laughs> but it's not good. good. Not so not good. good. Not so good. <laughs> There's something that drives me bananas. I know it's just a legal thing, the way they're vulcanizing the grips onto the throttle tubes now. You be, I just throw the throttle tube away, order a new throttle tube. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Or the, the backfire screen on the filter cages, same thing. Yeah. They're melding it into the plastic. Yep. Used Can't to be able to just... That anymore. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> well, a funny story. I was trying to take... Suzuki was the first ones to vulcanize the thing. And I remember trying to cut one of those things off, and I <laughs> laid my finger over and I had to go and get stitches and all that. And I was like, dang it! So after that, yeah, I just throw the thing away. Mm -hmm. But it is. You get legal involved, and... It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. I remember I got depositioned for a, a situation. I won't even go into it because it was long and ugly and it's gone now. But it's just like I go in and I sit down and they start asking me these questions. Luckily, I must have answered enough that I didn't have to actually go and sit in court. But you're just going, are you kidding me yeah, this is yeah. this is the line this is how you're approaching this situation yeah like how the hell did we get here yeah how did we get here well, <laughs> yeah. these guys are all riding some dirt bikes and something happened and now you're tying it back to yeah the moon and it's just like these guys have but they're they're paid a lot of money to win a case yeah. and then that's what and so that's what i was i, I was you know we had it was all yamaha lawyers but they were asking me as if they were the um uh, the yeah. prosecuting oh, okay. side and i'm just like so you it were like this isn't even in reality. Almost like an expert witness. Type yeah, exactly. Thing. And so, the, but however, I didn't actually have to go into court. But yeah, you know, I was uh, maybe helpful, maybe not. I don't yeah. know. But I mean, just the the way they were presenting everything and the way the line of questions, I'm just like, 
Yeah, I'm glad I'm not in that yeah. profession. <laughs> I, I no, wish I that there was a law that the the judges or courts could use that just says this is this is frivolous. You know, com like a common sense law. You went riding. <laughs> now you're asking for a law. You signed a waiver <laughs> that said this is dangerous. You crashed and you hurt yourself, and now you're suing the track and the manufacturer of the bike and and, and the dealer dealer because and the dealer he assembled it wrong. I mean, uh, it, come on, you know, right? It's insane. I, but I had, but you can't. Or you the can't, person that sues because they burnt their lip on a hot cup of coffee because it didn't say the coffee was hot. hot. <laughs> and that's that's. I think we talked about this off air, but you know, it's like the litigation in our country. It's just it's cancerous. Yeah. It's it's yeah. so bad. That's I, a good way to put it. I got a deposition to go and uh, as my company DRD, and it was like nine times removed, but they still. Came back to you. And I had to pay yeah. to get out of it. I got to hire a lawyer. I got to do yeah. this. I got to do that. I got to present this whole thing. It's like, I am so not even connected to this, but you can't just say I'm not connected. You have to legally go through the process yeah. to prove that you're not connected. But it's it's the same thing. I mean, it was on down. This was a situation, and I mean, if you looked at a family tree. I'm like way over here <laughs> as my company, but somehow I was attached to this yeah. situation. And you're going. They oh try to bring God. anyone in with them and just anyone hope and everyone settle. In, yeah, I had, I had not even a product on this vehicle that was involved in this incident. Not not one part, but. Uh, I think I might someone. have passed by that vehicle one time <laughs> when we were at Glen Helen. I mean, it was almost that removed that it was like, I think you were there that day. Therefore, you wait. You have a company. We're suing you. Yeah, exactly. You have a company and you have some assets. <laughs> okay, you're. I included. shot the clerk. <laughs> yeah, no, the first thing they do is. <laughs> I shot the clerk. <laughs> it's the first jerky thing. boys. <laughs> have you seen that? You remember that from? No, uh, that's oh, perfect. I shot the clerk. Yeah, yeah, I shot the clerk. I shot the clerk. Yeah, <laughs> my cousin. My cousin. Vinny. Vinny. Yeah, well, that was a great movie. <laughs> I think one of the first things they do is they go and look and go. Oh well, he's insured up to two million, so yeah. we're going to go for two million. Yeah. That way, he he gets he gets something. I get something. We're good. Yep. They'll uh, settle somewhere crazy. between. Well, yeah. you figure even if a manufacturer has to settle for a couple hundred grand, which would be pretty common, how many bikes do they got to sell just to make that up and then to pay the lawyer? I mean, well, it's think like, about for Yamaha with it. the whole Rhino thing. I yeah. mean, remember that? I mean, they were just up to their eyeballs in, in lawsuits. and mm. Yeah, I mean, it killed that whole line. You know, they had to re-release it under a different name. It was that bad. Yeah. And I can remember watching TV, and, you know, it was it was almost like the asbestos commercial, but it was the yeah. rhino guy. Yeah. 1-800-RHINO, and I'm like, oh. Were you on a UTV and it rolled Ever. over? Yeah. yeah. Do you know anyone that yeah. owns a UTV? Yeah. You, well, you're entitled to some money. Did can you, you walk by a UTV? Yeah. No, we were laughing. We're like, can you imagine in like in like 2030, so 10 years from now, TV commercials, were you overly exposed to Lysol disinfectant during the 2020 coronavirus? Yeah, exactly. You Lysol. may be eligible for compensation. <laughs> That's what it'll be. Yeah, hand sanitizer. It's yeah. killing everyone. <laughs> uh, what are some of the best and worst bikes you ever raced or tested? Hmm. That's uh Did you own an 81 Yamaha? Sounds like the 77 yeah. Yamaha. Yeah, yeah, 77. <laughs> I never owned one. I only That 81 with the first year, the 125 water-cooled, the duck nose looking. Yeah, that thing wasn't bad. I my problem that I had with it was I was the unfortunate recipient of porous cases. So these cases you would pressure test that engine cold, held no problem, but as soon as it got hot that the cases would leak and then it would get lean and it would seize. And uh. I, I struggled with that thing. I finally, 
we figured it out through a friend. Oh, have you ever pressure tested it hot? And then we ended up kind of epoxying back there and fixing it. But yeah, there was, <laughs> there was some things. But, you know, it's so funny. There's so many, and I, I get questions similar to this all the time, you know, just people at the track or whatever. Oh, yeah, you know, I had this bike or that bike or whatever. And people love to pick on certain bikes. But it, it's a little bit like what I was saying with that Honda that went away pretty and came back. Well, yeah. it might have been only one little thing that, you know, but then... Everyone wants to jump on that bandwagon and turn it into the worst thing that was yeah. ever sold, and then you know you get these these uh, situations. But so for me, I never really had a bad experience with anything testing. There were certain items, you know, uh, uh, engine design or a new suspension component or things like yeah. that, or <clears throat> or some new chassis. You know, like aluminum chassis were very difficult in the beginning. You know, I think we almost. I want to say everyone gets a little bit lucky, you know, because and uh, my point to that would be so Honda for many years had like the best, you know, everyone talks about 08 Honda 450 as being one of the best chassis. So we were always convinced they know something. They know something, but what I think it was is just through a lot of hours and a lot of testing, they kind of got there because then they released the 09, and it was pretty bad. It was yeah. really so you're bad. like, oh, thank God. They don't know something that we don't. <laughs> They were just through pure hard work yeah. and a little bit of luck along the way. So, you know, we've all experienced that. You know, we get these, oh, it's an all-new chassis with all the knowledge we've had, and here we go. We're going to take a giant step forward, and then we're like, that thing's horrible. You know, what have you done? And and then you go back and, you know, you spin circles and you spend a lot of time and money and, you know, your butt's bleeding and your hands are raw and you're like, okay, we got it to almost as good as last year's bike, uh, you know. So, yeah. I mean, so many of those situations just from motor to chassis to, you know, a new fork to whatever it is. So we, I have experienced a lot of that stuff and it just, it proves to me that as much engineering behind it, it, without all the massage that happens yeah. post engineering, yeah. you're you're. It's just like it's like a dino chart, yeah. Right, like it kind of. Uh, it'll tell you one thing, but you've got to get track feedback and adjust according to that. It's the same thing with any of those new chassis. Well, according to the math, this should be great. Yeah. Exactly. Then, like like Honda, when they came out with the '97, it was terrible, and it took them until '08 to have it really really titties. one of the yeah. best yeah, yeah it was one of the worst and it finally became one of the best but it took them almost a decade to get there yeah. because and you know it's i could go off into a million different tangents they were already four years down the road mm -hmm. with the changes or three that, years down the road and a lot of that you know by the time this thing hits the market and you get the market's feedback you're already way way down the road on the yeah. next thing so that's why sometimes it takes two renditions or revelation, you know, whatever, whole design groups to fix that problem that just now came out. Because, you know, your test riders, they get beat down. You know, there's just a lot of situations that everyone, is it acceptable? That was always my fav favorite term. Is it acceptable? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you going to buy me a nice steak? <laughs> yeah. Is there cold beer involved? Then I'll yeah. say it's acceptable. So then you get to those situations and then, it might be, uh, but then all of a sudden public perception, and then you know you get a bunch of magazines picking on something, and then before you know it, it might be that much of a problem that they turn into yeah. this much of a problem. And I've seen that. So yeah, I mean, so it's, those are some of the big challenges that I, you just face. I call that the wallpaper theory, where 
if you're off just a little bit at the corner there, by the time you get to here, it's like... <laughs> yeah, you notice yeah. it's a big yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had um, something that we had, uh, I remember, at Pro Circuit from uh, 2005 to 2006 on the 250F. It went from a steel frame to the aluminum frame. And we were just struggling because it was, like you talked about, the aluminum frame just had different characteristics, different just feel. Different. And, and we're struggling to get comfortable. And um, and I, I'll have to check, but I think Bones was the one that said, let's try this. And, and what it came down to is the 450 team was struggling, the fa you know, factory team, and we were kind of struggling. And I'm pretty sure it was Bones, and he realized that there was a little difference in the swing arms. And somehow he, we got a 450 swing arm, and that made a huge difference. And then the 450 ri team riders tried a 250 swing arm and loved it. And we ended up, just, right? they ended up doing a big mass switcheroo <laughs> between the but factory and the person just switching <coughs> swing arms. But, uh, and yeah, so a 250 swing arm, the guys, I think it was Stuart and it might have been Burner as well, I forget, or Fit. Was it Burner? Anyway, they liked the 250 swing arm and we liked the 450 swing arm and that's what we pretty much ran. Well, because what happens, especially in chassis, it's a, it's a harmonious, you know, uh, it's like an instrument. If you, and that's why you know, all these people are all into these motor, you know, thicker, thinner. Yeah. But it, it truly, some of it doesn't make any difference. But if you're on the cusp of something flexing too much or being too stiff, you can make some little adjustment. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden that thing, ring, it sounds yeah. perfect where, you know, before it it's like. Oh. How's it going? <laughs> ah, there we How's go. That? Yeah, that okay, that's what you want to Music to my ears. Yeah. Hey, hey, do you have any idea how many motorcycles you've ridden? Hmm. I remember, uh, I think it was Mike Healy out of Paris. This was some years back, maybe 10 years ago. He stopped me one day. I was just out there, you know, my stupid, I probably did a thousand laps that day alone. But he goes, have you ever added up how many laps you've done in your life? Dude, I was thinking about that last night. I was thinking Dubak has to be the guy who's done more laps on a motocross track than I think anybody in the history. It's possible. <laughs> I was trying to think who's ridden a shitload like their whole life. <laughs> And I'm like, Doug. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can remember, that, again, I'm going backwards now, so hopefully I'm not jumping ahead. No, he's but, okay with that. <clears throat> okay, that's, that's all right. So it's funny, Dustin Nelson and I were doing a lot of Yamaha testing, and we happened to do, we had some durability testing on top of our normal production stuff, but we all wanted to go around a national. So we had the Glen Helen National and the Hangtown National. We rode, I think it was 23 days in a row, we counted, so 23 days in a row, and some of those were testing, or I mean durability days, so you know those were hours and hours. hours. So, <clears throat> so uh, it would be interesting to go back and try and do the math on just that 23-day period, Jeez. you know, doing two nationals. I did Hangtown, or, or Glen Helen and Hangtown in there, and I was up Monday morning riding again. And I was riding Friday till I got on the plane, then I rode some press or something on Saturday and race Sunday. But those kinds of chunks, you don't, you just going through the motions. Oh, okay, this person needs me to do that, but I want to go do that. And all of a sudden, you just, and that was Dustin and I sat down because we both kind of cooked. It was funny because he goes, because we, we all had to answer to Scheidler. And I had done uh, something. Oh, no, it was Dustin. He uh, off track, blew up a hay bale, you know, put his nuts up in his throat, the whole thing. But he's going, if, if I got to stay out here, you know, because Scheidler will ream my ass. Well, I had done something also. I think I had folded a brake pedal around. I had done something as well. And he goes, I saw you in the infield. So then that was like, my, I could stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but because Shiloh was always a hard ass. He'd do, ah, oh, come on, what are you guys doing? And, you know, you better do this and that. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I bet 
There wouldn't be very many people that had done more laps around a motocross track than I have because I've, I've never had that. Oh yeah, I stopped for this many years or that many years. You know, yeah. between Yamaha, you know, my own company, and just Dunlop Tire. I mean, you name it. I was riding five yeah. plus days a week for many, 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 many years. Yeah, and still racing on the weekends. Yeah, yeah, and I was. And that's Butler used to just go. You know, I would send him even today. You know, I send him a tech. He knows I work like you know. 12-hour days and seven days a week because I'm just, that's my personality. And and I'll send him a picture from up in the desert riding with my kid. And he's like, are you freaking crazy? You know, you worked all week. Especially when you know he knew I would test all week with him. And then I'd send him a picture of me up at some desert track with my kid riding on the weekend. Yeah. He's like, what the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> that's crazy. That is still impressive because I don't think I could just do that many laps i think eventually i'd just be like all right i don't want to see a dirt bike on track ever <laughs> yeah, again yeah, ever again so if you had to pick a favorite race bike what would it be favorite race bike i would say our bikes from uh and i'll kind of go two-stroke air or four-stroke air but our bikes in like 91 92 that era of our YZ250s, those bikes were just uh, unbelievable. Yeah. They were, <clears throat> you know, I mean, obviously I was very involved with it, so I was very happy with it. And I, I think the other riders, Damon liked his bike, I think Emig liked his, but those were some of our best bikes. Mm. Yeah. I think it was, um, it was either 92 or, no, it was 93, I think, when Yamaha came out, they knew YZ80. Mm -hmm. And I remember I rode the old YZ80, uh, the 91 where the forks were about that thick. <laughs> about an inch thick i mean they would flex going down yeah. the start straight yeah and i remember i ended up getting a deal with honda and as i switched everyone got their new yamahas i just remember they were just next level and i was so pissed i'm like i rode that piece of shit <laughs> and now yeah. the minute i leave they come out all with my this. competitors got and the i remember good one. every privateer was on a yamaha that yeah year. and i yeah, think it was so 93 yeah 93 was good the production yeah, yeah the production stuff was very good um yeah, obviously when the four strokes came along, I actually liked the 426. So 2000, 2001, those bikes is okay. almost same in 2002, but uh, those bikes were really, really good. Good for the time, huh? Yeah, it was just, it was unreal because the 98 and 99 400s, yeah, a little heavy, a little slow, you know, mm -hmm. just by what you want. Yeah. And, and just that, that 426 motor was enough better. A little bit lighter, but uh, those were really good bikes. <clears throat> like, I went to Canada and raced that, uh, their Canadian championship in 2000. And I remember Dave Gallon just, he was just blown away. He's like, well, don't you need this? Don't you want that? Don't you? And we rode pretty much a standard bike. And, uh, you know, I won the, <clears throat> won the championship yeah. on that thing. And he's even like a tire. And he's like, well, don't you? I remember going to uh, Calgary. I think it was like round three my tower tire was a bit rounded and he's like oh we got to put a new tire on i'm like no it's a cement gate you know i want that little bit of a roundness you know a little more surface area and he's like he couldn't understand that and then uh yeah when i hold shot at both motos he's like <laughs> okay i think I yeah they used to make my stomach <laughs> stick like when you did put a new tire on oh i know i mean and well. before the parade lap i'd just smoke it try to wear that edge off yeah. do the parade lap come back burn it again i mean you're ruining it before you even take <laughs> off that was yeah but so <clears throat> i think those bikes were good and uh i uh, one of the things that was a really big point to me and i think grant can attest to this because i think he was a beneficiary of winning an ama outdoor title was when uh, you got to ride the, I think, believe it was the 08 bike partway through the year. 
again, this harmonious instrument that we're tuning, that wasn't very many changes, but luck or just pure, you know, time and found determination, right just found the right combination. <clears throat> and that, that was a that 08 YZ450 was very good because mm. I was not a big fan. 03, 04, 05. I thought we took some big steps backwards. And then mm. finally, we gained some knowledge and just pure just time and effort out at the track. It but reminds me that <coughs> Keith McCarty would not flirt with the gray area because I remember <coughs> we stayed back after Redbud because I was getting frustrated, just not getting the feeling I wanted. And he said, well, we're going to have the f first 08 bike that we've got our hands on. So we're going to have it there for you and give it a shot. So they ran to the track, left it rough, rode both bikes back, 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 and every time was quicker on the 08, which was, the chassis was, was um, the 08, but they it was mostly like 07 components, so it was yeah, know, the same, kinda, just the yeah. and every time was quicker on that bike, and I'm like, I gotta race it. I'm like, can I race it this weekend? Keith's like, no, we don't even have bikes in the country, and I'm like... I know other people that have said they had bikes in the country that didn't. I'm like, let's make it work. And he was like, no, we don't work like that at Yamaha. I said, I've ridden for a few teams. When there's gray area, they go through it. Nope, not here. And I'm like, come on. There's nothing worse than riding a bike and going, I love it. And then they go, well, we're going to have to wait about three rounds before you're allowed to ride it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You're killing me here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they they were very uh, very by the book and by the rule. And I was like, just tell them you got 400. They can't count. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to check. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I think you went on to win several races right there at the end and yeah. locked down. The, but, yeah. So that was it one was of the grace. It, it really was because. Yeah. I think I had bitched enough and then Keith, <laughs> Keith believes enough in me to go, all right, let me just see if this kid actually knows what he's talking about. Yeah. What can you tell me? There's a real weird uh, dynamic on the current Yamaha 450 where in stock trim, you go to shootouts or you give it to magazines and they go, this bike's awesome. It's great. Uh, winning shootouts on all the places. That, I mean, for the last several years, it's winning both bikes. Mm -hmm. uh, the transition to the professional race team, for whatever reason, is not seem to be uh, jiving with that. Like, yeah. And even when you watch, I thought, oh, maybe it's just the riders, but when I watch the bike, it looks like they struggle in big whoops. They struggle in certain track conditions. I'm less in tune with what's going on these days, and you know, I don't want to pick on anyone just for the sake of picking on them, but a lot of times, and I'll just tell you from my experience, <clears throat> from the top down, like just all the management and how things get you know, laid out and tested and just everything goes in some fashion, and sometimes things can go backwards, you know, and it's... It's just, I mean, we've all experienced yeah. it, regardless of the color of the company or whatever, and even riders. You know, you get certain riders that don't agree with a bike, that it doesn't. So, yeah. I don't know how much of that applies to this situation, but it, you do see it. I think the 250 team, you know, I, I know that that star program is very solid. You know, maybe it's uh, Bobby is the driving factor. I don't know. But I think they've put a lot of the pieces together. I, I, I think there's a lot of reasons when you go and look <clears throat> at it. Yeah. And I think those are the things, regardless of the color, I think that management from the top down and how they, you know, just the whole daily attitude and just how people approach. And because, you know, 
we're all riders. We're all fickle little, you know, one blue yeah, sock, yeah. one red sock away from not winning a race. So <laughs> yeah. it's it's almost that uh, through the whole system. Mm. You know, if this guy believes that he's on the best stuff, and, and there's got to be some proof to the pudding. You know, you, right. you, you can't just, you know, pixie dust and convince a guy, you know, hypnotize him or whatever. He's got to believe in that program. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I think... And again, not really picking on an, an individual here, but I think that the Yamaha 450 program lacks that magic through whatever little successes or, um, you know, just the things going right enough to start to believe. I mean, I was very disappointed that the racing stopped because I think Plessinger, just through yeah, some development he and he was <laughs> starting, there. exactly, because we all know how fickle riders can be. And, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's, you've got to believe, really. Yeah. And if you don't believe, that yeah. much doubt is the difference of a podium or 10th. Yeah. You know, especially especially this year. Yeah. I mean, this year is critical. So I don't think the bike's uh, missing anything, really. I mean, look at Barsha's had some really, really good success, and not even in the mud. You know, he yeah. went out and got second and, uh, did, you know, and won. And, you know, so he's... <clears throat> showing that you know despite of maybe some of the little uh, nicks in the pro program i think there is something there so i think it's just one of those things they've got to continue you know you, you got to ride on your successes and and you know everyone's got to be convinced that that success is there to have you, you know it's yeah. it's it's a very very kind of uh well, fragile, fragile but in, the, fragile in, in their 250 yeah. department they 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 couldn't win anything for a while, and then you know, if you go look at the last five, six years, they they've been the the bike to beat in the two fifty. Yeah, they're like the new Mitch and his yeah. pro circuit and program. I think <coughs> in the four fifty, like you said, I mean, it's just I don't think any. There also hasn't been enough guys that have been there long enough. If you look, they were with um, the L and M team for a <coughs> while and outsourced this and JGR. You know what I mean? I think when you go <coughs> look, like you said, when you piece it back, there hasn't been. The year solid year foundation year, of growth yeah. and solid program. It's yeah. pulled out of factory racing, supplied them, worked with them, had engineers working with their engineers who worked with their, you know. And I, But when you say how well it does, I think it's a great consumer bike. Because when you go to a track and you go, right, it's got incredible power. The bike will last forever. Low maintenance. It doesn't do anything bad. It does mm-hmm. everything pretty good, in my opinion. But at a Supercross level... You know, with that motor and everything, I think on paper when you say, hey, let's have all the weight in the middle and down low, it's good. But when you're, like you said, through whoops and you got, you know, that uh, the gyro and the movement back and forth, I think it just makes the, ex- the, the motion a little more exaggerated. And I think some of the riders, it's just hard to find where's that medium balance. A lot of riders, you know, that, that I've talked to the factory guys, I think they just find that they get more, a little more Yawing. weight being transferred from the front to the rear and at certain tracks it hurts him and in other places the bike's incredible but i think it's a great consumer bike even the 2020 a lot of people that rode the previous bike said 2020 was noticeably better yeah that was even plus just said you know like you know when someone's off the record not being paid to say it he's like it's definitely a better foundation for me yeah. and you could see him making those little ch- chips and i think his riding was better than his results were showing and then it got cut off. Yeah. Well, and and again, it comes a little bit. You know, for for some years there, I called it kind of the 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 James Stewart 
uh, situation because he, well, because everyone was so quick to jump on. Nobody wanted to admit that James, you know, or recognize that he had crashed on every bike he ever rode, mm. <clears throat> you know, and he, he, he didn't crash as much at certain times, but I think that that really put a big black eye on the YZ450 yeah. and this, you know, new style engine and, and all that. And so I think that carried for a long time. I had a funny situation where I went and supported Yamaha at a, I can't even remember the magazine. And I had one rider that was afraid to ride the bike. He goes, oh, you know, I was kind of concerned. And this was the first year James was back on the Suzuki. And, uh, and so I tried to explain to him. I said, yeah, you know, um, it's been kind of a tough thing to, to dig your way out of because, you know, that everyone talks and everyone loves to jump on that bandwagon, you know, right or wrong. You know, they want to sound like they know because that other guy said it too. And Have you and actually written it? Oh, no, no, but but he's only. He's pretty much bad. exactly <laughs> that. And, uh, you know, thank God, you know, unfortunately, James was falling off that Suzuki, you know, looked outstanding and then fell off that. And. You know, it took some years, but that rider, at the end of the day, he said, oh, I forget whatever bike was truly the best that year. This is probably five years ago or something. Uh, he picked that one first, but he picked the Yamaha second over hmm. several other bikes. And he's like, that thing's actually pretty good. But it just, it's it lends to, you know, people want to believe what they want to believe. And they don't even, you know, and it, it goes back to the Scheidler days. You know, it was the best thing we did is full yeah. blind Get on it. I don't care what color, what what you know about it. Forget all that and, you know, fill out my paper. Yeah. I don't think enough of that goes on anymore. I think everyone kind of, they don't know, so Not they just sure. want to repeat what somebody else says. And then mm. that, that gets a lot of things into a lot of trouble. But <clears throat> back to kind of that whole transition from production to racing, <clears throat> I think there is many little incremental things that need to happen for success. Because, you know, it's like yeah. Yamaha uh, Star Racing. It's not like Mitch decided, oh, I'm just going to do a lousy job with my bike. But yeah. what happened is they just got a little more strength, and now all of a sudden the momentum goes this way. Same thing. You know, just like you guys have both pointed out, that Yamaha 450 team has been such a hodgepodge kind mm. of... It just hasn't had that <clears throat> consistency going down the same road. It's like they <clears throat> went there, oh, dead end. All right, let's go down. Oh, no, that didn't. All right, let's try there. So I think you. I've seen, especially the 2020 you know, being a better baseline, it's helped everyone go in the right direction but you know it, it's unfortunate that the racing stopped because i was seeing plessinger have some very very good even if it's only a heat race or something you can you you see the, the confidence yeah. yeah exactly the confidence start coming back and we all know as riders that's everything that's everything yeah so so obviously there's always little chassis improvements to make in here here and there but have we kind of hit a limit on four-stroke engine technology no. That's bearable in the sport. I mean, well, there's pneumatic yeah. valves. There's. <clears throat> are, I, are we going to ever see that kind of stuff, or have we kind of? I think cost will limit it. You yeah. know, because that's the unfortunate side that, just from all that I know and all that I see, it makes a difference. I yeah. mean, a few yen here or there. Nope. You know, not this year. Or this, you know, the budget and everything. It's all got to fit in this nice little package. So I think. You know, we've seen big jumps, you know. I mean, there was disc brakes a while ago and, you know, uh, fuel injection and four-stroke. Upside you know, down forks. Yeah, upside down forks. There's a lot of things that have come along, but I, I don't see there being 
uh, a technological limit, but I think financially the bikes are starting to get it's a good, good and not, way to put it. Not really s- starting, but they've been expensive now for a, a handful of years, and I think that's going to slow things down a little bit because. Just like you say, pneumatic valves and you know surface you can, you treating bearings away. and things like Grant was talking. I mean, all that's there, but who really wants to yeah. pay that ticket when you know you're just throwing it in your truck and going out and enjoying with your buddies? You I, know, I think they're definitely good enough for that. I think the technology has allowed what well, almost getting back to the beginning of our conversation, which was potentially updated two strokes, where you can use less CC, less moving parts. Which yeah. means less maintenance, cost less cost. Cost down. <coughs> I yeah. think the technology is going to allow things that, like two strokes, that maybe like, oh, that's old technology. Wait a minute. With this new technology combined with that, I think you could see bikes with smaller CC. Just look what happened with cars. Big V6, then big V8, then now everything's gone back smaller, smaller, smaller. But they're able to get more out of a smaller block. I, I think you might see that happening in our sport. Smaller CC, maybe less than moving parts but still producing the same sort of experience or ride yeah maybe we need to just go to the manufacturers and say i have this idea for an engine it's half the size it's lighter (laughs) less moving parts yeah exactly we'll just tell them don't be a dick to the consumer (laughs) (laughs) um so tell us how dr d began as a business what what brought that on so uh that was kind of a whole little short, fairly short turn of events, and uh, I apologize if I throw anyone under the bus, but um, obviously I'm a test rider, been a test rider, you know, and so I was on the very beginning of the whole four-stroke revolution, you know, I understood, I went through all the, you know, different renovations and just things that went along with developing that bike, so I learned and knew and, you know, feeling and all that, well, so at, right around that time, uh, you know, longtime friend of Mitch, and you know, he he told me those things will never be race bikes. They're, they're, they're trail bikes; they'll never be race bikes. Yeah, you know, well, okay. Well, you know, my experience kind of would say different, but I'll let you think that for now. He was totally against four stroke. Yeah. And then, you know, Tom White at White Brothers. I, I don't care what it is. You know, if it's chrome, it's carbon. I, I just I'm going to sell it. You know, so that was his approach to everything. So. You know, he hired me to race the first year of the 98-400, you know, four-stroke national, some of those Thunder bikes. You know, I was uh, just... Sound of Thunder. <coughs> th- all yeah. that stuff. Spud, so, too, right? Spud yeah. raced those with you? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, Spud and I were the teammates on yeah. that, that little White Brothers Smale team. Was also there for a while? Well, he was the he was the counterpart. He was the uh, the Husserberg guy. Yeah. He was trying to beat us, and, um, you know, he was fighting on that. that big, I think the engine in that bike probably weighed more than my whole bike did. <laughs> <laughs> that engine, I remember Tom Owen trying to take one out. I think he needed like four people to help him <laughs> yeah, up in Washougal one time. engine lift. <clears throat> oh, God, those things were... But, Workman's you know, comp. <laughs> yeah, technology and, you know, the evolution of the whole thing. But so um, at that time, I, I really started running into a lot of walls. You know, I'm trying to help Mitch and... You know, he's just like, yeah, whatever, because I was helping him with all the two-stroke stuff and everything, and he's just, ah, you know, whatever, whatever. And the White Brothers, <clears throat> they were just a selling company. You know, they didn't really they know how to, yeah, anything. they just wanted to build it and chrome it and put it in a box. And so, and I was trying, we were trying to do some supercrosses then as well, <clears throat> and I was just, I would test all week, and then I would get to a race, and they'd have, you know, them little discs, you know, that super trap system. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those things were horrible for any kind of response and all that. 
And it looked good on the dyno, though. <clears throat> but they, that that pipe would be on my bike. I'm like, why did we spend all week testing with just a regular, you know, little exit tip? And <clears throat> well, this is what we sell. So there was just a lot of frustration going on. <clears throat> and so I came home one night, and I'm talking to my wife, and I'm going, man, this is killing me. You know, I I I know how to help all these people, but they're they're hiring me to help them, but then they don't listen to what I'm saying. And so she turns to me, she goes, well, why don't you just do it yourself? Why don't you just start your own company? And I'm like. Okay, anyway, what's for dinner? You know, I just <laughs> completely blew it off. And then that's the next week, I, I think I came home and I was like, man, you know, this and that. So I was really struggling, trying to race some supercrosses and dealing with these guys at White Brothers. So she said it again. She goes, well, you know all this stuff. You've done it. You know, this is kind of what you're good at is developing and tweaking and making things good. And I'm like, hmm. <clears throat> so then I went to Mitch. And I said, hey, Mitch, I'm, you know, kind of want to start this thing and I want to do this. And he's like, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> That's what he said. He goes, well, yeah, I'll help you because you'll fail anyway. You know, and he tells me this whole Larry Rossler story of something, <laughs> something, something. He's like, yeah, so I'll help you because you'll be out of business in a year anyway. And it was very matter of fact. And I'm like, OK, whatever. So I went to Tom White and I'm like, hey, Tom. I'd like to do this. Can will you support me? Would you build it for me? Or we don't really build any. You know, I'm obviously paraphrasing and boiling it down. But basically, we don't really build anything. We don't know what we're doing. So you should probably go somewhere else. And I'm like, he goes, but I'll sell it if you make it. So anyway, through the next couple of days, Mitch finally agreed. He goes, okay, I'll build it. You know, you just help me. And I think his whole motivation was he knew I would help develop his stuff along yeah, the way. So right. that was kind of, <clears throat> and so we. Well, off and running, you know, went down and got a business license and uh, started the company. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, Tom was great to me. Tom bought everything I could make. You know, I mean, that guy, he knew how to sell stuff. And that was, those were great early, early on. Mitch was making it and Tom was selling it and everything was great until, of course, Mitch. <laughs> yeah, at a, at <laughs> he a point he out. went, hey, um, well, Doug, it's so funny cause hold on a second. Everybody warned me. I'm like, nah, Mitch, you know, he's my buddy. We've been friends for 20 years you know i used to but um yeah but kind of it's not real clear kind of what happened but yeah he just said you're done i can't do this for you anymore but you know as the story was from some other people months later was well he figured out you were selling more than he was and you know he's pro circuit (laughs) you're some old rider guy but you know, people believed in me. Yamaha kind of, you know, rolled me out as this guru testing. You know, so I just, all the pieces were in the right places. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, those successes were good. But uh, so that was kind of the beginning of it. And, you know, we've definitely had highs and lows and as the industry shifts and all that. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, quite a ride. It's a tough industry to make a living in. It's, yeah. it, it, it's so susceptible to every downturn and every, you know, fluctuation he's, of the market he's so. in one of the toughest <laughs> industries in the toughest state to do business well, i mean exactly. he's all emissions no, i mean no, everything he's, he's dealing I mean, with his emissions and I, we could go way off on this whole california yeah, resource board exactly. and i think we both had the bad end of the stick with those but it's true you know we are so regulated here it's really it makes it really really yeah. difficult <laughs> we're leading the way for the rest of the country <laughs> the world 
The world. Come on, listen to those guys. They'll tell you. Yeah, the whole world follows what we do. I don't want to be a leader. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. happy to be mid pack. Yeah. I'm quite happy exactly. to be mid pack right now. I just like to make a little money. Is yeah. that too much to ask? <laughs> so is business good though? Still, you guys. Are uh, you know, I make a lot of other stuff for other people as well. Oh, okay. You know, I private label got, kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, I've got all the equipment and machines and everything, and you know, I made kind of a decision five or six years ago that I wasn't going to chase all the race teams and spend all that money because. To me, if I got 20 employees doing, you know, $5 million a year in sales, it's not much different to me than doing, you know, having a quarter of those employees doing a quarter of those sales. Right. I'm making more money with less. And less hassle. <laughs> exactly. You yeah. know, and I, it's, in, in one hand, you go, oh, I really want to chase all that again. And then on the other hand, you go, you know what? I've got a lot of things figured out. Yeah. I make good money. I... Yeah. You know, I've got a lot of equipment and machines and things that people don't have. And, you know, I do. I, I do find doing a lot of private label. and. Uh, I think Bill Cervera kind of learned that lesson, too. Uh, you know, he's been around forever and uh, did the factory Honda, factory Suzuki, Suzuki program for a while and was very successful with it. But I think it's like he Burns realized, look, I can just not have all that headache, <laughs> sell to my customers yeah. I have. He doesn't do a lot of marketing. He doesn't advertise any magazines. He just sort of got cruises by with base. what he's doing. Yeah. You know? It's a tough thing. You you are either one of those guys or you're one of the other guys. You know, and yeah. it's really hard to do that without some other help. And yeah. you know, for me, you know, it's just been myself for many, many, many years and yeah. you know, and my employees or whatever. But yeah, I'm not that big you know, let's just dump everything here and go do this and go do that. You know, I'm a little, I guess, a little too conservative. I like to uh, yeah. know what's going to happen. But probably a little less corporate, more hands-on. I mean, yeah. my story is, and when um, when I, after my eye cancer, came back to, to, to racing, ended up teaming up with Jason Lawrence and, uh, and those guys, and we actually got to do some testing with Doug. And it, it was cool because... Like, I felt like we could speak the same lingo, and uh, we'd go and try stuff, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought it was going to do, and, <laughs> you know, but it was cool to work with, with Doug for that little period that we had, just to go out and, and try stuff and see improvements, and, and you also realize that there's a lot of performance or just adjusting of the power that, that can be done with an exhaust, even yeah. on a four-stroke. You know, you go, oh, they got plenty of power. But then you go and you ride somewhere, you're like, wow, well, that made that bike so much easier to ride. Or yeah, that gave me that power, grunt yeah. where you wanted it or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of where I got that nickname, Human Dino, is because I did do very well in all the pipe shootouts because that's where I developed it, you know, on yeah. a standard bike at the local racetrack, you know, and I owned a dyno, but, you know, I was very good and, you know, I had a good friend, Mike Hooker, which you probably remember oh, yeah. that Hook name. was my team manager for yeah, a you know, couple maybe, years. Yeah, a sharp guy there. He helped me with all my numbers and he would help make sense. I'd go, yeah, I just did, 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 did and oh, here, try that and do it. So, well, I would end up winning nearly every pipe shootout, but yeah, I still sold one tenth of what everyone else did because I didn't have all the, the other yeah, style, yeah all the other things that went along with it but so yeah it is it's a it's a fickle game and especially you know like Grant says the amount of regulation and things this that we're all up against crazy. I'm just not uh, well, it's willing so to play a lot of those games that you're required to play well it's hard to go and go okay I'm gonna invest time and money in this avenue and potentially there could be a law change or a, or a state mandated 
whatever and all of a sudden you're going oh shit i wasted my time because and this money. is irrelevant <laughs> yeah or i can't <laughs> sell it yeah and i know one of the things that uh, you know a lot of us within this industry grumble about is when carb came in and kind of took away a lot of those options mm-hmm. you know back in the day you know, you name the shop and they would sell so many accessories, build it into the finance, all that yeah. sort of stuff. And I mean, we couldn't make stuff fast enough to fill the need. And then as soon as uh, that was a big change, in, in my opinion, and I've kind of a lot of others share that, man, that, that just gutted the industry, really not yeah. being able to put all those things on and build them into the financing of the, of the unit. Mm. So... Good enough for America, but not good enough for California. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 49 states. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You you and Kurt Nickel, who who was our last guest, uh, or two two shows ago, you guys are kind of like my inspiration because you guys, I still see you guys out just motoing. I I feel like Kurt's maybe faster than he's been. In 20 years, right now, <laughs> know, he right? might, he so might actually win a world title if he went back yeah, out he there. Yeah, he should go back and chase it, right? <laughs> Don't let the dream go. How how is your body doing? Like, I always wonder, how long can I do this before I'm like, okay, Just it hurts rack. too bad. Well, yeah, I mean, there's because there's days when I go to swing my leg over and this hip, I'm like, oh, that hurts, you know, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I hadn't really thought a whole lot about that. And, you know, I had that big wreck in Mammoth where I, you know, had a, it was a pretty big one. And um, I did try to make you think about it. But, you know, from there, I was so determined to not let it hold me down that I almost went the other way and, you know, like raced more and chased other things and things after that. But, uh, you know, nowadays, my kids riding a lot more and, so I, my sh- focus has shifted a little bit with him, but uh, so I don't do as many races as I used to do, but I'm still riding all the time. And I feel like if I, like I had a, a knee thing that I did at REM kind of beginning of last summer and yeah, it kept me off the bike for a while. And being off the bike, it felt like everything hurt worse. Mm. You know, it's like you get a little bit. So they, you know, I couldn't bicycle or anything with that knee, and that really yeah, was. You stop moving, it, it'll <coughs> that gather sucked. up. Quick. That's, that's so, saying, yeah. body in motion stays in motion, yeah, exactly. Right? So in these last several months, I've really enjoyed being able to ride again and mountain bike and do yeah. all the things that I've you know done for the last forty years. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, but so for me, and it's funny because I had a conversation with Kurt uh, this was months ago, but he said, "Yeah, you know, I'm I'm afraid to stop because then." You know, it'll just be doomsday. Because yeah, just go buy a gonna, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> everything's going to start hurting in that. But uh, so, yeah, you know, I don't really ever. I, I can remember. I think it was Davy Coombs uh, did some farewell thing for me, and I didn't even realize that's what the story was going to be titled. They just did some story on me in their uh. magazine, and then when it came, I'm like. Farewell. What? Where am I, I going? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not done yet. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I, I've never really had a plan to race to a certain age or or oh, this is it and I'm stopping and none of that. You know, I just I'm so involved in the sport from every different angle yeah. that I just keep doing it because I enjoy it. You yeah. Know? So that's kind of just what keeps you going. Well, I'm sure you get asked this a lot because I do. Mm. Like you know, oh, I'm I'm. I had this big injury or I'm getting older to a point where like, I'm, I'm scared to go on tracks. Like, should I just, but I miss riding, you know? And I tell people, man, get into trail riding, go do, 
you, just, you know, you can still ride. You don't have to go to a motocross track. Yeah, and ride the main track or whatever. But <clears throat> yeah, for me. But it's tough to quit. It's it's. <clears throat> I but see. I mix a lot. Even my kid. You know, he's a 16 year old, pretty fast kid. But I was gonna say, is he faster than you now? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that I haven't been in the that track that much of few. late. But I remember. <laughs> I don't know when it was. It's I think last year we're at Glen Hill, but he was on a 125. Yeah, but and I think he still was all you and him were like similar. Yeah, you were on a 450 maybe. Yeah, back then we were pretty similar. Well, that times changed. <laughs> it's been sometimes it also happens quickly too. Yeah, huh? it does. It kind of slowly creeped up, but yeah, he's. <clears throat> but my point with that is, I think he's got a pretty good perspective of everything. Like you know, we go trail riding. It doesn't have to be a track and all yeah. that, and that's more maybe. For me to, you know, kind of when I was milking that knee injury and stuff, but he's as happy as can be. And yes. to, to your point, there's so much riding to do out there. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be pure hardcore moto. And I've always been a trail guy. I mean, way back, and that's one of the things, you know, trying to kind of get other guys to get their program figured out. The Emigs, the Bradshaws, the Mickey Don. I said, dude, we're not even going to the track today. We're going to go to the desert. We're going to go climb hills. We're going to go, you know, just do, just do fun stuff. And, you know, some of that I might be missing in today's sport, but I guess ride, enjoy what you're doing because you never know when it's going to get taken away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you don't know if all of a sudden something, just like you're saying in business, that all of a sudden, hey, now we've decided in the, uh, you know, great 50th state, even though I think it was brought into the union 46th or something, but um, (laughs) yeah, that it's all of a sudden they're going to come down with something new that we're not going to be allowed to do something. It won't be long. I I think it's, it won't be long. Yeah. Uh, It it was funny the other, when I bumped into you out at Kauai, maybe it was been a month ago or so, you were out there with Bradshaw, who was on his way back from the desert, and I was shooting I was shooting videos of some bike or something, and so I'm down at the bottom, like where you come back up that big hill. There's some guys parked right there, and they're saying hi to me while I'm waiting, and Damon comes by, and I go, that's Damon Bradshaw. They're like, what? Really? And they're all excited, and then you come by them all. That's Dr. D. That's Dubach right there. It is. <laughs> and then you. And then Carter came by. Well, that's Dr. D's son. He, look how fast he is. He's you know? faster than both of those yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah. But it was so fun to like. They got so excited, and I'm still watching you guys ride. Like when Damon comes by, he looks the same. Uh, Just aggressive, and <clears throat> he, he has that certain. Oh, he's got this style, man. That- yeah, arch in the top of the back. I got all excited, yeah. and then they were all excited. And I just, as I rode off, I'm laughing. I'm like, "Look at us, man! Yeah, Old kids." And it is funny, just because that's what I think motorcycles can bring. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's truly that raw, and it's so emotional for yeah. so many yeah. of us that it just, it is great. You know, we went to and we watched the Supercross in Arizona. We went to that ACP Arizona Cycle Park, and Damon uh-huh. and I, and all that. And we had so much fun that day. You know, Damon, he's, like I said, he's borderline bipolar. You know, he's can be anybody, but uh, I think he's grown and matured and mellowed. But we just had so much fun riding. You yeah. know, I think Carter was faster than both of us on his 125, but it didn't matter. You know, it, yeah. we would just get out there and do little sessions. And it's so, yeah, it's that raw emotion of getting that adrenaline and just trying to do something that yeah. can be so fulfilling. Well, and even at our age... And in our positions, it's like, you know how it's supposed to feel. 
And so maybe you only get it on half the turns. But when you get a turn right, you're like, oh, yeah, that was it. It's like hitting that one yeah. good shot at the golf course. Yeah. And it brings yeah. you back every time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What'd you shoot? Don't worry about my score. But <laughs> yeah. you should have seen the you approach know. on the 18. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just ignore That's just a number. Stuff. No one cares about numbers. <laughs> so what about Carter? Is he going to – is it something he wants to pursue? Or is it just know. kind of for fun right now? It, it, we keep it as it's just for fun. And, okay. you know, and I think he wavers from time to time. You know, he had his, got his arm broke last year at uh, that track in Arizona. Actually, we were at the, their big race in December. And they, that kind of little nick in his armor, you know, because he, he loves doing everything. I mean, the kid goes to Sheep Hills and jumps every big jump. And, you know, mm -hmm. he's doing all kinds of tricks with the scooter on, you know, the skate parks. On his, I mean, he is a very skilled kid, broad skills. And I've never put the pressure on, you know, we do Loretta's here or there, but, you know, he told me, he goes, Dad, that, that track kind of sucks. That whole event seems <laughs> I don't think silly. he's the only one yeah. that feels that way. So, so I think I finally got him off the Loretta wagon. <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> that saved you about 15 yeah, grand. <laughs> yeah, annually. But, uh, <clears throat> so I think he, he understands that he's not this tenacious, gritty, uh, whatever it takes, I don't care if, you know, I break my, whatever. Uh, but he's so very good. I mean, if you watch him ride, he's just a very very skilled kid yeah so <clears throat> i think he is in a little weird situation how old is he right now 16 <clears throat> so i keep telling him he wants to be an airline pilot so he's going to start going to flight school and things here uh, he, it's 17 is when you can start apply and get a private uh -huh. pilots and all that sort of stuff so <clears throat> i think he's going to pursue that somewhat and i told him if it was me, I'd say this is straight to, I'd say if it was me, I'd shoot for about eight, when, somewhere when you're 18, we'll go do a national. We'll go to Hangtown or something, and he loves two strokes. You know, I got him. Well, have you, have you guys been doing the all-star races? Did you do some last year? We did. We yeah. did, or he did. I did the one at Southwick a couple of years ago with him. Okay. But then he did a few last year, and, and it was funny because it was like he enjoyed one, and then the other one, he's like, eh, that wasn't all that great. So yeah. it was weird. You know, he went to Unadilla, and I think, what do you get, fourth or fifth at Unadilla? You know, full gate, and he's just out there having fun, never been yeah. on the track before, yeah. and, you know, he just had a good old time. And then he went to uh, Butts Creek, <clears throat> rode around in about 15th or something, just, you know, not even yeah. enjoying it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. So, so that kind of stuff sort of you know shows me that he's <clears throat> he's not that die hard whatever yeah. it's going to be i'm going to be a moto guy yeah. but <clears throat> he enjoys it so i'd love to see him yeah. you know ride a national and uh just because i think he really wants to inside but sort of in a like i did it type thing yeah just you know kind of check that off yeah, yeah that was something that because you get wrapped up in the sport you know all his buddies are you know doing this and doing that and so um it's easy to think you should, but, you know, I, I just totally leave it up to him. Yeah, Whatever he wants to do, and, you know, we'll always have bikes, and we'll always go to the desert and go trail yeah. riding at, at the very least. So, Did you know. make it a family. Yeah. Did he do Hangtown a couple years ago? Yes. <clears throat> I, I thought I so, – so I got a good start at that one. That was one of the ones I did, and I hate that track. But <laughs> I, I was like – after that race, I said, I don't think I'm doing any more of these. I had – he passed me. I'm like, oh, there's Doug's kid. And then Rick Ryan's kid passed me. I'm like, oh, there's Rick Ryan's kid. Surratt's kid passed me. I'm like, all right. Like all, all these guys, you know, that are kind of more my era. It's are not like, next gen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Am I in the wrong race? I think there, is this supposed to be a vet well, I class? I thought this was supposed to be the vet class. Vet class, yeah. yeah. You have to do a vet all-stars. Maybe I'll sign up. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's so funny because I, I almost had that impression that that's what they were 
positioning it as originally. They were well, trying to get some of the that's older what they guys, were trying to do. but then that failed quickly. So now it's just all right. Get all of your young. But guys I think it's in. neat to have both. You know, if I Nick agree. Way, like he's done some, and RV and um, Mike Brown. Mike, and, yeah, yeah. When you have some yeah. older guys like that, and it's then some of those mix. younger kids too. Well, it, it's, it's really cool fun. for those. The guys that have have the credentials for some kid that no one knows to come and beat them because everyone goes, hey, who was that kid or what's yeah. that kid's name? Mm. So it kind of puts those that next generation kid on sort of a, a platform. Well, it gives them a place to race yeah. in, in front of the yeah. people. You know, I think that's one. They get of the, recognized. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's one of the things that we've fallen behind a little bit in Europe that they've got proper race series yeah. for all these people you know love it or hate it and you know the organization or whatever but at least they've put it there for the kids to go and do and you yeah. see that you look at those like at Matterley that uh, 125 EMX class it was some fast I mean serious yeah, uh, fast Volman kids. went over and he didn't do that great no you know and he and he's arguably the yeah. fastest guy here and obviously conditions and there's some other things but yeah when you and you watch those guys ride they're a little more relaxed in those tougher conditions. Yeah. You know, we get these yeah. mere smooth tracks for six laps, and, you know, and Loretta's is bumpy, but it's still a little flat field. It's, just, and it's, it's different. It's too tight, and, yeah, it's, it's not nothing a real, like, not a real proper but, track. But, but going to Madley on a 125 or going to Loretta's, I think it's you're comparing two different uh, yeah, things Yeah, it's not well. even two apples and oranges. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those kids, when they go to, to Loretta's, it's like I'm the big fish in the small pond. You know, you go to Madley, you're just like, I'm just a... Another entry, you yeah, know, one exactly. of the classes. Yeah, <clears throat> I was something till I rolled into yeah, this Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, any suggestions to improve the health of our sport? If you mm. could wave a magic wand and change If a I could things? wave a magic wand, I would say somehow make a discounted bike, you know, yeah. without yeah. all the bells and whistles, I think. You know, because you see it in a lot of the other segments. You know, maybe watercraft or UTV or, you know, they do make this thing it's that's a little level. bit better target point. Yeah, target price point. Without having to buy a Chinese piece of shit. Exactly. Bike, there, there is the, the ability to find this point. Yeah, not this thing yeah. that, you know, that company's out of business. You can't get any yeah, parts. Exactly. Or, yeah. can, can we not make the two strokes that? I, think, I mean, I see, think so. and that's, I think we can. Well, that get, get rid of, be, uh, you know, like the Renthal bars or whatever. Just put the old, go back to the old steel. Whatever you can make cheap. You know what I mean? Like put some. Yeah, if you had a. Something that doesn't need a lot of maintenance either. Yeah. Like you don't have to change the filter every time. Like yeah. maybe every 10 rides. Or you don't have to lose the chain every time you ride. You know, that's a lot of the what's happened with bikes. They've gotten to a point where if you're, if you're a guy who's just getting into the sport, you have to write down a freaking checklist. You know, for a while, you had to bleed your forks and do all these other yeah, things. Yeah, so. well, that's, that stuff's mm. ridiculous. I just think you could make a, a YZ125, put, put electric start. Tyner. It needs an electric start, though. Ah, uh, but you're going to jack the price. If the whole concept is to get it well, entry level. Well, I guess level. if it's a 125, yeah. you'll kick <coughs> yeah, it pretty it's, easy. it's easy to kick. Two strokes yeah. kick easy. Yeah, and even YZ250, because that's what I've been riding mostly lately, kind of prepping for that... Uh, the two-stroke race, remember when they used to be a four-stroke only race? As you fall asleep over there, Donnie. Um, but, uh, so yeah, and that thing kicks real easy. Yeah. yeah. You know, that thing... Is, so is there not a... Is that not a viable option to do? Uh, it's tough to get the big companies behind that stuff because, A, most of them, you know, Honda swore they would never have another two-stroke in their lineup and, you know, Cowie and, you know, so there's really only... For the bigger ones, you know, the KTM Husky and then Yamaha that still produce a two-stroke. But, yeah, I, I would like to see it just even in the four-stroke. And I, I think it's just 
uh, it, within the system, it's too difficult to do. But yeah, if you did, like you say, steel bars or you know, not all the bells Ching and whistles. Tires but and even, yeah. suspension. Yeah, There's a lot of money in suspension that, that comes on these bikes, and a lot of times guys change them anyway. But even like something that's maybe not adjustable, it's just literally a spring. In a mechanism, you know, like minimal. Uh, but yeah, if you if you went back to some of the older units and applied a little bit of our knowledge for the original setup, I think you could produce some of that. Because you know, if you took five hundred dollars out of the manufacturing level, that's a few grand at the, retail, the retail level. Yeah, so yeah, if you could get that thing, you know, if you could get a nice modern two fifty F, four fifty F, even still with electric start at you know sixty nine ninety nine instead of Eighty nine ninety nine. I yeah. think you would open the door a, for it's, more it's, people. It's, it, I mean, it's a big price reduction when you yeah. take in percentage. Yeah. Is yeah. there anything uh, anything you would have changed about your career if you could go back and do it over? Yeah, just injuries. You know, if I could have somehow, because <clears throat> always, you know, immediately after you're laying there going. Man, I wish I wouldn't have tried that jump or tried <laughs> yeah. that pass on yeah. that guy. It's like the I didn't video the game. You wish you could have that 30-second rewind Yeah, real yeah, quick. could I just jump back and make a better decision? But really, just the injuries is wish, I wish I could have, uh, you know, skipped a few of those. Because those at key moments in my career, I feel like a lot of it was you know, hampered by, hmm. you know, just time off the bike yeah. and missing races and all that goes on. and. Not that I had some, you know, any big major injuries, but just enough that, man, I'm off the bike again, or, well, this one's nagging, you know, a knee or a wrist or whatever. <clears throat> but really, I don't think I would change much of anything because when I look at my kind of path through life, racing, I wouldn't say saved me, but racing definitely turned me into a person that I am now, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I think, very different than what I would have been if I never found racing. I mean, travel, and, and you know, like Grant says, just understanding cultures and meeting people and just seeing how the rest of the world works. I wouldn't have had any of those yeah. opportunities uh, had I not, got, you know, if I would have just had some, yeah. and not, not, nothing against anyone that hasn't had those experiences, but I'm just... It was it a unique you, opportunity. Yeah, it makes yeah. you just, you understand, you know, you're more tolerant, you just, it's a, you're a whole different animal. Things make more sense, I think. Yeah, exactly, because you, you have a perspective that a lot of people don't have the chance to have. Yeah. You know what I've found, too, is I appreciate this country and my home and, like, the things over here, the culture here. More than I ever would have had I not traveled. Mm -hmm. And like he said, I think it's an education. You, you, you'll never get into college. No. Uh, people can, people and most can tell people you will never like. travel the, the places we've been. I mean, think all the stinking countries we've been to. And yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. It's it, a crazy it, it countries or stinking countries because I've been in stinking countries <laughs> and countries. We've all been to both, right? <laughs> hey, don't get ping started on that again. I've been to some oh, shithole yeah. countries. <laughs> the little rooms and the diesel and all that stuff. Don't go back into that again. Uh, yeah, there's been some places that I've been to that I'm like, yeah, I'm glad that I live in You're America. like, I better hope that check cashes because <laughs> <laughs> this one I had to work for. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you still planning to continue doing like world vets and maybe, you know, mm -hmm. going up to Mammoth and Yeah, you know, events? all those things are very I'm very fond of those. You know, Mammoth's a little bit tough because it, it's changed so much, you know, they, all the quality, you know, it's just, it's turned into a big money-making machine. I, I wish we could turn back the clocks yeah, to the old days where it was a, truly just a fun event, but I'll still go. I haven't gone the last couple of years because 
uh, you know, I was traveling the Nationals uh-huh. with that Watanabe guy. There's always so. a conflict with the Nationals. Yeah, it's at the same all. Time. It used to be a weekend off, but that was I know, in the old days. It was my days. birthday weekend, and that, the, the first time <clears throat> I ever did Mammoth was '03, and then I think from. Either 04, 05 onwards, it's always conflicted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, our birthdays must be similar. I'm June 30th. 17th. 17th, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. always, because I, I remember one year, and I was in the big hunt for the King of Mammoth and all that. So the final day of my birthday on the Sunday, they bring me a birthday cake on the gate for the main event. I'm like... I, I, I what do you want me to do? To me, what am I supposed to do with this? It you're like, if you're going to bring me something, bring me the crown for when I'm king of the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something. But uh, yeah, so that that event's all you know. It's been something dear to my heart. I've been going up there for over 30 years. But I'll go this year because um, my one Japanese guy he's staying in Japan and riding 450 this year. Okay. And uh, so I will go up there, my kid will race and all that, but I'm just going to go and enjoy the week, you yeah. know, the fishing, the mountain yeah. biking, all the things, you know, without the strain of trying to yeah. race and all that. So. I wish I could just ride like practice and then not even race, just, <clears throat> and just socialize. enjoy <laughs> mammoth after yeah, that. You know exactly. what I mean? And that's kind of what I'm going to do this mm. year, you know, because my last year was, well, I don't know, I guess it would have been 17 now because I didn't go 18, 19. So, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I raced and all that. But I think it's going to be a whole different experience going up there and only worrying about my kid yeah. for those couple yeah. days, but spending the 10 days really enjoying the mountain, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Not worrying about having a couple yeah. beers at Roberto's. <laughs> <laughs> or getting up <laughs> at 4 in the morning to get in line. <laughs> get in line oh, yeah. That's the annoying but, yeah. yeah, but um, uh, so yeah, and, and the world vet is kind of the same thing. Uh, the last couple of years that I've missed it, I've been in Japan, so it's just that that whole tie with them. And I don't know what's coming this year. You know, their whole series is getting pushed back a little uh, because of you know all the health things that are going on in the world. So yeah, I don't know. I might be in Japan on that weekend, like I have been the last two weekends. Mm. You know, and Kurt cuts me a little stipend, a little uh, money to not show up because <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to catch up to me in title yeah, wins. But I go. think he's he's got a few few behind. But uh, you two have some <clears throat> battles, man. I was telling him, <clears throat> We've had I was some great so stuff. so impressed watching you two at uh, Farley Castle a couple years ago on those old oh, last yeah, bikes. Yeah, we had some good races that year. God, man, you guys were moving. It was really fun to watch. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> the funny part about that, and you know, I might have rubbed in his face a couple times because I beat him on his old bike. Oh, yeah. Oh, However, yeah. I heard somebody, you over the loudspeaker yeah, running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I might have said it to more than just him, but no, nah, I mean, it's so funny because Kurt is, at first he used to scare me, you know, I mean, I would, he would come and do the vet race every once in a while, but I think he was still doing all the Nitro Circus stuff, and, you know, he just wasn't that committed, and so he wasn't much of a competitor, but, you know, but he would just, like, kind of stare at me on the podium, and I'd be like, this guy's going to kill me, but over the years, you know, going and doing Farley and just seeing him, you know, he's actually, he's a great guy, and, you know, we we have a lot of fun. He's all cold on the surface, but once you get to know him, we do, we have a good time now, and I think it's, it's, he's become what I would consider a friend, that, you know, we have that mutual respect, we've we've been on each end of the scale, and, you know, we we know the lives we've each led, and so it's, it's, it's all good, you know, we, we have a great time racing, and, yeah, so hopefully if my schedule permits, I'll be out at Glen Helen in November, and, uh, 
add a few more to my column and uh, rob him of a few in his column. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and the one, t- uh, the two-stroke world championships. If that's going on, you're gonna be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I. I got a 125. I'm ready to they, do it. They just pushed it back a month. I don't know if you saw oh, that I email. Seen that. Yeah, it's it's now about a month later. April yeah, then sometime or May. No, May. It's like May 9th or something like okay. that now. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, I had everything kind of geared for this this date. I've been doing a bunch of motos, but now uh, the two-stroke I bought is going to be wore out in another month. <laughs> I'm going to have to buy a piston. <laughs> hey, just uh, just put the little pins in the main uh, bearing and, and hunker it <laughs> down there. Yeah, there you go. Hopefully the thing won't be that wore out by come May. But uh, now my kid will go out there and race, and he's asking me, he's like, because I think a, a year or so back they let one of the amateur kids jump in the 125 pro race. Because okay. he's like, I want to race with the faster guys, but, you know, it's like they – all this whole AMA and amateur and all this BS. And I'm like, well, just do like, I think it was Hawkins jumped in there. Like he rode the regular intermediate, but then they let him jump on the line and go with the pro race. And so it'll be fun. I don't think anybody cares yeah. Let him rip until well, he wins. <laughs> well, no, no one cares until you win. But he's done with Loretta's, according to him. So yeah, I don't have to worry about that whole <laughs> debacle showing up there and getting turned away. But uh, yeah, I think it'll it'll be good. I plan on being there. So if well, they ever hold it. <laughs> we got uh, one last question. How do you want to be remembered in this sport? <sighs> I think just a guy that uh, has a lot of passion for motorcycling and just everything about it. You know, it's it's, it's really, you know, it's funny because I've had guys come to me that I don't even remember. They're like, oh, yeah, like five years ago, you know, I had a, this problem and you came over and you helped me and you dug through your parts and you helped me fix my, just that kind of stuff is natural for me. You know, I've always been helpful yeah. to anyone and everyone and, you know, just to be known as a guy that just, you know, he loved and breathed this sport and, you know, not, not the fastest guy and not that he'd want to, you know, this race or that race, but a guy that just, it's kind of what makes me tick, yeah. you know, because all the titles in the world, nobody's yeah. going to remember how many vet titles I had or, or that I won a Supercross or not. I mean, that's that's all kind of secondary. I just think that, you know, meeting somebody at the track, park next to them, you, you do that all day, every, you know, so many times. That impression, whatever that guy takes away, and, and not by me, I better put on my best, you know, because this guy yeah. might tell the next guy. It's just. You know, it's, it's just, just you, and it's just me, and it's it's him. You know, that guy got up that morning, loaded his bike, paid money at the gate, you know, got gas, whatever, to come and do something that you know we all love, and yeah, you know, yourself. I still see you at the track all the time, Grant. You know, and it's it's that kind of family without you know using a cliche, but it's that family of we all have lived and and you know walked in the same boots and the trenches and so we, we it kind of gives you that mutual place to stand that everyone just uh yeah. you know it's not easy yeah <laughs> but uh well i i, I when we had said we were, we were having you on it was a whole list of people saying just how friendly and humble and what a great guy you are and so I think that... See, I put on a good fake facade for yeah, all these people. Yeah, See, all it's those working. People. It's working. You crushed it. <laughs> Keep doing it. You could have gone into acting as well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Cause, uh, yeah. Hey, bud, thanks well, so much for coming on. Yeah, I you're really very welcome. It. I look forward to it. Yeah. I mean, ever since Grant kind of hit me up at one of the races, Mount Morris or something last summer, I'm like, oh, that'd be a lot of fun just because, you know, it's easy. It's, yeah. it's, it's not a chore at all. It's just coming and 
sharing stories. Talking yeah. about what you love. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. All right. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, thanks so you. much. That's Doug Dubach. Stay tuned. We'll be back to wrap up the show. At Nihilo Concepts, we have a passion for innovation and for motocross. Our mission is to develop parts that will improve the durability, functionality, and the appearance of your motorcycle. We're proud to say that everything from Nihilo is made in the USA in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you race every weekend or you just ride for fun, Nihilo offers high-quality, innovative parts that you just won't find anywhere else. Nihilo offers custom engraved engine covers, one-piece titanium foot picks, brake tips, internal engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, carbon fiber components, and so much more. Check out our website, nihiloconcepts.com, and see for yourself why teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. nihiloconcepts.com Ford WP is more than a store. We're truck and Jeep experts. From wheel and tire upgrades to full custom builds, 4WP has you covered. Do your rig right. Shop online or find your store at 4WP.com. Dr. D, awesome dude. Uh, if anybody that knows him would tell you one of the nicest guys on the planet and uh, definitely a legend in our sport, man. Like I, I think we were talking about, I'm not sure there's anyone that's ever ridden more laps than he has. And you can no. you can tell his passion for it is still there, which is, is so cool. Crazy for me because I'm telling you, it was like when he was talking, all those places, that's where I grew up and hung out riding and to all those tracks. It was just like, yeah. it's like time machine. Well, he he also lived and raced through, I think, Fun times. Two of the coolest eras, yeah. you know, to me, the, the, the 80s and into the into the mid-90s. To me, that was just... Well, in the 80s, and, and I, you hate to be so biased, but the 80s in Southern California was just a hotbed here. Yeah. It yeah. was insane. Like, you would just... Everything was happening right here. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. There was basically... The Golden State was a national series. For sure. <laughs> it just... It all happened right here. For sure. You go there, you'd see whoever your favorite star yeah. was, yeah. and they'd be riding there. Yeah. Well, if Wardy's getting helicoptered in to wrap up the championship you know it's important um, hey i want to make a quick shout out to ogo normally our uh, what's in the bag segment would feature our guest pulling something out of one of our ogo bags however there's nothing in the bag because no stores are open to buy stuff so we'll get to that uh, but go check out ogo and their full line of backpacks roller bags uh, gear bags, hydration packs, hydration packs. <laughs> I always bring that one up. You really <laughs> I put like it that. on. Well, I use I, I, with, with just riding in, on the trails. I wear it every time, and I put yeah. 
uh, my a spare tube. I don't know if you know this, but a little tip is, and I learned this from guys, the off-road guys, you got a 21 and a 19-inch wheel, but carry a 21-inch tube because you can put a 21-inch front in a rear, but not the other way around, but you oh. don't need both. So I'm like, ah, oh, good to know. And we did it once. And yeah, put it, all my stuff in with my drink. And Is the tube like wrinkled up inside the tire? It must be. Yeah, dude. It has that's to be. The, everybody's been doing that for a long time. Okay. Sorry, Jeff. Okay. Well, well, you know news, what? I also bro. have no bubbles in my graphics either, so when <laughs> You're pretty awesome. Hey, uh, our four-wheel parts get at me Q&A. This uh, four-wheel parts, your one-stop shop for everything off-road, so go check those guys out for service, parts, anything you need. Four-wheel parts has you covered, and they've got everything. Uh, Donnie, what do we got for questions today? Yeah, um, question is, the tough locks seem to be more trouble than they're worth. Is there a better way to uh, mark the track? It seems to take out a lot of guys. So... They're better than hay bales. You know, used to be hay bales back in my day, and I broke a femur landing on a hay bale. Uh, those things don't move at all. It's like hitting a block of concrete. So I've seen tough blocks. Yes, they, they do tumble into the track occasionally, and maybe there's a better system for anchoring them down. But, man, I've seen a lot of guys who might have been hurt who landed on a tough block and bounced right up. You know, it's like an air mattress. So I think they could improve the way they're tethered to the ground. Well, but... Here's what my thought on that is, yes, we've made progression. And the thing is, you know, if you look at the outdoors, you know, like a Cherubus make those plastic stakes and they could make them in different colors and whatever. And they could mark the track like that. But it comes back to, well, there's no advertising on those, you know, for the people that spend a lot of money to be in the series. So the tough blocks are more to aesthetically make the track look like it flows and that that's the you know, Troy Lee Designs corner, and that's the Power Dot corner, whatever it may be. But to me, I think there should be a way, it can't be that complicated, where it's basically, say, a banner that's two feet tall that has printed both, uh, or even just on the outside, so it's around the outside of the track, and that if you go over it, it just bends and pops back up, but it's it's just anchored at the ends on t into the ground, but it's basically on a, you know, just a spring load or anything that yeah. you could go off the track hit it and ride straight back across it and it just goes doing i like that for outdoors uh but i will say i think it's super cross when you've got lanes going you know right next to each other if you just had stakes or something okay. that wouldn't stop you but here's my thing maybe guys the tough flocks don't really stop you when guys hit them a lot of times they lose control of the bike i've seen probably more often than not if you did lose control and you're going to have a head on if there's nothing in your way usually heath that guy anticipates where you're going to be, and you can avoid it. But when you've hit a tough block or something, and you're going into the other lane with your feet off or your hand off, yeah. I think that leads. So, you know, we could go back and forth on that, but I do think there is a better way. And I don't like things that if someone that someone else could clip, and it rolls out in front of you and takes you yeah. out. It's happened to me, and I'm like, motherfucker. Hey, that, but, there's been a, but there's been occasions where guys have gone over the bars and landed on the tough block and oh, sure, 100% okay. That's I, what I just said. Like it's a like landing an airbag. Yeah. Well, I, well, speaking of airbags, at like Bercy, they use airbags. And I remember the one, the one year, I think it was like 03 or 02, on the 125, the whoops are pretty big. And I thought, you know, I'm going to skim them all the way on the left. And if things get a little sideways, I'm dismounting. <laughs> Choose God. I come through. Bailed, jumped grabbed an airbag, 
bounced and landed on the other side of the track and was dodging traffic. But it did help. But I, I, I think there's a better way so you don't have loose objects, which is what they are, that can cause other problems. What if you, what if they each, what if they had a, a nylon loop in each corner and you used plastic stakes to pound them into the ground so they kind of anchored a little but bit But then better. the thing is, if you make a mistake at the turn and get pushed over the berm and you hit those, it's... It happened to me before when they staked them in. It causes you to crash because they don't move and you don't hop over the berm. Maybe you guys should stay on the track. <laughs> it's, not, it's not us who are having the problem staying on the track. All right. Look I'm at all saying. those pros out there this yeah. year. They're battling to stay on the track. I'm just saying maybe they should stay on the track. All right. All right next question. <laughs> We're moving on. All right. So maybe. Uh, okay. So uh, somebody on the internet wants to know what uh, you guys keep in the garage. What do you guys currently ride or like to ride? Uh, I have a slew of bikes at the yeah, moment. That's what um, doing bike builds for Vital, I've got a YZ125 that's about to drop. That's insane. Uh, I've got a KX450. I have a YZ250F. I have a Husqvarna 252-stroke. Uh, let's see. And I have a CRF150 for my wife and a KLX110 for my kids. And my Husqvarna Svart Pillen. How is that thing to ride? Is it fun? It's so fun. You wheelie yeah. it, or yeah, yeah. It was a little slow stock, but the got all the cat delete system on there, and no, no, not in California. You didn't. Yeah, I was gonna say. No, no I don't. did. <laughs> and if anyone from Carb is watching, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good now. It comes with like a cone pipe, different ignition, different airbox, and it gets it. Nice. My yeah, I have a three ninety Duke, and it rips pretty good too. Same thing. I. I made some slight modifications, but it rips. I have a YZ250 that I got from the auction that was a pile of shit and brought that back to life, which has been fun. But just had a big and bearing go out on it, so I had to tear that apart. Like there was no other damage. I have a 450 Yamaha. Um, I have a ZX10, which is my track bike. Um, and then I have a bunch of like vintage bikes that me and my dad either work on, play with, or plan to restore, or are restoring, or have restored. I've got like some, actually the kids ride around every now and then. I've got the old room, the Z50, the monkey bikes. You've seen, I've got a couple yeah, yeah. restored. Yeah, I, I was thinking about getting one of those from you. They're so fun. You should. I have five. I don't need that many. But five? Yeah. yeah, so I have just like a little variety of, of, of all kinds of bikes. I so go over fun. to his house one time and there's like four in a shed and I'm like... Mm. What are these? Oh yeah, I'm gonna. I'm working on them. One mm. day. One day. <laughs> well, the days I think come and gone. So now, yeah, like most people, I've gotten carried away. I have a. a I mean, I have an '86 CR 250. I mean, I have a Can Am, a 1981 Can Am. I have a um, '79 Cowie. You know, a lot of these are just fun things that I don't ride. But uh, the bikes that I ride are pretty much either two-stroke, four-stroke. Or a couple street bikes. You got that, uh, oh, what year is your supermoto bike? I saw it over there in the shop. Oh, it's a uh, oh, 04. Oh, 04? Yeah, from x That thing looks amazing. Yeah, the big Brembo yeah, yeah. calipers on the front. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, so I got some toys. I have more toys than I, I do riding time, so. I know, that's probably problem. <laughs> and then the other problem is, since we our uh, deal with Specialized, having the e-bikes in the garage, it's kind of convenient because my mountain bikes got got a promotion to the kids so they always want to go ride and hit the trails on that and i'm like yeah i got the e-bike yeah let's go oh battery's dead sorry i'm out <laughs> yeah but yeah it's it's nice to have all the toys yeah I'm not gonna lie all right that all we got 
Yeah, that's all we got. That's our four wheel parts. Get at me Q and A. Send us um, questions on Instagram or Twitter. We'll answer them right here on the show. And uh, that is our show. Speaking of the show, thank you to Yamaha. Thank you to PowerDot, 20% off over there using our code. Method Race Wheels, 20% off. Troyly Designs, SKDA. Get over and check out our Whiskey Throttle Show graphics over there, 20% off as well. Dunlop Tires, four-wheel parts, Adidas Pro Circuit, uh, Nihilo Concepts. Get your free gift over there buying anything. I recommend Lever Grip, the Frame Tape, uh, the throttle housings that are all billet, mm -hmm. the pegs if you're looking for some real sweet bling. Uh, seat Concepts, go check those guys out too. Uh, amazing seats. Best in the business period. Fire Department Coffee, 20% off using Whiskey Throttle as your code. Specialized, OGO. And uh, thanks to Paleo Ranch Foods. Get over there and check those guys out. They're available at Walmart now. You can pick them up there or Amazon. And Langston Motorsports. That's our show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back when we can get back. You guys have a, a good one, and we'll catch you on the next show. Mm -hmm.